Dr. Jay Sute joins us, the hardest working pediatrician in comedy. And uh, we'll, we'll keep this short. His family is with him. And uh, how are we today? I'm doing great. Yeah, I had uh, uh, a good day. And uh, I got to talk with Jackie, the joke man, Martling, which, of course, is ex- exciting for me being a fan. So right. it uh, was a good laugh. I had a good good laughs this afternoon. That was great. That's good. good. It's so so lucky to have free laughs all over. Now, do you watch the news? Are you are you paying attention to this? I, I've been trying to, but not nearly as much as I used to. I used to watch a lot of a lot of news, but now it's just like, I, well, I can't keep track of anything. To be yeah. honest with you, that's the hardest part is just trying to um, keep track of stuff. Right. But what are you going to do? Eventually, it'll all be beyond me, and it'll be the the thing of legends. Yeah. Yeah. Are you watching anything on Netflix? Not a goddamn thing, no. And no I'm, baseball. I'm, 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 no baseball. Petrified of the fact that I'm going to have to uh, t- take on the world without like a, a, a Netflix type of, of thing uh, coming up to, to look at, you know? Yeah, yeah. We're, think running, out of, we're, we're running out of entertainment choices. The, uh, the Koreans are playing baseball, though. They are. Yeah. Then we should get on that shit. Yeah, There's we, no reason we shouldn't have some Korean baseball out there. Yeah, yeah. All right, my friend. Their ingenuity. A lot yeah. of ingenuity there. Yeah. <laughs> How, and how's Rodney? Rodney's doing great. We lost uh, Powhatan last week, my girlfriend's uh, dog, last uh, weekend. Uh, so it's just uh, Rodney and uh, Ian and I now. So, and the kids, of course. But, yeah. yeah, but Pow- Powhatan, he, 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 he had his last fight. Oh, how old Good was dog, he? Though. Good dog. He was uh, 13. Right. Yeah, Ian's dog. So, what are we going to do? Yeah. I'll be the next. <laughs> okay. We'll talk to you on Tuesday. All right. That sounds great. I, I'm, I, I have a pretty clear uh, dance schedule <laughs> until, uh, you know, the cancer, cancer starts to take over. And then okay. I might have a little bit of... Little, uh, uh, Interruption in normal scheduling. So. Right. But right. This, but they're managing to work through this uh, Ebola virus or whatever we got. We're, we're, we're trucking right through that. Yeah. You realize we forgot, forgot about the flu all the way back in, like, March, April? It's amazing. We haven't talked about the flu. The flu is right. still out there, but nobody's talking about the flu. Such disrespect. <laughs> they're going to come with a vengeance next year. I'm telling you next year. Flu's going to be pissed that it did not get the respect it deserved. Okay. I'll have to say, Sute knew what he was talking about. <laughs> I love you, Doctor right. J. We love you. Stay on the line for we stand the line for one right. second. Sure thing, buddy. Okay, all flight controllers, go to go for landing. Retro. Go. Fido. Go. Guidance. Go. Control. Go. Telcom. Go. GNC. Go. Ecom. Go. Surgeon. Go. Capcom, we're go for landing. Eagle Houston, you're go for landing. Over. I do understand. Go for landing. 3,000 feet.
You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program. You sad, pathetic hump. Let's go to La Jolla, where the irritable immunologist is standing by. Hello, sir. You are very busy working on medications for the coronavirus. Well, pretty early on in that stage, yeah, yeah. Hopeful, hopeful medications. You know, if, if we have a ratio of one of one hit out of a thousand potential compounds, then that would be that would be great. But we'll see what happens. We've got some. Uh, we have some insight into the dynamics of the viral genome of, of RNA viruses in particular that aren't necessarily as widely appreciated as other aspects of the of the virus in, in terms of, of screening uh, small molecule compounds, that is, things that... Right. Are you there? Oh, we lost him. Hang on. Are you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Was that you or me? Uh, I, I wouldn't have thought it was me. Uh, okay. So I blame you. Okay, we're back I blame with others. You. Okay, we're back with the irritable immunologist. You said we something happened uh, and they cut us off. But you say that you're working on this, some kind of medication, and then we got cut off. Sure. I, I, I guess I, w- I was just saying, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of groups who are, doing, who are doing what we're doing in terms of looking at the potential for, for drugs that have already been approved for other conditions, possibly even very old drugs, as, as well as some potential uh, inhibitors of certain enzymes involved in uh, viral infections that not necessarily every group will be looking at. Uh, so, yeah, there's some some things going on. I'm also uh, also fueled by a white-hot rage for uh, for myself for promulgating, uh, for, for poo-pooing your suggestion that there might be some uh, pet, a human-to-pet transmission of, of the COVID-19 causing virus, which which has been documented several times. So my my doubting of, of you and uh, assuming you were confusing FIP with uh, COVID-19 was, was completely unwarranted, and I apologize to everyone. I also apologize to everyone for, uh, for promulgating a falsehood about the bone structure of bats, which are not, in fact, hollow. I was conflating them with birds, which is which is completely irrational and, and you know, uh, in, enrages me beyond all belief. In, in addition to the sound of my own voice, bats so, are mammals. So yeah, yeah, yes, yes, sir. They, they just have very elaborately thinned out bone structure. Uh, they do not have hollow bones like birds. Birds do, and they even have a special immunological organ to compensate for their lack of bone marrow, called the bursa of Fabricius. I've been. And that, that's something. That's exactly, exactly. You lived in San Francisco for years, so you've been down in the basement. You've been whipped by the bursa of Fabricius. So, <laughs> you know, I felt this was something you could relate to. <laughs> the great Dr. Jennifer Verdelin is on the show today, and I asked her about pet to human, human to pet. Uh-huh. Uh huh the passing of the virus, she says that a cat or a dog cannot give you the virus, but you can give the virus to your animals. Well, I'd certainly defer to her on on any matters involving most anything. But yeah, that uh, that is certainly what I've seen. There's been there looks like there's been a couple documented instances of asymptomatic 
um, infection in little dogs in Hong Kong, where they're probably locked in with their owners in very small enclosed spaces while their owners are suffering. And there looked to have been at least one unfortunate cat in Belgium that did get some sort of symptoms. But, yeah, other than that, there seems to be almost nothing. There was a – I mentioned a brief screening done by a – a veterinary genetics company oh, about a month ago, and they didn't find much. So, yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about that. There's, if you've got hamsters or ferrets, eh, you know, don't don't kiss them as much as you normally do, David. Um, I know, I know, as a vegan, that's sort of a mandated thing, but I, I feel like you could you could overlook it in this instance. Right. So, when you have the flu in general, do can can you give the flu to your pets? I don't think influenza transmission is very is efficient at all to most pets. Um, there's influenza is kind of funky because certainly, you know, you'll hear oh, there's an avian flu going mm-hmm. around. There's a, a a pig flu going around. The, the flu can recombine, and so if you live in close proximity with particularly farm animals, there's some possibility that you could pick up something from a farm animal, and it could be even something that's semi-new and that's thought to be implicated in, oh, a certain phenomena when influenza changes dramatically year on year called a antigenic shift. Okay. On Tuesday, you talked about chloroquine and hydrochloroquine working with... What was it? Uh, it was erythromycin, yeah. Erythromycin to, to treat a the... A zip. Is it to, to you, treat... You've got a zip on your... Anyway, go ahead. Right. And you also brought up rem remdesivir? How do you pronounce that? Yeah, rem, remdesivir. Yeah, something like that. We're, we're saying... It's a, it's a trade name. I mean, <laughs> feel free to mispronounce it. The only people who get mad are in marketing somewhere. And what kind of medication is that? So that's a that's a in, an inhibitor that's designed to inhibit a viral enzyme that the virus needs to copy itself. To um, it, it turns out that your cells, although they make all of the proteins for the virus, uh, they don't have all the necessary equipment, at least in the place the the virus needs it. And in this case, overall, to to co- allow the virus to replicate its genome. Uh, this is a, a positive-sense single-stranded RNA virus, which is really fascinating because they can they can feed right into a ribosome. And, and what that means is they're essentially structurally the same as your own mRNA. Mm-hmm. So your DNA is transcribed um, to mRNA, among other kinds of RNA. But for the purposes of making protein, your DNA in the nucleus, that we talked about last time, is transcribed by enzymes in the nucleus to make an RNA copy. And that's taken out of the nucleus and fed into ribosomes, which assemble protein from the code on that mRNA. Group 4 viruses, their genome is pretty much just straight-up mRNA. It can be loaded immediately into the ribosome to start making proteins. And one of the first proteins it makes is a protein that the virus has that your cells don't have that enables the virus to copy its genome. And so it's uh, it's not sufficient to just have a single copy of the viral genome for it to reproduce. There's got to be a copy in every single virus that gets pooped out of your cells. And so it has it has to copy that genome, that, that positive sense single-stranded RNA. And to do that, it uses an RDR polymerase. 
that allows it to use its own genome as a template to make a negative sense copy of that, which can then be used to make more positive sense copies to package into viral protein packages. And so remdesivir and a lot of the other antiviral drugs are designed to explicitly try to interfere with the viral enzymes that your body doesn't use. Is this a drug that is this a drug that mm -hmm. is a result of the AIDS epidemic? This was this was uh, Ebola, actually. This one. There's a there's been some use of a couple of anti-HIV drugs. with pretty limited success, at least in severe cases. Some of the some of the data on more mild cases suggest that maybe they're useful. Uh, and those are, they're not designed <laughs> with uh, coronaviruses in mind. They're, they're designed with HIV in mind, but it turns out that the, the active site of some of the enzymes that HIV uses is similar enough to the active site of some of the enzymes that coronaviruses can use, that there may be some ability to block certain certain activities the coronavirus needs to do. Um, the so the, the coronavirus uh-huh. the coronavirus goes directly to the lungs. You said in some cases the intestines, but for the most part, it's looking for your lungs. HIV, another virus. Mm. Where was that heading? So. Coronavirus can get in through the respiratory tract overall. So it, it, it can, there's definitely good evidence of ongoing infections in the, in the nose and throat, as well as the lungs, just to clarify that. The whole, the whole tract there. But yeah, HIV was infecting the cells of the immune system, mostly what's called helper T cells or cells that have um, a surface marker called CD4 on the surface. It, it also affected infected other cells of the immune system. Those cells also had to have CD4 on their cell surface. Uh, macrophages and dendritic cells are, are two other types of cells that HIV could infect. But HIV needed the presence of CD4 on cell surfaces as well as a um, oh a, another cell surface uh, accessory receptor, you might say, and that could be one of two, uh, CXCR4 or CCR5, depending on the cell type. Okay. So HIV was directly invading immune cells of the immune system, which is a potential issue with certain coronaviruses um, that were capable of doing the thing that I talked about last time, um, perhaps a little too frettingly, called uh, ADE. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. What did we learn from AIDS? What was the gift to the medical community from AIDS? And what will be the gift to the medical community from the coronavirus? Real good questions, David. I think if if you want to call it a gift, the the experience of the AIDS epidemic, I, I would say accelerated research in in virology and immunology as well as drug development specific to viruses quite considerably uh it was so so what what are we able to treat now what are we able to treat now because of aids other than aids what are we able to treat now because of the research that went into combating aids i mean that's that's a good question i'd say there's a a lot of a lot of antivirals developed since then would have been using a lot of lessons developed during the AIDS epidemic. Yeah, so it, antivirals against flu, probably ev- everything down to um, 
oh, I think they have uh, antivirals for herpes outbreaks as well. And so that's, I guess you could say that's the gift from from those experiences is that there's um, there was a, a proliferation of research in, into the very fields necessary to design drugs specifically to stop viral replication. And so two years from now, what will you know that you don't know now? That's that's a really good question. Hopefully, unlike what was done with, with SARS and MERS, and actually you asked me last time about MERS vaccine research, looked it up. There was, there was actually a fair amount of it. Some of it was even fairly promising. Um, there's, there's a great article in the New England Journal of Medicine, I think as of two days ago, about uh, developing a vaccine in a, in a viral pandemic, and I'd recommend that to people. They, they do a brief discussion of of ADE as well as a specific helper T response. But, but to more directly address your question, I hopefully we'll have a semi-practical coronavirus vaccine for humans. And once we've done that once and shown that we can do it and have a, a decent lasting response, um, that will make it a hell of a lot easier in case there's another coronavirus maybe even nastier than this one, maybe with a fatality rate closer to the original SARS. Right. Uh, that will give us uh, both a platform for faster vaccine development as well as potentially novel antivirals specific for coronaviruses. Right. You said zinc and obviously vitamin D since none of us are getting sunlight. <laughs> what about vitamin yeah, I mean, zinc? Zinc. Zinc might do something. Yeah, vitamin D is always a good idea, particularly for respiratory tract stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm. What about vitamin C? I read somewhere that they are treating some of the coronavirus patients with heavy dosages of vitamin C. I've been convinced that vitamin C it just gives you expensive yeah. urine. I Yeah, I, I probably fall somewhere between those two, but, but a little bit closer to your side. Yeah, I think... If they're concerned about the immune system on hyperdrive, releasing a bunch of, the, the acronym is ROS or ROS, reactive oxygen species, then there might be some benefits to having a higher amount of antioxidants in your bloodstream by having a lot more ascorbate from vitamin C circulating. But I, I'm really doubtful that that's doing much of anything. Certainly, it's never been shown to be super beneficial for immunological responses at really substantial doses. So I would, I, I would probably go a little bit closer to the expensive urine okay. um, outlook there. One stupid question, then I'll ask you about convalescent plasma. And, you know, on this show, we have Corey Brettschneider, who's taught us constitutional law. You're going to teach us uh, how these... how viruses work I, this is i have a lot of reading that i'm i'm learning uh and i think a lot of us are learning basic biology and ribosomes well, yeah virology is just fascinating man yeah. and, and it's i it's you know it's 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 humanizing a non potentially even living entity a little bit too much, but it's just, it's so interesting to sort of consider these things in the, in the absence of, of one's impending doom <laughs> or concerns thereof. Hopefully most people don't have to face that, but I mean, viruses, when they, when they succeed, and then that means there, there are virus going around that we can see they're, 
they're like a friggin' cat burglar. They're like Mission Impossible Catwoman Part 6 to get past the amount of defenses of, of various different kinds in various different places, even inside of the cell. They have to trick the cell and the body in so many ways to get by the defense, to even replicate it at all, let alone to have a nice, big, full-blown infection. And it's really sort of astonishing and remarkable that they function at all. So and it's important to remember that a virus needs a host or it dies. It's not really a living thing yeah. as we think of it. it does. Exactly. It, it's not capable of independent growth or reproduction outside of a cell. So does a virus have a cell? Does a virus have a nucleus? Does it have a ribosome? Does it have endoplasmic reticulum? I just wanted to say endoplasmic reticulum. Well, that's that's fun to say. You should also say Golgi apparatus, which yeah. is connected to the endoplasmic reticulum. It sounds very bulbous. Uh, no, no, viruses don't have organelles of that type. There are a few viruses that will steal ribosomes inside of their own viral capsid, probably so they can get a jump start on producing protein during an infection. But no, they don't. They don't have any ER, but they it don't is, have ribosomes. But it is a they living... use both of those things. Is it a living thing? Do you consider it a living thing? That's a, that's a matter for debate of, of, <laughs> of, of very loud and, and, and heated proportions after drinks with virologists and, and everybody else. I mean, I would, I would say anything that doesn't have ribosomes, it's, it's hard to call it alive just by itself. But... Some viruses are so big and have such complex oh, capabilities. So, some of them that, that infect uh, particularly weird bacteria can have accessory proteins that they even sort of attach to their host ribosomes to modulate their activity. Uh, so that was very recently discovered in an interesting metagenomic uh, virology paper. But, then, yeah, it's tough to call them alive. They're okay. sort of a... Uh, a self-replicating complex assemblage of protein and nucleic acid, probably with some lipids and sugars in there. Okay. Uh, I want to ask you about convalescent plas plasma in a second, but... I mean, that's my favorite band. Has been for <laughs> years. They rock, man. They yeah. rock. Yeah. The donation of blood. If you are carrying COVID-19, here's my stupid question. If you think you're carrying the virus, do you donate blood? Can you... I know that you could you could have gotten HIV from a blood transfusion. Can you give COVID nineteen to somebody through a blood transfusion? I, I think that's theoretically possible. I believe the the folks who are doing uh, blood bank screening will certainly be on the lookout for that, and they'll probably even have that in a questionnaire if if you go up to give blood. Um, I know they still don't allow, if, if you declare yourself to be a gay man or have had, I think even still bisexual sex, they still don't allow you to give blood. So there, there's definitely restrictions that are probably outmoded since they're testing for a lot of these things. But I'm, I'm not absolutely certain that they're screening everything for COVID-19 at the moment. Uh, but I, I would be shocked if, if they're not making a real effort to ensure that doesn't happen. Convalescent plasma, what is it? Are they using it? Are they testing it? Uh, yeah, I, I believe that's in active, in active trials in, in your, your state there in New York. Yeah, you're, 
you're essentially taking the the fraction of the blood that doesn't have red blood cells or, or any cells at all in it. You're just getting rid of all the cells and keeping most of the soluble protein, a lot of which is going to be antibody. And if somebody's already is convalescing from a SARS-CoV-2 infection, a, a COVID-19 um, surviving patient, which is the majority of them, of course, they will probably have a fair bit of antibody to that virus in their bloodstream. And if you can then infuse that into the blood of, of somebody who can accept it from them, um, yeah, there, there could be certainly very positive effects. That was, that's been done with a number of, uh, probably most notably with Ebola as well, with a, a number of successes, certainly. Uh, if you don't have anything else, that's probably a good place to start. And the antibodies, do they reproduce? So the, I mean, yeah, so B, B cells are the cells we think of as, um, when they detect their, the antigen that they're, uh, anybody is specific to, and in each B cell will be specific to a different one, they, they reproduce like mad. And some of them will convert into plasma cells, which secrete antibody into the bloodstream, and that's all they do all day long, just dumping antibody into their bloodstream. As soon as the B cells detect that, yeah, they they replicate like mad, and so that's sort of um, that's that's sort of the way the immune system, the memory immune system works quite generally for both B cells and T cells. The, if you're a type O, do you have to get type O antibodies? Um, I mean, I don't I don't think it's quite that simple. I, it's usually, I think there's concerns about um, type O. Well, I would actually be be, like, <laughs> be less concerned about because they don't have the AP blood group antigens on the surface of their cells. But I, under some circumstances, I suppose it's quite possible, uh, particularly for um, mothers who've had children with a um, like like an O mother who's had uh, an A. A uh, husband who's A, B, or, or something like that, and has been exposed to um, a little bit of, of those blood group antigens from their child, uh, they might have circulating antibody that makes um, that makes a direct serum donation more complex. I would think that would be screened out right up front. I, w- I wouldn't worry too much about that. Okay, before you go, we're going to study ribosomes tonight after we finish up the show <laughs> i mean they're they're fascinating i mean ribonucleoprotein complexes they're uh yeah you're using a little bit of rna sort of in complex with a bunch of big chunks of protein to spool this messenger rna through which is you can think of as a, a long sort of thread that's being pulled through sort of a hole between two chunks of protein and that, depending on where it's positioned, positioned in the ribosome is corresponded to by tRNA that are floating around can, and are attached to amino acids. And so for every three letters in the messenger RNA message, that usually corresponds to a single amino acid. And that's how proteins are assembled, by reading a message and converting that message in the process called translation into polypeptides, which is a, a series of amino acids which, which can then fold and combine with others to form full-fledged protein okay and uh the anti-vaxxers where are they where's uh jay mccarthy <laughs> on all this? 
That's a, you know, that's a good question. Maybe they're, maybe they're just out there licking surfaces and in, in, in hot spots to show that it's, that's really the, the way to do it. Yeah, you know, you haven't heard much from them recently. No, isn't that, isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, I just, I just don't get it. You told us last. Tuesday to donate our masks to healthcare workers yeah, and janitors. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Any marching yeah, orders? Extra. Any marching orders? I mean, today? yeah, I would. Uh, I would recommend marching. You know, indoors. Um, yeah. <laughs> above and beyond that, no, I, I don't think so. Just uh, if if you contact your senators and representatives, just under underline the point about hand washing stations. And that, that goes even double in places like Detroit, where they were just shutting people's water off because they couldn't pay. That's right. obscene. That needs to be overridden. Same yeah. deal in Native American reservations. People yeah. who are poor in this country have very limited access to facilities. And that's going to hurt even wealthy people yep. by feeding an epidemic the lack of basic sanitation, the lack of general comprehensive health insurance is biting us in the ass right now. And we need to we need to resolve these things, and we need to sort of follow the marching orders of people like like Bernie and and and, and Harvey J K and, and yourself and Howie Kahn and people like this who have really defined excellent outlooks on reestablishing an actual state in the United States rather than this bizarre mercenary monopoly system that we have going that's that's hurting everyone right now. Well said. By the way, if they turn off the water in Flint, they're saving lives. That's for another. That's for another time. Yeah, that's for another conversation. The irritable immunologist came to us today from La Jolla, California, where he is working personally on some type of medication or some kind of resolve. We are yes, personally, lovingly, covetously. Gently, delicately, working on potential, yes, uh, antiviral drug compounds. Okay. We're going to learn biology. Stay on the line, irritable immunologist. Thank you. Stay on the line. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Well, it's Friday, so that can only mean one thing. Time for Tuesdays with Corey. Professor <laughs> Corey Brettschneider is author of The Oath and the Office, a guide to the Constitution for future presidents. And we have a lot to talk about. First off, how are you? Uh, I'm good. We're socially isolating, uh, as everyone is. And my daughter's doing school online, my 13 year old, uh, while my wife works from home and I'm also teaching online. So, uh, it's, uh, you know, a big transition, but certainly we don't have it nearly as hard as the frontline workers. And my brother-in-law's, um, frontline worker working with, uh, kids. He's a, a psychologist and, uh, you know, those are the people who have it tough and they have our support and solidarity and, uh, you know, but, but we're adjusting to, to this new, new normal. Yeah. I'm going to ask you if it really is the new normal in a second, but it does mm. allow the class divide to be splayed open and the people who 
before were considered non-essential are absolutely essential, and we're beginning yeah. to see who we don't need. I often wonder when things return to normal, will we still have college administrators? Will we still have <laughs> network executives? We're beginning to see that there's a lot of supernumeraries. Uh, I, you know, it's, uh, we're in the midst of it. So I, I think we, we, we've never, I've never certainly seen anything close to this and I'm leery of any predictions about what's essential or not. We're on zoom. Now I hadn't heard of zoom before, um, this crisis. And, uh, you know, this turns out to be the, 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 the core of everything I'm doing, teaching and uh, communicating with people. So what, what's going to come out of it. I don't know. I mean, one thing that is interesting is that it's possible to, to move on. If we were in the pandemic, the, the Spanish flu pandemic in the early 20th century, there's obviously nothing like telecommuting. So the fact that we could continue on with our jobs uh, like this, um, some is itself bizarre. Some people, some yeah, people exactly, can not everyone. Right. Uh, college. So I should mention that to my new listeners, Professor Corey Brett Schneider teaches constitutional law at Brown University. He is a visiting law professor at Fordham. He has a, I always test my memory here. You have a law degree from Stanford, a PhD in political science from Princeton, and a master's in philosophy from Cambridge. You got it. I got it. And an undergraduate degree from Pomona College in California. Great. Correct. School. Good. And so you have been. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for, for affirming. <laughs> I got it right. <laughs> well, at our age, it's just a good, you know, Mr. Feldman, do you know what time it is? And Professor Brett Schneider, do you know where you got a degree in philosophy from? That's a good way to test your memory. Thank so you. you're totally immersed in academia. It's been ripe for change. How does ac how does academia change after this? Can you hold seminars on Zoom permanently? I mean, we're managing, you know, the, the people of the students have gone home because the thought was in all of these universities that it would have been a core place where it was spread. And so everybody's back home. But the semesters continue. So, yeah, I'm teaching. And you, and you still teach at Liberty, though, right? Uh, that I don't do. <laughs> oh, I thought you taught but, at Liberty University. That I haven't been offered a job. Oh, in, but okay. I, I think I'd have a lot to say to Mr. Falwell and his his staff. The um, you know, I I think it's fine. Like I'm not going to complain about it. We're able to do the basics that we do. I you know have been teaching. The students are doing the work. But uh, it, uh, to me, it's not what education is all about. Is face to face interaction and the sort of subtle back and forth, the exchange between the students. It's happening on Zoom, but not. There's nothing, I think, that can replace actual campuses and actual interaction. That's right. the way I see it. I agree with you, but things are forced on us. Change right. is forced on us. Right. And there is virtue to staying the same, standing athwart technology and saying, no, no, this has to. Yeah. We have to teach the same way we taught 500 years ago. They're, they're, yeah. And of course, you know, we're in a, we're in a national emergency. So the other thing that's happening is uh, my colleagues and, and me and we're all trying to be as 
understanding as possible that people's home situations are completely different. So, um, you know, some people are transitioning fine, and I think some are having a much harder time. I was shocked, I think, without violating a trust. I won't talk about your father. We'll just talk about the public schools in New York City. 115,000 students are homeless. 115,000 students in New York City public schools are doing, we're trying to do Zoom from a shelter that doesn't have Wi-Fi. Is this country capable of change? I mean, that would, if that's what comes out of this, uh, that Americans begin to realize how weak our safety net is, how poorly we treat our least well-off citizens, uh, that would be terrific. And I, I think one thing that it forces on us is a pandemic there's no way to talk about healthcare as a, you know, something pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It shows in the most graphic way that we're all in this together and that if one person lacks healthcare, that endangers the community as a whole. And exactly. so I, I hope exactly. that sort of lesson, you know, which extends partly to healthcare, it certainly extends to housing and it, it should highlight the grotesque fact that there are so many homeless families in this country that are not being provided with uh, the most basic needs. Now, one hope that I have is this is not a cure-all, and I don't want to suggest that, and it doesn't replace the need, for instance, for universal health care. But, uh, you know, I have been for a long time a supporter of the idea that every person in the United States should get a basic income of, um, you know, something like $1,500 a month, the proposal that Andrew Yang, among others, proposed. And the fact that we're doing that this month um, is helpful to me. I mean, it's not enough. Uh, to do it once, but if this would become a monthly thing and Americans begin to see the need for that, then uh, that would be another good thing. Um, why? Why? And we certainly could afford it. You know, if anybody said before, how do we pay for it? The, a two trillion dollar plus budget um, that came out of nowhere <laughs> that we were able to ra- rally using the strength of the dollar. It shows Americans can't afford uh, a basic income. Certainly. So you have a master's in philosophy. What is the thinking behind not providing universal basic income? Is it a fear that the workers will get lazy and won't do what they're told? I think there are a lot of, I think, arguments that are not based on evidence, but that's a very common one that it will destroy the incentive system, that workers will become lazy, that uh, it will be abused for drugs and for alcohol, that those are some of the arguments. But, you know, that's those are empirical suggestions about what's going to happen, that you're going to have a, a negative result that uh, is certainly worth experimenting. They about. did experiments I mean, me, on it. I, I, I think one of the Nordic countries tried universal basic income two or three years ago the finding was that it made them happier it didn't change their work ethic they couldn't determine whether or not people worked harder or didn't work harder but they were happier with that extra money uh, well, it's meant to provide a security. I mean, it really is a safety net that you could. And to me, I think the, my a lot of the speculation, this is what I believe. I don't have evidence that this is definitely what would happen, but that people would be more willing to take risks, that they would start businesses, that they would not feel beholden to uh, one job, because you would know that if you failed, it wasn't that you starved to death, that you, uh, you know, had this 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 threshold below which you couldn't go. And think of all the creative things that happen 
happened, uh, you know, from people who were on uh, some some form of government assistance. Uh, the Harry Potter books are the most famous example. Really? It, uh, yeah, she was. Uh, my understanding is that she was on the dole in England, and um, that that when when she wrote those books, they conceived of the series. And I think it would open up the possibility of creativity from people, too, that they wouldn't feel beholden to these jobs. There, there also is another argument that what it would do is it would, you know, because what you, you would have an alternative to a, a McJob, um, that it would put pressure on companies that wanted to hire people for what would otherwise be drudgery labor to either pay more or make the jobs more bearable and more interesting. So you wouldn't have the pressure of, do I have no food on the table or do I go work for Amazon in the factory where I'm being treated like a you know machine? Right. And, you no, know, Amazon would have to put pressure on itself to improve its working conditions. So um, that, that philosophically, I mean, I did actually first hear about uh, the argument for a basic income when I was a student in Cambridge, I guess it was 1996, and a philosopher from Leiden came, and I think he's the probably most prominent defender of it, named Philippe von Perez, and he has a famous article that he wrote in a kind of obscure not obscure if you do political philosophy, but obscure to most people, uh, journal that's called, I think it's called Should Surfers Be Fed? And he really takes on that counterargument, which is, well, what's the worst that could happen with a theory of the basic income? It's that, um, you know, some people might choose to take the income, not work, and surf off, off Malibu and be lazy. And then his point is, so what? Right. <laughs> you know, is that so bad that some people are going to li- leave li- lives of leisure that won't require a lot of material? You know, you have your board in the server example. And, and, and he sort of gets us to question, you know, what's so wrong with that? And then his point is, you're actually going to have positive effects on the overall society because my willingness to take the basic income incentivizes companies to make their work conditions better and their jobs better. So but the companies don't I, I was want really that. taken by that. Jeff Bezos doesn't want to have to pay more or be kind to his workers. And this economy is measured by growth. That's Yeah, I mean, what's interesting to me, you know, when that idea was proposed, it was really in the middle of Clinton welfare reform and sort of welfare to work and all of that kind of rhetoric. And so it appealed to me as just an alternative to that way of thinking, a creative alternative. Now with Andrew Yang, you know, there's a whole group of people in Silicon Valley who I wouldn't think would be in support of it, but who are on the grounds that they just are frightened by what they see coming, which is increased mechanization. And they don't see what the alternative is to a basic income that you can't allow people obviously to go deprived of no food and shelter. And so it's the, the Silicon Valley version of this is I think a response to increased mechanization. Now the amount matters to me too. I don't think you want a society of people who are living below the poverty level. So, you know, setting it at a level that's mindful of the location that people are in $1,500 a month in New York is not the same as it, know in in a rural town um but that's also an important thing it's got a long history 1972 both nixon and um mcgovern i believe proposed basic income and the argument was um the level which should it be set at and i think mcgovern was saying nixon's level wasn't high enough even um uh, libertarian thinkers like Milton Friedman defended what they called the negative income tax, which is a variation on the proposal where basically 
it's the same, except you would get it if your, your income was below a certain threshold or at zero on your return, you would get money back rather than the earned income tax credit. I think that's a related proposal because, um, you know, basic income is meant to guarantee everybody, no matter what, not just a a credit, but, but a a certain amount of money. So even if you're at zero, obviously you get a, um, even if you have no earned income, you get, Mm -hmm. you get, you get the 20,000 or 20, you know, 30,000. A nation of philosopher kings, perhaps. A nation of surfers. You know, that's Von Press. As, a, and as so opposed on. to surfs. As opposed, as to, opposed surfs. to surfs. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Well, you're from academia, and a lot of people resent the public schools because teachers have tenure. You can't fire them. Certainly mm-hmm. professors get tenure. That's the magic. That's the magic number. You know, when you get tenure, does torpor set in when you're a teacher in a public school, when you have tenure and you're no longer afraid of getting fired? Do you see in academia, once a professor becomes tenured, they they slough off? That's the usual criticism of it. I mean, to we me, find it at FU, which is why we don't. Yeah. Grant, we don't grant <laughs> no, tenure. That's why you don't give it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feldman I've University. My position. I'm sorry. I've resigned my. I've resigned my position in protest. By the way, of your uh, anti-faculty policies. Okay. I think you have to ask what the alternative is. I mean, are there instances of people who uh, you know lose the incentive to write as much as they did? I think so, but I think for all the examples. Like that, you have many more of, uh, you know, I'm not surprisingly a big defender of the system that it provides, uh, especially for academic work where you're doing this, um, you know, in political science, you want to protect people and their free speech ability to not get fired for what they're saying. So there's no way, David, that I could be talking to you and have the conversations that we have as as mild as they might seem to, to you or to some people. And there's no way I could be writing for Politico and, you know, spent the last three years criticizing the president on the grounds that he's been assaulting the Constitution and making a mockery of our system of government without tenure. So the only reason we know each other is because of the tenure system. If I was pre-tenure, you know, as I was for, for you know, five years or so trying to get it uh, or at a, at a school that didn't have it, or like many people in academia now, the tenure jobs are disappearing in favor of these temporary adjunct positions or visiting professorships, uh, I wouldn't be able to do this. And so, you know, I think the main argument is that it provides the intellectual confidence to go and say what you think rather than to be essentially, you know, a quiet person that is subservient to the system that we live in. So I I think it's essential in the fields that I do law and and political theory. I couldn't imagine it existing without, um, without it. Right. We're talking with professor Corey Brett Schneider. His latest book is the oath in the office, a guide to the constitution for future presidents. It's, it's a important and, Great and easy read. It's written for for the layman. Let's talk about the authoritarian impulses of Donald Trump. Uh, here in uh, New York City, Bill de Blasio wanted to shut the entire city down. Andrew Cuomo said no. Donald Trump said shut the entire tri-state area down. Cuomo said no. There's this tension between the states and the federal government and to what constitutes authoritarian measures. 
what is going on in Texas? What is going on with the travel ban? And are you concerned that a lot of liberals, leftists during a pandemic are begging Donald Trump to be authoritarian? I think we've got to be really careful at, uh, in the midst of an emergency because what we've seen, you know, Hungary is the worst example of this, maybe the most obvious, is that authoritarian leaders with authoritarian ambitions will try to take advantage of it. And they'll try to use the emergency, not to use emergency powers in the way they should. Uh, so we have a Defense Production Act, for instance, which gives the president the ability to command um, GM or uh, other companies to produce ventilators. That is a good use of a very specific emergency power that the president just failed to use for weeks. And, um, you know, we're in a disastrous situation as a result of that. So it's not that there are no specific emergency powers that, that should be used by the federal government. And in fact, if you don't use them, the result has been that the worst aspect of federalism has come out where Andrew Cuomo and other governors are bidding against one another for these ventilators or for basic masks. And so, you know, emergency powers are rightly granted in specific instances to a president to take care of emergency, actual emergencies like the pandemic. And this president does exactly the inverse. He doesn't use the emergency powers that he should, namely the Defense Production Act, which he, he, he took way too long to use. Uh, and instead, he, he uses the pandemic for, for fake emergency purposes to try to aggrandize his own power. So you have this terrible situation where the attorney general is trying to seek the power of Congress to suspend habeas corpus, the right to a trial, one of the most basic rights that there are. Why does he need that? He needs to be working with the president on the Def on the Defense Production Act to, to make masks, to um, make ventilators. Instead, they're trying to use this real emergency for fake purposes that they don't need. No, we have shut down of habeas corpus as one. Well. We've shut down habeas corpus. I believe Lincoln suspended habeas corpus. He not only did it, but he did it in the midst of the true emergency again, which was the Civil War without the consent of Congress. He did it on his own and essentially assumed dictatorial powers for a period of time. Now, he justified that on grounds that it was necessary in order to save the Constitution itself and save the Union. We're nowhere close to that now. And uh, if we hear Trump uh, or Barr start to make the analogy with Lincoln, we know we're in real trouble because that is a, a complete, um, not even close <laughs> situation. Well, at least no supply chain operating in the same way during the Civil War that we have it now. You're saying that the D DOG, the Department of Justice, is asking for permission to suspend Correct. habeas corpus. Yeah, they've asked Congress. So that's not as bad as as claiming they can do it on their own. But it is bad because it suggests that that's uh, something that they're eyeing. And when you combine that with Barr's general political philosophy, which he's expressed in speeches to the Federalist Society about how he has, um, you know, the, the, the president has monarchical powers, um, I, I really worry about what they, they will do in this emergency. I don't have any doubt that Donald Trump is an aspiration fascist that he wants to have dictatorial powers now he's been you know thankfully stopped along the way but will he use this pandemic for that purpose I, I think he'll try and that's really frightening instead again of using the legitimate emergency powers that he does have under various statutes to take care of the actual emergency was habeas corpus suspended after 9-11 no, but you did get uh, certainly not. There was no uh, act of Congress suspending habeas corpus, but you had 
arguments about why habeas corpus didn't apply, for instance, in Guantanamo Bay and the Bush administration using this theory of the unitary executive tried to claim um, that that basically the president could hold people outside the the United States borders um, without habeas corpus. And in in their argument, the the sort of phrase that got thrown around was that Guantanamo was a law-free zone. And in a case called Bermidian, uh, the Supreme Court said there's no such thing as a law-free zone when uh, the the U.S. has jurisdiction and control over an area. And um, they rejected that, thankfully, in that Bermidian case. It was a scary moment for for this uh, ancient writ of habeas corpus, the, the the right to be told why you're being held, the right to basic trial and, and due process. Well, you've said the right to be a citizen means a right to travel freely throughout the country. Does that include a pandemic? And earlier I said that there was talk of shutting down the bridges and the tunnels here in Manhattan. Would that be a via- Would they be taking away our civil liberties during a pandemic? pandemic does that concern you? i think i think you have to be careful and you know you, you, we could take the what certainly telling people to shelter in place and doing what this governor has done is not a violation of civil liberties it's a necessary way of preserving you know our health and safety um what w- is a violation i think of civil liberties is what the governor of rhode island did which was to say uh if you come into this state with new york plates we're going to pull you over and uh we're going to uh quarantine you forcibly and we're going to go after you now why is that different than a general order to shelter in place it's because it singles out americans based on the state that they live in it's going on in providence it's going on in uh, rhode island in rhode island Yeah, that was what I said. The governor of Rhode Island issued this order. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I believe the update is that that Governor Cuomo saying basically what I'm saying now, you can't do this, backed her down. And now she's revoked that order. Oh, she has. Federal approach. That's my understanding. She's a Democrat, too. She is. Yeah, that's right. And a graduate of Yale Law School. So it's not that she didn't, I think, no, it was a very bad judgment is, is how I'd put it. We'll leave it at that. She um, uh, she did do that. And that that, you know, to me, there's the articles of confederation were about the idea that we were essentially separate uh, states that had coordination between us. And uh, in Philadelphia, we rejected that in favor of the idea that, yes, the states would continue to exist and they would retain some sovereign powers, but fundamentally we were Americans. And you don't use license plates as a way of distinguishing between people's people's rights. Your friends over at the Federalist Society, where you have, you've debated, you've been over there. Yeah, I'm not an ally. I don't but, think of uh, of people in the Federalist. But they believe in states. Proven that. Okay, they believe in sta- <laughs> they believe in states' rights. And would they be saying right now, it's Cuomo's fault that he should have seen this epidemic coming and that he should have ordered more ventilators? And if there's a shortage of ventilators, New York is big enough to start manufacturing them all by themselves. I mean, wouldn't you disagree? But that is a legitimate argument. You know, I think the states have certain purposes, but the entire idea, I, I'm, I'm not denying that there are, you know, there are various members of, of people associated with the federal society, certainly, or the conservative legal movement. I don't think they would all say that. But if somebody did say that to me from any point of view, I would say, look, the whole point of the Constitution was that there were certain um things that in their nature have to be regulated by the federal government. That's what that's the purpose of 
coming together to get rid of the Articles of Confederation, forming a new nation. Now, a pandemic is obviously something that requires a national response. And if you have state governors bidding each other uh, up, bidding up the price of masks, the price of um, ventilators that are about life-saving moments, that is the opposite of what was intended. Now, are there certain things that the states, you know, can do, uh, certain independent sovereignties? Fine. You know, I've defended the idea that you don't have to cooperate with ICE if you're a um, uh, um, uh, if you're a, a, a state government when ICE is threatening to violate people's liberties themselves. There are certain things you can do within the federalist federalism system to to resist the federal government that are legitimate. But certainly, the idea that the federal government's obligation is not to provide for the general welfare, to provide for the common defense. Right. That's the point. So th- this is a terrible failing of this administration. The fact that his approval ratings on the, 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 this emergency are as high as they are is a, a travesty, and we, the Democrats need to dig in. This has been a total failure of this president, of course, to act. And, you know, he has overestimated his own abilities in a way that's going to result in people people dying. You know, Professor Ben Burgess does this show, and he's a philosophy teacher, and he spoke about accelerationism, the myth that uh, is perpetuated by the left, that eventually things get so bad, people will learn their lesson and finally recognize that we need a a powerful state. But accelerationism, as I understand it, tells us that as things get worse and it escalates and speeds up, it just continues to get worse. We're probably not going to learn a lesson about states' rights, that that the lesson we're going to take away from all this is we don't need a federal government that's strong. We need personal responsibility, and that starts at the state and local level. And, you know, Cuomo should have ordered the ventilators. He should have seen this coming. The The federal government can't be expected to work as a clearinghouse for every emergency. That, I fear, is the takeaway from all this, that we're not going to learn this lesson. Well, I mean, you know, that's up to, to, that's why you and I are trying to talk to as many people as we can and do these shows. And we have to reframe the philosophy of America to see that we really are all in this together and that the cost of abandoning, um, the, the fundamental national role to provide for the general welfare, FDR's idea that, you know, uh, part of freedom is, uh, you know, civil liberties like conscience and religion, but it's also freedom from want to guarantee people's basic needs. If we don't learn that lesson, I worry that the whole republic, the idea that we could have security of any real sense becomes impossible. It's dangerous, I think, is the way to put it. And and the Democrats need to, you know, this can't be a a message of the left. It has to be the central idea of the Democratic Party. Before you go, we've been talking with Professor Corey Brett Schneider, his book is The Oath in the Office, A Guide to the Constitution for Future Presidents. FDR and the demonization, finding somebody to blame. We were blaming Mexicans, yep. and now with the pandemic, we're blaming the, the, the Chinese. Lindsey Graham wants to shut yeah. down these wet markets. After Pearl Harbor, we blame the Japanese who live here in the United States. I'm getting right. the nastiest jokes about Asians sent to me mm. that uh, 
why do we have to be careful? I mean, where does this lead? I think, you know, you, you, it was a, a great point that FDR, who I'm praising for his four freedoms, um, and the idea that we have to care about the material well-being of Americans, despite the greatness of that idea, uh, when it came to issues of race, generally he was terrible in his probably worst moment. One of the worst moments in American history was the executive order that he issued. And it was an executive order by the president carried out with the help of Earl Warren, the governor of California. And I see you nodding. You know that from the oath in the office uh, to intern Japanese Americans on the basis explicitly of their ethnic and national origin. And it was a, a bigoted terrible moment in American history made all the worse by the Supreme Court's decision uh, that, yes, this was a violation presumptively of equal protection. It was based in ethnicity, but the security of the United States was so important that we could engage in this form of discrimination. Now, they knew there was no security benefit, and yet they did it anyway. They upheld it. And what a terrible moment for uh, the Democratic Party, for America, for one of our greatest presidents, supposedly. I mean, this taints his legacy, to say the least. And also a sign that the Supreme Court's not going to protect us, that we've got to care about liberty ourselves and demand it from our leaders. Didn't the current Supreme Court finally apologize while at the same time doing something horrible? What happened? Well, well, you know that you and I discussed in depth uh, the, the travel ban, which I was writing a lot about in popular forums and organized um, with three colleagues, uh, um, an amicus brief that was cited by the dissent. And the majority had the audacity in the travel ban case uh, to say we were wrong in Korematsu. You know, some early stages there were people defending the travel ban on the grounds that Korematsu was somehow a, a good case. And the Supreme Court wanted to distance itself from that. And they said that case was clearly wrongly decided. They essentially apologized for it as um, I think Reagan also had apologized for it. Um, uh, but to me, it was a grotesque apology because they did it while upholding, you know, the most grotesque modern form of animus in international relations uh, against Muslim Americans this time in the, in the form of the travel ban. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it, it's almost human nature when leaders let their guard down and allow something really bad to happen. They they have to find somebody to blame and. You know, right. Pearl Harbor, we let our guard down, so we blamed the Japanese-Americans. After 9-11, we blamed all Arabs and Muslims and invaded the wrong country. And now we let our guard down with this pandemic, and we're seeing the beginnings of blaming China. It was already there in the administration. He was already instituting a travel ban and tariffs against China and the demonization of the Chinese uh, will accelerate because Trump and the Republicans need somebody to blame for their mm. inaction and their incompetence. Professor Corey Bretschneider is the author of The Oath and the Office of Guide to the Constitution for Future Presidents. And you well, we'll talk about your next book later. How do people follow you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Brett Schneider C. Uh, buy the book, The Oath in the Office, in your local bus- bookstore. I saw Powell's is um, often running, rehiring people, and we should support them and um, other local bookstores. Um, and you can read my writing if you want to uh, read what I've written about the pardon power or about uh, the travel ban uh, at CoreyBrettSchneider.com. Fantastic. Can you stay on the line for one second, sure. Professor Corey Brett Schneider? 
You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. Let's go to Brooklyn, where Sam Cedar is standing by. He's the host of the Majority Report. You can't hear me? No, I can't hear you. I'm not in Brooklyn. Are you somewhere in undisclosed? You look great, by the way. I don't. You don't feel good. I mean, I uh, like I said, I'm I'm on the edge. You're on the edge. Mm-hmm. Why is is it personal problems? Yeah, family family, family issues. issues. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's the matter, Sam? What, what, t- talk to Daddy. What's going on? Is you're on the edge? Is is there something happening in your personal life? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, well, I mean, uh, you know, I'm, like a lot of people, I'm uh, staying inside. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's that supposed to be a pl- like a laughter? What are you talking about? We're here with a, a live audience. Let me let's start the show. Please uh, welcome the great Sam Cedar. <laughs> Wow, they uh, really gave up on that uh, very quickly into that round of applause. We're we're coming to you live from uh, Liberty University. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, uh, slowly getting less live at Liberty <laughs> University is my understanding. I'm going to see if I can get my soundboard to give, play through this thing. Uh, so are you you're doing the show from your home? Uh, that is correct. I have a, uh, uh, about 15 years ago, um, uh, I bought a place up, uh, near Hudson, New York, upstate mm-hmm. and, um, in that general area. And, um, uh, for a while, uh, over those uh, 15 years, 16, 16 years now, I guess, 17, um, I, I was living up here full time for a couple of years. Um, and, uh, over the years, I, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, over the years, constructed a little bit, had a little bit of old, old qu- equipment here. And uh, when we shut it down in Brooklyn a couple of weeks ago, um, I didn't want anybody coming into the office anymore. And uh, so I came up here and it took like a week or two because most of the equipment I had was like, you know, all my computers were from like 2008. And yeah. uh, but uh, so, yeah, no, I've got it set up here. I'm up here with uh, my kids. Uh, my sister is here and uh, my ex-wife. Uh, so it's really uh, an interesting uh, dynamic. Your ex-wife. That's correct. I thought we were going to talk about the politics in Washington, but uh, anything you want to share? Uh, how, how is that going? Washington doesn't look so dysfunctional. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I come up with my own goddamn. uh... (laughs) Well, boy, I think I'm the only one who has come up with this idea, but this sounds like uh, a movie. I pitched (laughs) a show uh, about eight years ago, seven, eight years ago. I was, um, uh, I had a deal with, to, uh, I was writing a script for AMC actually based upon my time at air America with, uh, it was going to be produced by Stanley Tucci and Steve Buscemi had a company and 
so I got a lot of pressure to go out and pitch a show uh, because I already had a show, which is when they really think that you should get a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I had an idea of just give you a sense of how long uh, coming it was, uh, the divorce was, um, of a former radio host uh, who is about 30, 40 years in the, in the distance as society is beginning to crumble because of uh, global warming, um, moved up to the house that was like a, uh, you know, a summer place, cottage, and with uh, the wife that they were on the verge of a divorce. And, um, and, uh, you know, it's a very similar situation. And well, I pitched that I, show and people thought I was insane, actually. Uh, in fact, I, I've reached out to a couple of the producers who I had said like, Hey, I don't know if you remember this. And they're like, yes, I do remember. Can I ask you a personal question? Sure. David, what, what's your ex-wife's uh, phone number? No. Um, is there any chance I, you don't think I've already given her your number? <laughs> You do hate her. <laughs> I, I've been doing this. I'm self-isolating for two weeks. And has it been only two weeks or has it been closer <laughs> to like seven years? <laughs> when I, I've spent enough time now with myself alone to understand why I am what? alone. Alone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this there makes, you go. Yes. It makes perfect sense. Any chance of the two of you doing something crazy? Um, you mean like murder? Well, getting back together again. <laughs> oh, no, 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 um, no, no. Okay. All right. Uh, I didn't know I was going to talk to you about, uh, your personal yeah, we can life. Cu- we can cut all that stuff out. No, this is the best part. Oh, well, all right. Sorry about that. But you look, look good. You You look good. All right, let's talk about Andrew Cuomo. I made the mistake of praising Andrew Cuomo. Oh, in public? Yes. you got to be careful of that. Yeah. I needed a strong daddy figure. Talk to me about his response versus, say, Donald Trump's response and the response we're seeing in the Bay Area, which has been superb. The uh, I would say any response constitutes a better response than (laughs) Donald Trump's. Um, I, I mean, honestly, I'm not that that it's it's right. it's conveniently humorous, but it's also uh, absolutely accurate. I, I you know, I've watched uh, and I've listened to a lot of press conferences by Cuomo. He, he's done a very good job in that respect. Um, he has um, done a I think they were late. I think the state was late. I, and I think like, listen, late relative to. Um, the the potential threat, right? I mean, Look, should they have shut down? I understand that de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, wanted to shut the entire city down two weeks ago. Is that your understanding? My, my you know, look, it's unclear. But I, what I suspect happened was that there was a fear that if they shut down uh, New York City, and I feel like this was happening contemporaneously, and he did shoot it, shut it down about two weeks ago. Uh, kids did not go to school. Let's see. Uh, I got up here around, like, I think uh, we took our kids out of school for one day, the Friday, last Friday of school, without knowing that it wasn't going to continue. Like, I had a sense that it would be a week or two, but they ended up uh, canceling school over that weekend. Um, I suspect that de Blasio wanted to do this earlier, maybe, uh, but I think there was a fear that what you would get is, you know, 
people uh, leaving New York and then spreading the the, the virus. I mean, it, um, it, it's really hard to say that states didn't do it uh uh, quick enough when they did it around that time, because the New York, the federal government was, you know, usually the federal government is the one that says like, Hey, you guys need to be aware of this, right? Because, you know, c- cities don't necessarily have the, 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 the sort of type of intelligence about the spreading of a pandemic. Now, New York, one would anticipate there would be a little bit more sensitivity to that because of its density. Um, and I think, uh, I, I think if you, if it was, look, it's the most dense place in the country. And it was obvious uh, to me that that is um, going to be the biggest problem, at least initially. And uh, so I think they could have done this a little bit earlier, but I think, uh, uh, you know, Cuomo has been um, uh, good in terms of, um, you know, providing like uh, some sense of, you know, big daddyhood and uh, explaining things and getting a decent amount of stuff done. I mean, he's a very transactional guy and, uh, but, simultaneously they're they're cutting medicaid i mean yeah. you know and 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 look i understand um uh you know the the new york medicaid was one of the most generous in the country but this was the plan to cut it and at the same time what really drives me nuts is you know it's one thing to say like we have no money right i mean a, a state needs to balance their budget in a way the federal government doesn't need to at all because they don't print their own money the federal government prints their own money but you have again another bite at the apple to legalize pot in this state and raise untold billions of dollars worth of taxation. I mean, you want to tax it, uh, you know, higher than, uh, you know, you know, the way the same way we do a gasoline tax, go ahead and do it. I mean, you're leaving all of this money on the table at a, 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 and, and cutting Medicaid, which there could not be a more important time in the history of like, you know, you and I being adults for a need for Medicaid in, in this country and, 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 and in the state. I mean, the, the, we just got the new numbers out today and I, you know, I, I had sort of predicted that we would do double this week. I should say double last week than we did the week before. We're at 10 million plus unemployed as of Friday. I would imagine by today, Thursday of the following week, we're closer to 12, 13 to 14 million unemployed, I would bet. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the, I, I mean, there just simply has not been a more important time to have as robust of a, um, you know, a, a social uh, safety net or really foundation. Um, and, and that's part of the reason why this country is so ill-equipped to deal with this as opposed to other countries, because, you know, it's one thing to have to deal with the emergency. It's another to have to deal with stuff that is so foundational to a society because we have these massive gaps and uh, we have no way of how are we going to cover those 14 million people? You know, they're going to go into like four different buckets. The, all of the administration administrative systems are going to be overwhelmed in terms of dealing with them. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, I would say that Cuomo has um, he's done a good job of uh, providing confidence for people. I would give him a B on, you know, actual response. A guy like Newsom and Inslee. Uh, they, you know, A's, uh, because the proof is in the pudding. I mean, they've been able to, they got people early relative to the level of density that they were dealing with. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, Inslee must have seen what had happened at that, uh, that nursing home. And, you know, fortunately it was, um, you know, uh, geographically, you know, it's highly localized, 
but it was a horrific, um, uh, you know, uh, death toll there. And so, um, I think they flattened you know, the curve. They've they've flattened the curve in Washington, where this it didn't begin in the United States in Washington, but it looked like it was a vector and certainly a hotspot. So you're saying that Governor Cuomo, who many people are considering as a replacement for the doddering Joe Biden, he he had an opportunity to legalize pot, and if you want people to stay at home, there's no better way than legalizing pot. And as you pointed out raising revenue. He he is not legalizing pot in the state of New York. He's not releasing the nonviolent people in our jails who are waiting for a trial. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, there, uh, in, you know, Rikers has the highest rate of infection in the world. Really? The highest rate of infection in the world. Um, what's going on in the prisons is a disaster. And, um, and so, yeah, there's a whole host of things that he's not doing. And, and look, you know, and then what happens when these folks get out of prison? Like, where's the plan? Like, you know, like, it's not like you jump out of prison. You're like, okay, I'm going to go out to the Hamptons and stay at my Hamptons house for a while. Like, what, you know, mm-hmm. what, what are these people going to do there? You know, there's been, um, you know, I think in the future, we will have a, we will have comprehensive plans for all these things. I would hope, right? Um, we also, like, again, we were driving without, uh, w- there was nobody at the wheel in, uh, in the federal government. Like all of the, to the extent that there was any inertia from the plans that had already been created uh, by uh, Zymer and uh, by uh, Brossel, I think it was, who was a DHS. Zymer was the guy who was head of pandemic planning. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's almost like it's, it almost, it just sounds ridiculous to even say, but yeah, no, they fired the guy in charge of pandemic uh, planning and they had a, uh, a playbook uh, that the NSC had and apparently federal government just basically, you know, the Trump administration, let's, let's, let's be very specific here, just sat on it and didn't pay attention to it, didn't care about it. Um, They decapitated the entire leadership of, of dealing with this specific issue you know, over two years ago. Um, and so, you know, I, I, the bottom line is states, municipalities, counties, they do not have the capacity to deal with things like this. This is one of the, you know, this is why you need a federal government for things like food safety, for the environmental protection, for, for, for massive health policies. This is why you need a federal government um, to provide for uh, the health of its citizens because a state cannot do it. They just don't, we, we are not set up that way. There are not borders on every state. You know, there are not, uh, there are just simply not the resources that are there um, that, you know, a federal government where you have, hundreds of millions of people paying taxes into this is why this is why you need a a, a strong federal government. Okay, so just to push back, because I agree with everything you're saying, but you can't do a show where everybody's agreeing. An argument could be made. I disagree with that, David. (laughs) (laughs) An argument could be made that the U.S. comfort has arrived. Trump sent the, the U.S. comfort. It's sitting there. In the harbor waiting, they have a thousand beds that the the uh, Army Corps of Engineer and Franklin Graham have set up field hospitals in Central Park. We are getting reports of emergency rooms 
in New York City that are overflowing. However, we're not at full capacity quite yet. And there, there, there are stories of not enough ventilators, but at the same time, in terms of blaming Trump, maybe it lands at the feet of Cuomo's. That's what the Republicans are saying, that he should have been better prepared. Any argument there? No. Um, I mean, because we do filter this through our politics. Well, of course, of course. So we're looking to blame Trump again. I I want Trump frog march. Of course. Of course. Of course. Um, I mean, look, uh, there is no one better situated to do these things than the federal government. When Donald Trump is calling this a hoax as of four weeks ago. Right. He's calling it a hoax. Like you don't even have the political cover uh, as a governor of a state to do this. It's like, wait, how are you? Why are you doing this? The 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 federal government has said it's a hoax. Okay. Right. Now, um, in terms of beds, I think we're in pretty good shape in New York. I, I'm a little skeptical of the comfort, to be honest with you. Um, I've had people email me who worked on that vessel. They tell me that the air filtration system in that vessel is not conducive to um, airborne illnesses. I don't know. I'm not an expert on this, but, uh, you know, he suspected that part of that is there is just to make people feel comfortable. All well and good. I think beds are the easiest thing to deal with. Ventilators, uh, personal protection equipment, we're in short supply. If you don't have beds and you don't have um, uh, equipment and you don't have, you know, trained personnel, then you're screwed. And I think in terms of like, trained personnel and uh, beds, New York is probably okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, In terms of like personal protection equipment, I I think there's a real big problem. I mean, uh, you know, the the federal government, they they were selling our own stockpile to other countries as of a couple of days ago because they're so uncoordinated, literally uncoordinated. And um, the idea that you're going to privatize all this and I will also say this, you know, I just spoke to an epidemiologist um, uh, uh, yesterday, interviewed him for, for the majority report. It'll be playing on the majority report. Uh, I think we may just release it on Sundays as a special thing and, and, and on Ring of Fire uh, radio. And um, he, he also completely baffled as to why we did not accept the German made World Health Organization distributed tests. Um, uh, my guess is that it was seen as a business opportunity for somebody close to the Trump administration. And like the idea, like, why would we, why would we take their tests when we could make our own and make a killing? And, um, and I think that's what it was. And Trump and, says they weren't accurate, that some of the test results, it's 50-50. Sometimes you're getting false positives. The first, the first set of tests by the CDC that the CDC put out uh, were a disaster. And that cost us another couple of weeks. Right. But the, but the, 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 the World Health Organization tests, uh, I mean, those are the ones that South Korea is using. Right. And right. Uh, they, you know, they got on it quickly. I mean, this is just one of those classic cases of like, you got to close the barn doors before all the cows get out. Right. So are we handing 
too much power to Trump. He wanted to close the tri-state area down. Cuomo resisted it. I agreed with Trump. Just shut the tri-state area down. And Cuomo said no. Is Are we too... Do you, what do you see in terms of our civil liberties? What do you see in terms of our elections? Are we going to have elections in November? Are we equipped to do mail-in ballots? Well, we could be. We could be. I mean, look, I think there's also a tremendous failure of leadership by the Democrats. And it's just, I think, you know, I, I think they, they are, they have no idea what to do in this situation. Right. And uh, Because they've got Biden. They've the, got it's, I mean, it's, if, it's, if Bernie were the presumptive nominee right now, things would be different. Is that fair to? Uh, of course. I mean, but to also be fair, I think they would be different if they were just about any other Democrat, to be honest with you. I mean, I mean, let's be let's let's be be, you know, honest here. I mean, I think there's there's two things that are operative in terms of like Biden's failure and slowness to respond and the nature of his response. One is sort of his ideological disposition and, you know, his politics of like the early nineties, essentially. Right. Um, and the other is just sort of like, I just don't think he has the energy, uh, you know, level. And there's just not, uh, that does not seem to be the confidence of his, um, of his people in him, you know? Right. And I, I look, I, I, I would also be a lot more worried too, uh, you know, with, with, uh, Bernie, just from a physical standpoint, right? I mean, you know, two 79 year olds, essentially, or whatever, uh, how old, you know, ever, how old, you know, late seventies for these guys. Bernie's uh, doing a pretty, I'm going to push back on that. If you've watched any of his town halls, oh, he's without a doubt, without a doubt. I'm just saying that in terms of like the coronavirus, uh, you know, it is, uh, people that age are highly susceptible to it. Um, and, uh, I mean, yes, I think Biden's been a disaster. I think Schumer's been a disaster. I think Pelosi's been a disaster. Um, and I think they've been bad in terms of like messaging and making sure the public understood what was going on with uh, Donald Trump and his, you know, just sort of uh, lies and failure to respond. I think they were uh, bad in terms of the stimulus. I think they have been bad in terms of like um, uh, promoting other things. I think Biden had a, you know, a golden opportunity to show leadership. And it really just became like we we need a cookie now because we figured out how to work Zoom and and, and right. Joe Biden's uh, you know house. I mean right. honestly, I mean look at you. With all due respect, I mean <laughs> I, I mean you you set it up. Yes, right. I mean I mean this is not rocket science, uh, and, and you know like we should be able as a country to have a leader who can set up a live stream from his house, right, or or staff. That can. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not saying that, that he needs to be in there, you know, like, hold on, I've got this old Mac Mini, I need to upgrade my memory on it, I'm going to, you know, open it up and put it in. I'm not asking him to do that. Right. Uh, I can do that, but I don't expect a, but, but he should have somebody on his staff who can do that. Yeah. Or even Sam, just like order a freaking computer. Sam Cedar, I promise to keep this short, you are the host of the Majority Report, Monday through Friday. What time do you launch it live? We go live noon Eastern. Also, we uh, we just launched. Um, you know, I took a, it was a good time for me to do a business venture. Uh, <laughs> I had a sense something like this would come up. Uh, we we're doing uh, the AM Quickie, which is a uh, five to seven minute morning briefing, if you will, 
uh, of the news. It's written by a couple of great guys, Jack Crosby and uh, Corey Pine, uh, who you may or may not be familiar with. And um, myself and um, uh, Lucy Steiner switch off reading it, depending on when I've got to take care of my kids. And uh, that's free. You just get that. It, it should be in your podcast feed by 8 a.m. or so. Fantastic. Fantastic. And follow you on Twitter and be well. I don't, no, don't follow me on Twitter. I don't care. Oh, okay. I mean, do, do it if you want, but I don't care. Okay. I don't thank, waste. Thank you, thank you sir. Thank act. you. David, thank you. Thank you. Stand the line for one quick second, Sam. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized hump. St. Paul's Lutheran was founded in 1858. It is located at Market and Six in historic downtown Wilmington, North Carolina. Joining us is Pastor Jonathan Conrad. He is the senior pastor at St. Paul's. Welcome back, Pastor Jonathan Conrad. It's my pleasure, sir. Thank you for inviting me back. Thank you for doing this. You know, we trash organized religion on the show, science first, and we blame Donald Trump and the evangelicals for a lot of our ills. There is a place for organized religion. There is a place for people like Pastor Jonathan Conrad, especially now. I have never seen people as distressed as they are right now, as frightened as they are right now. And they can't go to church. They can't go to their mosque or temple. What uh, what are you encountering? I'm encountering a lot of frustration and, like you said, a lot of stress and worry. Uh, I believe the word that we would find in the book of Psalms is a lot of fretting going along with it. And um, you, you get the frustration, like you said, people who are used to coming to church and seeing people, and now they can. And for us ministers and, and uh, leaders of faith uh, organizations, you know, we were trained to be out with the people and to, for, like for me, to be here at the house now for over two weeks, uh, almost just total isolation. It's it's hard, mm-hmm. and it's very difficult because it really goes against the intent of your call to be mm-hmm. with the people. And I should mention that the pastor has a website where you can go and listen to his daily devotionals. It's www.pjconrad.com. His latest right. sermon is entitled A Savior, a Woman, a Virus, and a Kingdom. Sounds like a setup to a Jackie the Joke Man joke. <laughs> a Savior, a Woman, a Virus, and a Kingdom. Or at least a, a, a Karnak. You're too right, to right. Card. I, I don't think it. In, I, I think it may have included the midget too, but I'm not sure. It's been a couple. <laughs> so people should go there, and uh, you you talk about the Jews and the the Samaritans and the Samaritan mm-hmm. women. Who were the Samaritans? We always hear about the Good Samaritans, the the people right. who, as I understand it, a Good Samaritan would be a doctor driving his kids 
to get some pizza. There's a car accident. He stops, tends to the the wounded. He's a good Samaritan, and then he gets sued. <laughs> That's, is, that my, right. is that how it works? I, he gets sued by his kids for yeah. keeping them from their food. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, well, the, uh, the Samaritan were considered uh, in the Jewish community uh, half-breeds, uh, not of pure Jewish blood. Hmm. And uh, I, I use the uh, example that you would find in the Harry Potter books, the uh, mudbloods, those who are not of pure wizard blood. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of animosity between these two races, if you will. And um, Jerusalem, the Jewish people thought the only place you could worship God was in Jerusalem. And, not, and the Samaritans had their own mount where they thought that they would worship the true God. So there was a lot of worshiping involved there. There's also the story that when the Jews were going to rebuild their home after uh, coming back from being thrown out by the Babylonians, that the Samaritans offered to help, but the Jewish people said, no, we don't want your help. So a lot of animosity built up over hundreds of years. You, uh, in your sermon, you say, I see the kingdom at work at the people who are working at the grocery stores, trying to restock unnecessary items, taking time out of their lives, their families, so that we have what we need. When you say, I see the kingdom at work, are you talking about heaven? What is the kingdom? Yeah, it's, um, I consider the kingdom of God. Um, kingdom of God has a double meaning, at least it does to me. First, kingdom of God, as you said, is heaven, like the ultimate place. But there's also the bringing the kingdom here, as, mm-hmm. as Jesus in his in his time on earth, he would say the kingdom is near, or now the kingdom has come. And so he's trying to bring the idea of the kingdom uh, among the people. And so that's where that visual of, well, where do we see the kingdom at work? And it, like you said earlier, the idea of the Good Samaritan and someone who really had no reason to help someone who was injured does. So mm-hmm. that's a sign of kingdom work. And I see a lot of that and hear a lot of that now of people who are helping out one another. And you know, I still think about the doctors and the nurses and those who are like in ground zero in, in hospitals and like you up in New York, uh, you know, the people who are there in the middle of everything and knowing that they are doing the kingdom work, even though it may be hard to see that at times. Right. And some are doing actual kingdom work. Some of us are hiding in their apartments, doing their radio show and podcast and and making jokes. Not necessarily essential. You are an essential worker. So tell me what we're up against, because funerals now can't be held. Right. Right. Uh, I think our, one of our local funeral homes here, they are only doing gravesides. And, and even then, you're talking about limiting the number of people to less than 10. I think uh, one of the numbers I heard was ideally six to eight at the most. And when you're thinking of funerals, that's going to that cuts it down quite a bit from what you normally expect from a, a funeral or even a graveside. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it really does hinder the the normal machinations of church life and of life. I mean, everything has shut down. And I, I think that that's really what's getting it, people, David, is that total shutdown of just about everything in society. 
and we we had no idea what if this would be like it's it's kind of like it's another version of the walking dead i mean i see people on on tv and people talking to i mean we all have this dead look we're not zombies but we're pretty close to it Mm -hmm. well what's going on in north carolina well uh north carolina uh we uh we're trying to catch up really quickly with uh, the other states when it came to this. Uh, I just saw a headline that we just passed 2,000 cases statewide, and the first case was just a month ago. Right. So it's spreading pretty quickly. But now that the governor has put a shelter-in-place edict, and, and I'm hoping that that's going to help flatten the curve, as they say. I just don't think it's going to flatten for at least another three weeks or so at the earliest. Right. And schools are closed? Schools are closed. And uh, my son was just in his first year as kindergarten, and uh, we have started doing the homeschool. The teachers have been working really hard at getting lessons planned, and they just started the at-school or, excuse me, at-home process on Wednesday. So now in the morning I help teach my son, which is probably a detriment to his overall education. It's me teaching him, but we're trying. <laughs> and so that's, that's going to be kind of a nice way of getting him to continue to learn. Right. And, uh, cause I, and I really feel bad uh, for the teachers cause they work so hard and they're trying as hard as they can. Um, and again, it's just, you know, my kids and they're six and three years old and they really, don't have a grasp of fully what's going on and i'm kind of grateful for that because i think it'd be too much to see them struggle like we are it's a a double blow because you're afraid of catching the virus and then you feel guilty because at the same time you're worried about money and your job and right in america your health insurance because it's linked to your job so you're afraid of your health and you're afraid for your financial security. How do you recommend that people come out of this? Because, I mean, some of us will not survive this and some uh, will survive it, but not survive it financially. Uh, We're trained to believe that every crisis is an opportunity. Uh, That's almost human resilience it's what it's how we survive so how how should we look at this i mean you have to look at everything as a gift right 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 well i i would really recommend to people to let me try to think of a couple things here and i mean it sounds really good in my head but then when i use the actual words to it it kind of sounds a little muddled First thing is I think this will give us a greater appreciation of seeing and talking to one another face to face and, and not just through telephone or through Zoom. I, I think that, that there'll be a better appreciation of actual contact with people. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that that will linger <laughs> and not just be a fact. <clears throat> Excuse me. And also like, uh, I, I'm glad the weather was better today for us, so we got to get the kids out in the backyard for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And really appreciate that time outside, and you still hear the birds. So the birds are going around like it's normal. 
but kind of just that outdoor, I suggested the other day I was on a local TV show about people finding time to be in the backyard or front yard, whatever they have, garden or read a book or just you know, meditate, if mm-hmm. you will, and uh, do the best you can uh, with that. But I, I think just a better appreciation of contact and also taking things for granted, like <clears throat> I've been a sports fan. I mean, before I got into this, I went into radio because I love sports. I wanted to call games and do sports news. And there's just no sports now. And you, I just didn't realize how much I would read about sports every day until there wasn't any. So right. I have a more appreciation of all those sports when they eventually come back. Well, the things that you've lost, do you reevaluate them and wonder, well, maybe... I didn't necessarily need them. And when they come back, maybe I won't pay as close attention to them as I used to. Is that a possibility? I think so. Like for one thing is, you know, we've, we've eaten in house for two weeks now. And even though every once in a while I would, I would, I was, I was going to say I would kill somebody, but I would probably really name someone for a good hamburger. But you know, things like that. I'm, like, I'm learning that like we can just we can just be sustainable of what we have in the house. So right. we don't have to get extra food. Right. Um, so and uh, and be careful with the resources we have. You know, we don't waste paper towels. We don't waste those kind of things. Right. Uh, so it, it's brought us to be more mindful of what we have. And like you said, the stuff we don't need, I, I really don't miss. Right. Control. We're, we don't have control over this virus, so we feel weak. At the same time, and I'm not trying to be a Pollyanna here, we we did make some choices, and there are some things we can control. We shut down the economy. That was our choice. Usually when we have a financial crisis, it comes out of nowhere, catches us by surprise. We've chosen to shut this economy down. And that speaks volumes to what we're capable of doing and, and, and our moral center that we said, you know what? There are more important things than money and success. There's safety. We chose to shut this economy down so we can make other choices in our lives. And when we turn the economy back on, maybe we can choose to make it run a different way for for the people who deliver our food, perhaps. Maybe we're discovering who's really essential and who isn't. Do you see that happening? When you were talking, um, I did take a nap, so you'll probably have to repeat that. <laughs> but, uh, but aside from that, and I mean that with all due respect, of course. Uh, you know what? I, I, I think I'm converting. You got me. You got me. <laughs> Thank you. Um, by the way, that wasn't the joke I, I was going to share with you that I really think that would get me in the writer's room. But uh, <laughs> we can do that later. You can have the appropriate soundbite afterwards. Yeah. Um, but getting back to what you were saying, I, I have this idea that when, when we come back and, there, and we call it the new normal, because I don't really think we're going to go back to the way it was. And at least if we do, it, we're, I'm, it's going to take a while. But like the, the so-called celebrities that really depend on their social media mm-hmm. and um, like, you know, 
I got to have people following, you know, I'm going to say something outrageous on Twitter or Instagram. And they probably don't mean half of the stuff they do, but they're trying to do it because the more clicks means more money. And I think more people will be like, you know, I really don't care what this person thinks. You know, I, I, I care about what I think. I care about my friends think. I really don't care what this person with the, uh, five million followers thinks or does. So maybe there's going to be a less of an interest in people that we don't know. Maybe go back to, you know, we enjoy rock stars. We enjoy Hollywood stars, but we don't have to hang on every word they say. It, it's truly incredible how uncritically we look at people in the arts. I don't, I don't even know if we want to call rock stars or Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard in the arts. One of the things that I just found so curious is things come into my feed that I didn't ask for. And I'm yeah. hearing about Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard and how they're shaping their brand by telling their tenants that they don't have to pay rent for a month. And then right. there's this backlash of, wait a second, Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard, I don't even know who they are. They're landlords and people are getting pissed off. They're, they're realizing, oh my God, they're multimillionaires who are branding yeah. themselves and they're so out of touch. They think a good message to their followers is we're letting our tenants go a month without rent. And Pharrell Williams, Pharrell, you know, happy that guy tweeted out, yeah. you know, really innocuously, hey, you know, the hospitals could use some money. Why don't you donate? And <laughs> people started, you donate, you rich bastard. <laughs> I mean, the, the pushback. And I'm thinking, you know, I understand why people hate me, but. To turn on Pharrell, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it properly. I don't know. I don't know sure, if we're. It sounds good. I don't know if we're capable of changing as a country. I, I I see us going back to worshiping, or at least being fascinated with zeros. You know, people who really have nothing to say but are pleasant to look at or they sound pleasant. Not that for, I'm not talking about Pharrell Williams and I, Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard. I don't really know who they are. I have a rough idea who they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're not hurting anybody. Uh, or maybe they are. I don't, I don't know. But one of the, one of the things that just I found stunning watching my kids grow up is how they and their friends had such uncritical eyes when it came to movies and television shows and fandom and Comic-Con and worshiping stuff that they were being marketed to and obeying their corporate overlords and celebrating cereals and products and lining up around the block for a cupcake. And it always felt uh, foolish and too forgiving of capitalism and celebrity. I can't imagine people changing, though. I can't imagine it. Probably, yeah, we're probably being too pie in the sky, thinking that there's going to be a lot of lasting change. I, I just don't. I, I don't think it's in our DNA to do it. I really don't. I mean, I would love to see 
some changes. But I mean, I, I don't know Dak Shepard or Kristen Bell on a personal level. I mean, from what I've read and seen, I think they are legitimately good people. But I think it's in, in this again that it's the dangers of social media because it's like if 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 uh, if you just say to your tenants, "Don't worry about the rent this month," we understand, and you left it at that. You know, the people are going to be appreciative of your tenants, the people you're you're supposed to care for. But when you throw it out into the public domain like that, you're going to have people who, like you said, are going to be like, whoa, 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 how much money do you have? Or, you know, they start making it more than what it was supposed to be, maybe. Yeah, and, I mean, um, or if I'm giving $100,000 to this COVID-19 charity, how about you just give the money quietly and not tell us? Right. Donated. Right. Yeah. And there's always kind of that sense. It was, uh, I think last time we were talking, uh, Tom Brady was about to sign with Tampa Bay or so, but I was saying how it just kind of felt like a, I felt like someone was filming this whole thing and I wouldn't be surprised if it's going to be a documentary someday. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of felt all worked and it was all work. And so I think that maybe people will start looking at when people do something, what's the, What's the real point of them doing it? And, um, and uh, sadly, it seems to always be something underneath, but I don't want to cast aspersions and think that I'm being all pure and holy because I mean, I'm human too. I may want to meet somebody to meet someone that person knows, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's just a, a human thing. And, uh, so I don't want it to sound like this is evil. We're just, I, I think it's just kind of a complacency. Or like you said, uh, you, people following the wrong idols, mm-hmm. the wrong lead. Right, right. I'm looking. Kelly Ripa donates one million dollars to fund coronavirus relief efforts. Uh, well, I, I might uh, send her a note to see if she can send some down our way. Yeah, that'd be nice. And uh, Kristen Bell donates a year's supply of diapers to a family impacted by Tennessee tornadoes. Uh, Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard waive April rent for their tenants. Uh, that is uh, something unseemly about that, about making sure your publicists get that word out that you did that. I mean, it's not like you're see, setting... I can see where you're thinking that, yeah. It's not like... Yeah. Because, you know, I read that Kelly Ripa donates a million dollars to coronavirus. I think, well, I should donate a million dollars to, uh, I mean, anyway. Well, I think also, and I, again, I don't want us to, to, to bash these people because they, they may be doing it in a way to like say, hey, this is what I did. Uh, respond. Can you do something where you're at? Oh, maybe they were trying to speak out to their other friends in, in the music and Hollywood industry. They're like, you know, we did this. Can you do this? I, yeah, but I you don't, don't, know. You don't have to attach a number to it. It's kind of tacky, mm-hmm. unseemly, and it it's a it's a sign of where we're at as a people. It's one thing to right. to donate money. Uh, before you go. How do people contact you? Uh, the people can reach me on Twitter at, at PJ Conrad. 
Um, you can find me on Facebook, Jonathan Conrad. I think it's like Jonathan period Conrad period 524. I'm not sure, but you see a picture of somebody who looks really strange. It's probably me. Mm-hmm. Click on it. There I am. Uh, and also www.pjconrad.com. That's the personal website. And our church's website is stpaulswilmington.org. Right. And you're a fan of professional wrestling, we should mention. I, I am a fan of professional wrestling. I, I don't get to watch too much of it these days, but I keep up with it. Uh, I'm a lover of uh, comic books, and uh, my wife and I are finally getting into Star Trek Picard because we needed to watch something that was not news-specific, but, you know, yeah. I like mysteries. Now I start to sound like I'm doing an ad for Tinder, and that's not really what I'm <laughs> intending to do here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. All right, and did you, you said you had a joke or something? Oh, yes. Well, you know, uh, it, it may be a strong term to say, but uh, I was just going to share with you the uh, virus. You don't even know us. <laughs> that's so bad. Does that get me in the writer's room? Yeah, that's so bad. I can't <laughs> believe I didn't come up with it. Thank you, Pastor. <laughs> it's still not too late. I- I bet when the next time you talk to Dave Cyrus, you probably get a, a chuckle. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, stay on the line for one quick second. Thank you. Yes, sir. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Joe DeVito joins us from Brooklyn, Queens, one of the Long brothers. Island, Long Island, down from the suburbs. Hi. Hi there, Joe DeVito. What, what are we plugging here? What, what gigs can we plug? <laughs> well, um, later today, I'll be walking from the living room to my bedroom. That's very exciting. <laughs> I guess if I, I the what I can plug for people is if uh, you're bored, you can go to drybarcomedy.com slash Joe D and watch my comedy special I recorded last year. And that's right. free. Free. So can, and we'll yeah. talk about your cruise ship. You were. Oh, oh. Before the lockdown started, I got an email from you telling me I'm doing a cruise ship. Yeah. I'm serious. And I thought, well, that's interesting because there was the, the princess cruise was stuck in Oakland and they weren't letting people off when you boarded some cruise ship. So what happened? When, when did you go on a cruise ship? I went on a cruise ship uh, pretty much the day the shit all went down. Um, I flew to Costa Rica. And as and of course, it shows you how rapidly all this happened that I was the week before I was in contact with the agent saying, Hey, is this, is this going to happen? And he said, don't worry about it. Everything's good. They wouldn't, they wouldn't put you on the ship if there was going to be a problem. They don't Mm -hmm. want you to get stuck on it. So like an idiot, I believed that did not realize that as the entertainer, I'm pretty much, uh, you know, they'll just feed me the sharks if there's any problem. Right. So I get to Costa Rica and while we're going through customs, you know, we're, we're all reading the messages, you know, maintain six feet of distance. And I thought like, well, this is kind of strange. And then I have to say it was a very surreal experience being on the ship because as the days went by, the protocol, 
calls were getting more and more severe that they were starting to like the buffet. You can no longer serve yourself. Um, someone had to hand the food to you and they were behind plexi wearing gloves. And then the moment you were done eating, someone came and sprayed the table and then they sprayed with something you couldn't wipe down. You had to let it air dry. So it's kind of, it was pretty stressful because, you know, I would go up to the deck to just sit in the sun and write and read because I certainly didn't want to interact with anybody because everybody on a cruise ship is 4,000 fucking years old that I'm in the theater. Every time someone coughed, I flinched. <laughs> old people cough constantly because they're already dying of something. You know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're already. So it, it was, was the USS comorbidity. I guess. Oh my God. Ship, I mean, right? this was like the, the fucking Amistad went to set sail after this. So, it was really weird. I'd be sitting in a folding chair and think, oh, you know, I'm getting some sun. This is great. But my arm touched the armrest and I might get a deadly virus. <laughs> so you, to simultaneously have those thoughts, uh-huh. you know, and then, then when you go up on stage and obviously I couldn't mention it, you know. Right. Uh, so it just felt weird to be talking about other things when that was on everyone's mind. Um, and then so let me I, peel this back for one second. Yeah. You were booked on a cruise ship. You had to fly from New York to Costa Rica? Yeah, to pick up the ship. Because the way they, they do it, this is the only second ship I've, I've ever done. Um, probably be the last. I don't know if the industry is coming back. Uh, but what they do is they have the entertainers come on halfway through the cruise, so that way the people who are on for the week see two different comedians and two different um, you know, ventriloquists or actors or, or, or um, acrobats, rather, or whatever the entertainment is. So, and when did you fly to Costa Rica? What was the date? Oh shit! It was like um, uh, it was like it, it was Saturday. like two two weeks ago, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it was two weeks. It was right. I'm serious. It was the day the shit hit the fan. Yeah. So it was. Um, I couldn't wait to get off, you know. And then, well, hang on. So you two weeks ago, I haven't left my apartment. Yeah. For three years. <laughs> And I haven't, I have not been outside for two weeks. I'm getting my groceries yeah. through Instacart. God bless the the workers. They are truly on the front lines. They are the first responders. They are essential. Uh, you, on the other hand, were in Costa Rica. What was Costa Rica like two weeks ago? Were they well, were they worried about the coronavirus? I was only really there just to get on the ship which was, again, an annoying feature of this. I thought, well, I'll have a day to kill in Costa Rica. And by the time I get to the hotel, it was about um, – it was that Saturday. It was about 9 p.m. And I check in, and they say, oh, you're getting on the ship tomorrow? Meet us in the lobby at 6 a.m. And I was like, god damn it. Like, my, my experience in Costa Rica was checking into hotel and, re, and uh, redeeming a meal voucher across the street <laughs> at the Denny's. I actually ate at a Denny's in Costa Rica. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. But this was crazy. Like, we – um. One of our ports of call, the the night I performed, I come off stage and the entertainment director said, oh, they don't know this yet, but we're not docking in Cartagena tomorrow because Columbia won't let us. Mm-hmm. So, and I said, that's a shame because I have four pounds of cocaine up my ass right now. Now, why would I bring cocaine to Columbia? That's another, that's another question for another joke. But I'm yeah, looking so at they Costa would, Rica, just so you know, yeah, not to be... Glib or light. There are 375 cases 
yeah. of, of uh, coronavirus and two people have passed away. So yeah. Uh, you know what? It seems like Latin America has been, it hasn't been as bad there as you would expect. It hasn't gotten there the way it came from, you know, the way it's hit the other countries. So this, this ship, I believe, started in L.A. They picked me up in Costa Rica. We went through the Panama Canal. We were supposed to stop in Cartagena, and they wouldn't let us. And then we were at sea, and then we went back to Florida. So by the time I got back to Florida, I just was thinking, like, please just let me be able to get home. And I was lucky enough to do that. And as soon as I got home, I... I I would have quarantined myself, obviously, because I've been on a ship. I'm lucky I've felt fine. Well, I have to say, I haven't felt... Uh, it's so funny how a lot of the symptoms of corona, you read them, and you're like, oh, that's just kind of how I feel all the time because I'm over 50. So, but I found I'm also... I've been doing that thing that people have been doing where you think back and you're like, oh, I think I already had it. Mm-hmm. Oh, remember that sore throat I had in 1988? I think it was gone. <laughs> so, um, that was a extremely, let's just say that it was not particularly fun to be doing those performances. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you're okay. And you're self quarantining. Yeah. I, the day after I got back, I went to the supermarket. I mean, you know, I'm in the suburbs, so I walked to the place next door. Um, and they had us, I got there, they opened at eight and I got there a little after quarter, quarter past eight. And they have, um, everybody was lined up because they're only letting a few people in at a time. And I stocked up. Um, Do you have a mask? I have um, not a surgical mask, but I have some thermal masks that I've been wearing when I go out and I just make sure I wash them when I get home. Right. Um, and your SNM mask with the ball gag. The leather mask is a little bit harder to keep clean. Uh-huh. I have been wiping that down with um, some guitar polish. Uh, yeah, it's it's strange how, but you have to touch things. It, it's the weirdest thing that. Wh- where do you draw these lines? Um, I've never been someone who liked to have people near me to begin with. So, I mean, we're all doing that joke about, I've been social isolating for years, but it made me realize that I've, I really um, have been li- living kind of a, a monastic life to begin with. But um, thank God. I mean, I go out once a day. I go for a walk. There's nobody around. I mean, we're still allowed to do that. Not but I'm really. Not going- in New York City, I've been told, stay well, in, inside. In, don't in New York don't City- stress the system. Yeah, in New York City, they're telling people to do that. But where I live, I can, you know, I can go for a forty-five-minute walk and not see anyone near me. Like people are just not out. Right. I'm. So, I'm in Manhattan, and yeah, it's a. It, you hear sirens in the mm. background. Uh, yeah, I've noticed. Well, toilet paper. Can you explain to me now? I'm a vegan. What is this obsession with toilet paper? I think, I don't know, between the masks and the toilet paper, someone got the the idea that it was just, just paper both ends of your body. <laughs> just paper it up. Some people should wear a mask on the opposite end down there, <laughs> I should. think. That would, yeah. <laughs> that would help in certain situations, wouldn't it, if people wore masks down there? Well, I'd say that um, one thing with all the people wearing the masks, I'm in favor of it because I never realized how ugly so many people are. So, 
I appreciate it. I appreciate the mask. Um, yeah, you know what? This is a strange thing, too, that when I got home, I looked in the closet and I realized, oh, I was hoarding toilet paper and I wasn't even aware of it. Right. So right. I've got plenty. I think what happened was someone... There's so a lot another, of wiping going on. I, 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 there, yeah. More than is necessary, or there's something wrong with your diet. I don't mean to judge, but mm. th- this fear of... It, we're an obese country, I guess, right? Isn't it like 40% of this country is oh, obese? Oh, I think it's, I think it's more, than, more than half. I think it's 60%. It's hard to tell because the people are so fat that they skew the numbers that... You know, 40% of people now feels like 60% of people because they're so overweight. They're just taking up more right. space. So um, trapped in your home, there are noises and sounds all day that you weren't aware of, right? You're really beginning I, well, to familiarize yourself with the building and your neighbors. Well, most of those sounds have been coming out of my body, which is kind of unpleasant. <laughs> that I didn't realize that. Uh, yeah. You know what the strange thing is that? Whenever I'm home for extended periods of time, for some reason I go on this shower rationing program. Like, there's no reason for me not to shower every day. But I'm washing my hands constantly, and I'm showering twice a week. I mean, I I looked at my laundry basket, and there was, like, two pieces of clothing in it. And I thought, I really need I need to change my clothes. Like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm living like... um. I don't know which which disaster movie are you comparing your life to because I feel like I'm in the very dawn of the dead trapped in the mall kind of thing or the movie The Road I feel like that's where I'm headed. <laughs> what What's, disaster what disaster movie am I comparing this to? Yeah, what what apocalyptic vision have you found yourself in the midst of? That's a great question. I don't know. Uh I I'd have to think about that. When Harry met Harry, I'm just <laughs> alone. And yeah. I understand why I'm alone. After two weeks in isolation, I understand why I'm completely alone. It, it makes perfect sense to me. A lot of things have been clarified. Right? I mean, uh, uh, are you able to use it as, I'm using this isolation time almost as a meditation. I feel yeah. like, uh, and I'm being serious here, that I've really it has clarified a lot of things, you know, I, I think part of it too is that I realized how there were things I was worried about three weeks ago, how silly they are. Um, mm-hmm. um, one of them, I just got a huge shipment of Vista print cards and I was looking at them thinking I've got handouts. Like, will there be handouts again? Will there be a time where you interact with strangers and you hand them a piece of something you've, you've been touching you know, I, I'm, I'm just starting to think we're going to have a major reorganization of our society. After Are this. we? Are we? I, I think so. I think there's a lot of businesses and industries that have been hanging on by a thread and we didn't even realize it. And I think they're not going to come back. I don't think there's going to be classrooms anymore unless it's for nursing or med school where you have labs or a trade school. But I think the idea of sitting in a classroom while a teacher talks to you about the humanities i don't think that's going to happen i think all those that's all going to become university of phoenix and you do it from home and that means colleges have to change the colleges the college experience that's not going to be a thing anymore and that's a that's a business model that's been ready to implode for a long time 
I agree with you on that. I yeah. believe that there's been a lot of waste. The people who make the most money in colleges are the non-essentials, the administrators. Exactly. It would be nice to get rid of all the administrators from hospitals and universities and pay the people who do the real work. Yeah. But as a stand-up comic Oof. and as a professor, we're, you know, you're a teacher in a way. Mm -hmm. You do teach, actually. You teach comedy. We yeah. need human interaction. We We cannot live virtually. We crave... Congre congregating with others. That's what, that's yep. what religion, religion can't survive unless people are crammed on top of one another inside a mosque or a temple yeah. or a church. So, yeah, I, I think um, that, that you're right. And, and it's interesting since you're there, what this means, I haven't missed beat. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're, you're, this is the first Time. We're using Zoom. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. The, yeah, my. This is yeah. the first time I'm having a little trouble with the connection on Zoom. Interesting. Yeah, I think of my internet guy. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, so I, I haven't missed being on stage, but I was missing my students. I was missing that interaction. And we did um, the first comedy class last night using Zoom, and it was it worked perfectly. So right away I thought, okay. Now the idea that we need to gather people up in a classroom to do this, it, it just isn't necessary. So, but as far as performing. And, there, and there's a level of efficiency. I mean, it's all about productivity. Yeah. So instead of teaching one class in mm -hmm. Manhattan, you can teach 20 classes to students all over the world. Yeah. There was a student in the class last night who is in London. I didn't realize. And she said, it's midnight here. And I said to her, well, then whatever we do, you go first. Cause I don't want you to be completely wiped out. Um, you know, the class is three hours for Pete's sake. Um, so, yeah, I what I'm hoping, and I know this is not going to last, but I'm hoping that when this shakes out, we'll have we will have realized that the people we've put at the top of our attention pyramid and the people we've had at the bottom, we need to flip that. Yeah, because, I was thinking that. Absolutely. I was thinking yeah. before we started that mm. the, the least essential are the ones in charge. It, it to me, I shouldn't be surprised, but now that we've um, that the pipeline of attention to celebrities has been turned off, the way they are like heroin addicts, they're junkies, that they're posting these videos of themselves in their mansions looking sad and mm -hmm. thinking that's not a completely gross display. It, it, whereas before we were completely locked down, I went to the local CVS and. They had marked and taped the six feet for people to stand. Mm -hmm. They had um, a folding table in front of the cashier so you couldn't get too close. And I looked at these, you know, this woman behind the counter wearing gloves, ringing up everyone's prescriptions. I thought, this woman is a hero. Right. I mean, she doesn't have to come to this job. She could have told them to go scratch. So we're realizing that, like, oh, the people who really keep our world running are cashiers, um, garbage collectors, nurses, orderlies, homes, like all these people who do the real work and that celebrities and all this other stuff, they're, they're, they're parasites. They're, they're, they're gross pathological, you know, fleas on us. So, yeah, not, I, not that I ever paid attention to any of these people mm. 
but Kristen Bell keeps coming up on my newsfeed. Mm-hmm. And every day I'm reading about Kristen Bell. I don't know who she is. <laughs> and she seems, you know, camera ready and yeah. talks about how difficult her life was. Today on my newsfeed, Kristen Bell was saying that she w- was told th- throughout her career that she was too unattractive to be an actress. And yeah. she said, well, can't I just act even if I'm not attractive? And I'm looking at her, so who told you you weren't attractive? And why are you telling me this? And why are you in my newsfeed? And why do I have to know that Dax Shepard and yeah. she are married and that they're landlords? And now they're hypocrites because they're yeah. landlords, because they're so out of touch. And I'm thinking... Get off my news feed. What, why are yeah, you in yeah. my, who are you? Who is, who are these people? And I just think about my kids and their generation and they love these people. They follow, you know, they follow, they have an uncritical eye towards yeah. culture. And I'm wondering if we're going to develop a critical eye, have some critical thinking when it comes to culture. But yeah. are these people really necessary? These movies that we have to see and these celebrities who have to speak out. Maybe we're going to put away our childish things. Uh, I would hope so. I, I don't think that's going to happen. But if it just happens for a little while, I would be I would be very relieved and I would be pleased if we just at least give these people who are really doing some work a, a moment, you know, when this. However, this settles down, you know, it, it's so hard to even visualize. Oh, how, how, how is your family, by the way? Is, are, are they safe and sound or, or? who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I keep a list of those who have contacted me and yeah. checking up on me. I resent mm-hmm. uh, young people asking if I need anything. Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah. It, um, that is funny too. When I hear people say the disease, it's most dangerous for older people. And then I'm like, what a relief. And they say, yeah, people 50 and older. And I'm like, right. fuck you. <laughs> you know, like, wait a minute. Right. Um, so what happens to stand up? I talked to Aaron Berg. Yeah. I talked to Dave Cyrus. I talked to Kevin Bartini. They're not particularly optimistic in the short term, in the long term, how many months can go by for these clubs, for these comics, and for these audiences? What What's going on with comedy audiences? It seemed like until this happened, comedy was here to stay. I was told the famous yeah. phrase, this time it's different. You know, I've lived through so many booms and busts with comedy, but I was told this time it's different. And I believe that. I, I, I thought that comedy is so entrenched in our national psyche that it will never go away. What's going to happen to these comedy clubs? Well, I hate to say it. I think just like most service businesses, most bars and most restaurants, um, I think, I don't want to say most, but many of them will have to close their doors. But will they reopen? Will other comedy clubs replace them. I think long-term 
there are, there are certain things that can't be duplicated outside of a live environment. And I think stand-up comedy will always be one of those things. Uh, I, I wasn't performing during the 80s boom, but even if you go back before that, I think if we look at examples of when home video came out, people said, that's the end of movies. And that right. wasn't the case. Just as they said, television was the end of the movies. And just as they said, cable TV was going to ruin right. live stand-up. Um, yeah, it had an effect and it made there was a hit for some people. I, I just don't think that as much as people like to share videos on their phones, and that seems to be a direction that that humor and comedy have been shared in, that will never replace going to see a live show. But I don't know when people are going to be comfortable gathering in groups again. And but this happened after 9-11. I mean, everybody was afraid. But see, 9-11, brief... it wasn't well, even... Well, hang on for one second. Thing. Hang on more mm. for one Right after 9-11, we were convinced that anybody can walk into a comedy club mm. and do God knows what with some plastique or a gun. Yeah. Everywhere we go, we're vulnerable. I remember that. Yeah. But people people were willing to live with a certain amount of risk that David Feldman wouldn't be performing and they'd come out and see. Yeah, then that was the bombing they were most afraid yeah. of experiencing, yes. So uh, we're willing to put up with some risk, right? Well, what's strange is... This, this experience, it's, it's so weird because it's not quite like 9-11 because one of the things about 9-11 was afterward, people could come together and we, we're not able to do that now. You can't put your arm around somebody. You can't deliver a meal to someone and share it with them the way we were able to heal that way. So, but it's not like people have said, well, is it like AIDS? But like, no, it wasn't like AIDS because once they figured out what AIDS was, it was pretty easy to avoid exposing yourself to it with your behavior. You know, Speak because, for yourself, young man. <laughs> well, you know, but you know what I'm saying? Like you could make choices that would completely eliminate your risk. Once, once we understood, I mean, you know, it, once the blood supply was cleaned up and all that. Um, so in a way it's, it's more like the zombie movies in a way that you don't know if the person you're with has this, bug you know so it's different We're, i'm not is sure there an, it wasn't there don't you feel there's some inevitability to this we were already veering towards isolation to yeah. a virtual world all mm. it took was just one event to tip it well you're right i mean look how how connected the world is this couldn't have happened at another time in history because there was no other time in history where you could go across the globe in mass numbers in, in a day. Mm -hmm. it, it just, you know, one of the things... But I'm talking about the change in our lifestyle, that the oh, idea yeah. that of staying home, mm -hmm. working from home, yeah, being isolated. We were moving there with, you know, pornography. Yeah. You know, most, you know, there, there's an epidemic of young men who are impotent from pornography. Yeah. I hate to sound like a scold, but we're already self-isolating and alone. Well, in, in a way, we, we've we been kind of prepared for it. Yeah. I have to say this. It feels um, like a social experiment. This is my tinfoil mm, hat speaking. Yeah. But it does feel like a social experiment. It feels like somebody said, what if there were a pandemic? Let's see mm -hmm. what how we can change, how much change would be necessary. Go ahead. I'm interrupting. Oh, 
uh, well, I do feel like, yeah, does this mean that the world now becomes, if you have a job where you can work from home, you do, and you never leave your home, and the other people just have jobs producing and delivering things to those people? Is that what our society and economy becomes? Do we, do we start to become like weird insects in that way? Um, as far as the pornography goes, uh, I spent my first couple days in isolation uh, organizing my pornography. That was the mm-hmm. first thing I did where I went through some old hard drives and made sure I had everything in the proper form. Oh, I thought you, when you said organize, I thought like you were helping them join a union. <laughs> no, they're on their own this, this time. Um, and what I realized is that now um, I don't enjoy it. Uh, you know, I was trying to watch something the other day. You know, I realized a lot of porno clips, they all start with a misunderstanding, don't they? There's always some sort of someone thought they were there to clean the pool on the wrong day or, mm-hmm. you know, if they just would have had the money for the pizza ready. Right. Uh, but but now I feel like I can't get past that, you know, that I was watching one at the end. She said something like, so do I get a good grade? And I'm like, but I, this guy wasn't a teacher. You're on a job interview. Like, <laughs> you know, you you have to respect the scene. OK, I mean. What would Del Close say? What would Del Close say about what you, you did there? So, his, his middle name was Don't Stand So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be very strange how we reorganize ourselves. Now, I, I have had some arguments on the phone with my parents because my parents wouldn't stop going out. They, they were um, this thing of like, well, we just went out to run a few errands. I had to explain to them, like, no. You got to stop doing that. And then they would say things like, you know, they went to the store and I'm like, you went to the store again? You went yesterday. And my mother would say, well, we just went to, we just went to pick up a few things. And I said, it's not how it works. It's not like the express lane for the coronavirus where it's like, (laughs) oh, you have fewer than eight items. Well, then you have an immunity to it. But I think now that they, they get it. um, But they are still under the, go ahead. Well, they're also under the impression that the coronavirus meant that I was going to speak to them on the phone every day and I had to tell them, well, it's not that serious. Right, right, right. So we have limited time. Uh, you'll come back more frequently, I hope, now that... Sure. Yeah. What are you what doing I'm, later? What are you doing later today? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, make a whole day out of ping. I drink a lot <laughs> of nice. water. You have to hydrate. Yeah. Not... Because the water is good for you, it gives you something to do every yeah. thirty minutes to pee, and uh, and that's so, just you standing there for thirty minutes, waiting. Yeah, waiting for the flow to kick in. Waiting. Yeah. So, are you thinking of doing anything in terms of a podcast or a show? Or you know, um, before this, I was I, I had the idea that I was going to do a little version of a weekly. Um, short YouTube talk show with myself. But now, after seeing so many comics who are desperate for attention, dancing in the streets and all this other stuff, there's no way that I would I would do that. Um, do people like this, though? Do people like seeing the comics doing all this? I don't know, because I have not heard feedback from any non-comic people. I just know that the comics are so desperate for attention that yeah, They're just like dancing in front of their camera. Oh, it's really. Well, let me talk great. to you. Let's wrap mm-hmm. this up because I'm, I'm trying to. My goal is to do these shorter interviews with guests yeah. who I love having on the show. If I go longer than 30 minutes, it's about you're not going to look forward to coming back. And I want you to come back. Mm-hmm. Let's I want to talk to you about possibly doing 
a Zoom show. Where, okay. That, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, but so let's up uh, the, the 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 phone is my my delivery of uh, chainsaws has arrived. Yeah, go get it. I'll wait. I, 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 I bought some chainsaws, and now is as good a time as any to get rid of evidence, wouldn't you say? It's not like the FBI is going to be knocking on my door during a pandemic. Definitely. Right? And yeah, nobody wants nobody wants to go through your garbage. No, good. This is when you dispose of the evidence. The chainsaws have arrived. Joe DeVito, Joe DeVito Comedy on Twitter. That's at, at Joe DeVito Comedy, yes, on Twitter and Instagram. Dry Bar Comedy forward slash Joe DeVito. Joey D. Uh, Joe Joe, D. It's, it's just Joe D, yeah. Joe D, watch this man's comedy special. I'm not going to cast aspersions, but I've had some time to watch some people's comedy specials. And... Uh, you should watch Joe DeVito's instead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> some stuff I'm, I'm going, really? I, I, you know, I know I'm on the ice flow. Bye, Grandpa. You know, but in any era, some of this stuff ain't was never. I don't know. You know. It's bad. Uh, you know, I'm hoping in terms of comedy that because it's so much more difficult to hang in there now during this crisis that I'm really hoping it lops off the bottom 25% of people who realize it's just too hard a thing to pursue. And I'm hoping um, it lops off the top 25% just at, out of sheer um, being a hater. <laughs> right. <laughs> would, yeah. But yeah. I, I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to see anybody lose uh, an avenue of expression. People need to do yeah. comedy. It's therapeutic for the audience. It's therapeutic for the comedians. Mm -hmm. There should be venues for everybody to express themselves. Everybody has an inner artist. But when I'm paying $11 a month for Netflix mm. and I have friends who deserve specials, yeah. I go, how does this rise to the top? How does this, who conspire? Who did, and I'm, anyway, uh, it'll be interesting to see if we're capable of changing our taste and we're capable of critical thinking. Yeah. What, well, what happened you know, to critics, by the way? We, we used to have critics. There are um, no more yeah, critics. We, we don't really have critics anymore in the sense that they're people who have an informed point of view. We have we cheerleaders. Have, uh, we have cheerleaders. cheerleaders. And we have um, trolls and we have Yelp reviews. Yeah. And that's I, think, I, think, I think it's a fear of missing out. I think a lot of the laughter I hear is a fear of missing out. I'm going to laugh even if it's not funny because... I don't want to miss out on. Stand the line for one second, Joe DeVito. Yeah, thanks, David. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Let's do it. Joining us from Los Angeles is the brilliant comedian, Eddie Pepitone, and he has a new daily show that you can watch on Instagram. And also joining us from New York City is the brilliant Frank Conniff. Hello there, Frank. Both of you look fantastic. Thank well, you for joining us. Thank you. Thank well, you. I feel, yeah, I'm thriving in this atmosphere. <laughs> You're what? Thriving? I'm thriving I'll, in this atmosphere. a second. I want to put my headphones on just a second. And you'll notice that 
I kept you waiting, even though I'm a housewife. That's right. That's right. You did. I was still able. And I had to initiate the talk about the link. And I did. I said, I'm not going to initiate this. This is his responsibility. Mm-hmm. And yet I, and yet I, you, you always, I always cave. I always cave. I'm like, all right, I better initiate. We're all, we're all here. We're all gathered. There's Frank Conniff. Mm-hmm. Let us plug some gigs. Frank, where are you going to be? What, what, oh, um, I, <laughs> where are you going to be? Ton of uh, uh, gigs uh, all lined up, uh, all within the confines of my imagination. <laughs> so uh, I'm doing I'm doing various spring break gigs. Those are the only gigs available right now. <laughs> Um, so I'll be going up and down the coasts of Florida, uh, all the red state, you know, Mississippi, <laughs> the Gulf, uh, those gigs are still available. So that feels good. Now, Eddie, I understand that Dak Shepard is your landlord. I understand the break <laughs> that they're giving you a break. <laughs> I told Dax, I said, Hey, you know, I'm a fellow actor. And he just spit on the ground and said, hey, don't, you know, he doesn't want to hear any bullshit. He's a no bullshit guy. And I respect that. And Franklin, yes. you're in New York City. You're around, the, you're around the corner from me where fudge is made, I believe. Uh-huh. And how are you, are you going to do what Eddie is doing? Eddie is doing a live show every day on Instagram. I believe it's called uh-huh. Pep Talks. It's called Live from the Bunker. Your research team, your your research team is so shitty. Live from the Bunker? Yeah. And and Frank, are you going to be doing any? I have uh, uh, an hourly show, actually, on Friendster. So (laughs) keep an eye out for that. Are you doing um, anything during the crisis? Uh, no, no, I'm. Uh, I, I don't have any any shows or live streams or, or anything like that that I'm doing. So, uh, how are how are you? You know what this reminds me of? Paul Kozlowski uh-huh. used to run this great comedy show at the Fake Gallery, uh-huh. and it was you and Eddie on TVs. Yep, hosting I, a stand-up show. And the only difference between this and that is the parking is easier. (laughs) Just a little easier. Just you know, I I want to inform you guys since you're in New York that I did a show at the old fake uh, last month or something like that. Uh, John Innes owns it now, and it's oh, does he really? Yeah, it's called the Yard. It's called the Yard, Uh, and I have to tell you, the parking is even worse. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not kidding. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I had a park, you know, uh, Paul is basically in uh, East Hollywood. I had a park near the West Hollywood police station. <laughs> oh, and that's a joke for people who understand the geography. Yeah. Of, that's what uh, we like, call, uh, you know, an, an inside baseball joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's good to see you, Frank. Uh, it's good to see and, you. Yeah, I haven't seen you in a while. How you yeah. feeling? Does this give you uh, anxiety? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I wake up every day. I think like everyone, um, I wake up and kind of um, filled with fear. 
and mm-hmm. uh, depression. So it's good that things are status quo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm a news junkie, and I don't think the news helps right now. It's not helping at all. It's not um, – uh, and going on the twi- Twitter and, and seeing all the news feeds, it just adds to anxiety. This is, this is actually true. I used to watch the news while I would eat lunch, and uh, now I watch uh, old Dragnet episodes while I'm eating lunch. <laughs> and it's much more comforting. Oh, I love that stuff. Such a great show, yeah. All right. So in all seriousness, uh-huh. who's barking in the background? Oh, that must uh, be one of Eddie's. How many dogs uh, do you have? How many dogs, Eddie? At this time, it's now 11. (laughs) (laughs) How many dogs do you have? No, I have two. Two dogs? How many cats? Those aren't my dogs, by the way. Those are dogs outside. I have the window open, and those are dogs uh, in the neighborhood. I have have two cats and two dogs. And and Frank, Frank, what about your cats? Uh, they're fine. They're like, their whole thing now is why won't you leave? Why are you here all the time? Go away. This is our thing, staying in the apartment all the time. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. You know, is there a part of you and this, I forgive me for this question. Uh, uh-huh. is there a part of you that's going to miss the pandemic? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's funny because uh, last year, I, as you know, I had um, a quadruple bypass operation, and that seems like a golden age compared to now, you know? Mm-hmm. That, like, mm-hmm. I had uh, people were coming and visiting me, uh, you know, I was surrounded by family and friends uh, all the time, and that seems like a party to the, compared to this, you know? Right. Eddie's in in Hollywood. They call it work done on your heart in Hollywood. It's work done on your heart. Well, as you know, when I lived in Hollywood, uh, I used to go to the hospital to get uh, MRIs just so I could hear the term recurring. (laughs) That was a little one. It's a joke from the fake gallery days. Eddie will probably remember that one. Uh, Hey, uh, uh, who books the hard thing? (laughs) <laughs> that's um that's a bringer show actually <laughs> i'm doing stand-up mri <laughs> uh i was up for the uh the quadruple bypass and uh all i got was a colonic in beverly hills <laughs> <laughs> so eddie has frank done your show live from the bunker on instagram tell us no i would i would love i would love to have frank well this week so far i've had jeff garland uh marie yeah, and uh, Paul, I think it's... Oh, hang on, you're Paul breaking up a little. Run. Say that again. You had Jeff Garland. Uh, you had Jeff Garland. Maria, Maria Bamford. Bamford and um, uh, Paul Kozlowski. And I threw in Paul just to be like a palate cleanser from funny. Like I wanted <laughs> funny, not funny, funny. I see. <laughs> and describe the format. I, it's just an interview, which is why I started interviewing Frank, because I've been doing it five times a week. And uh, I, I'm just uh, like I, I start the show uh, talking about the latest horrible news. Um, I still make jokes about it. And I'm wondering 
I'm wondering about uh, making jokes about the virus now because so many people are dying, you know. But I, what I'm figuring is if it doesn't affect me directly, <laughs> that I still can be funny about it. <laughs> I, think that, I think there's a lot um, that you can joke about that's not specifically joking about the virus. Uh, certainly the, um, mm-hmm. you know, the Trump administration's um, dealing mm-hmm. with it or they're non-dealing with it, um, I think. Uh, I, I would encourage everybody to continue choking about all that stuff because oh, yeah. choking or joking uh, both. Okay. Uh, um, um, but choking, that's a whole other thing for me when I'm up by myself. I don't want to get into that. But, <laughs> uh, um, uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot that you can, you can talk about, you can, you can write jokes about um, that isn't, specifically oh that people are getting sick uh, because it's um that part of it is just is is horrible you know well so say you <laughs> well <laughs> that's uh, you know i have as you know i have a quirky take on things <laughs> that's how my button down mind ref- reacted your new heart you your know- bob new heart yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> But, you know, it, 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 our impulse as comedians, right, our impulse as comedians is always to, um, you know, make fun of stuff. And, and, it, and, it, and it seems the darker it is, the more uh, I want to do that, you know. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. I know I've, David. The same I way. think, Frank, you have a moral center. I think you have a moral <laughs> center, whereas David's moral center is long gone, you know, <laughs> yeah. long gone. I think I'm, I'm, he lost it. Lost I'm not it a centrist. I, I don't believe in being a centrist. I think, well, here the thing with the coronavirus mm-hmm. is a wake-up call to younger yeah. people that you can laugh at anything. I, I believe that this is an end to the politically <laughs> correct. I, I think fewer and fewer. I, I've noticed comedy clubs... Lately, I don't hear hissing. People, the comedy police aren't in in the audience. I tell jokes now. Nobody boos. Nobody <laughs> complains. Yeah. Uh, by the by, the way, I know you're kidding uh, because I have a good bullshit detector. But I also <laughs> I also have been doing a couple of virtual online shows, and that's a little weird. That's I a bet. little weird. Yeah. Um, it's Frank like, is Frank is I, now walking. Yeah, I had to open my window. <laughs> it would be great if he just jumped out the window right now. Well, well by the, the way, floor. So, by the way, David, is this being uh, video recorded or just audio? Recorded? Just audio. Just audio. Oh, okay, good. Then I don't have to worry about. Okay. Uh, no, because I have various makeup, uh, <laughs> stage makeup. Olivia used to do his makeup before Zoom. Before Zoom calls, before uh-huh. every Zoom media, before every Zoom meeting, <clears throat> Lawrence Olivier would put on a prosthetic nose. He would put on um, uh, Mary Kay to look good for Danny Kay. <laughs> <laughs> I miss that. I miss these lines so much, man. Wow, that is. Wait, hang on for one second, folks. Hang on for one second. That is 
the most brilliant joke. <laughs> Danny yeah. Kay would oh, put on Mary Kay. No, no, I'm sorry. Larry no. Olivier would put on Mary Kay to look good for Danny Kay. That is, that, that is the way, like the greatest joke <laughs> ever written. And you just came up with that. You're, that is and unbelievable. I, and I came up with it for the only two people that it would possibly work with. <laughs> and no, no that, I think, I think you should tweet that out. <laughs> um, actually, Guy Braun, I'm a comedian you guys probably know. Uh, he, yeah. he told me that, um, uh, Lawrence Olivier's uh, pet name for Danny Kay was uh, Bone Plowright. So. <laughs> <laughs> but no, hang on. I, I, I've been cooped up here. I'm going to start to cry. I really am. That joke is so effing brilliant, Frank. Well, Lawrence Olivier and Danny Kay did all the work for it, you know. No, the fact that you just came up with that, I, like, I'm, my eyes are welling up. That is so, that is the greatest. I'd have that if I were you. That is the greatest joke ever written. And I, I'm saying that because, A, it's funny, and, B, it makes Eddie feel bad. <laughs> Eddie's sitting there going. Well, Frank, you, Frank, and you, David, are just so good at these one-liners, you know. Whereas I, you know, I'm all about emotion, you know, Italian, <laughs> Italian emotion. <laughs> you have the best. The two of you have amazing Twitter feeds and Facebook. You, mm. you, you do. Yes, Eddie's is great. The two of you yeah. are, you know. I miss our times at KPFK. Uh, yeah, doing. Yes. I have I have hours and hours of outtakes of the two of you just laughing at each other. Uh, that was how is. I was going to say, how is Paul Dooley? I haven't. You know, I live in New York now, so yeah. Every, I so I, I don't. I haven't heard from people. You know. Yeah, I hope he's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Dave, no plans. Uh, you guys, no. Pl By the way, I miss you guys. You have no plans of returning to LA. <laughs> I feel lonely. <laughs> I, I, well, um, Karen misses. Karen really misses the podcast stuff. You know, writing and pitching yeah. stuff. You know, that was fun. No, that was fun. You know. Yeah, it was a big part of our life. But then somebody wanted no plan. I, Somebody wanted a divorce. We won't go into specifics, but somebody turned the tables over <laughs> and decided, uh, no, this is not going to happen. Yeah. But, yeah, you can't live in L.A., though, huh? Uh, I'm uh, in, anyway, I... Yeah. yeah, I thought um, I heard you were in L.A. I guess I, I guess that was wrong. About well, I'm in L.A. now. Uh, <laughs> no, you're not. I'm in L.A. now, but, uh, but I just don't I, want to uh, see you guys. The only thing that would bring uh, me to L.A. would be a job in show business, so you're never going to see me again. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I just glanced at CNN, and it said some Americans may wait for five months to receive a stimulus check. You know, the $1,200. Right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh Frank, they're saying uh, if you're expecting that stimulus check, don't hold your breath. <laughs> and uh, I'm holding my breath for a ventilator. That's not funny. I would, I'm intimidated. No, no, but it's good that you're flailing. 
Yeah. <laughs> the sign of life. If we're bombing, we're alive. <laughs> if we're bombing, that means we're, we've woken up. Right. I've been trying to, I know that it's all um, affecting us, that the comedy clubs are, owned, are all closed. And mm. I'm trying to get them open. I, I, I sent a letter to some club saying that, uh, uh, that in the past I've proven when I'm on stage, I can make it seem like there's nobody there. So maybe that would help. <laughs> well, hey, the truth. <clears throat> no, go ahead, Dan. No, you go ahead. No, you go. Uh, no, I was just going to say, does social distancing also include our shadow selves? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I'm not even... Um, uh, because the social distancing, I told my therapist, I'm not even going to confront myself. <laughs> well, the two of you have a very successful career as live performers. Mm-hmm. Frank, you've yeah, been traveling I, all over the country. And yeah, Eddie, you've in fact, been tra- we, uh, the gig I did with uh, Trace Bellew, our live movie riffing show, um, mm-hmm. We did the Alamo Draft House uh, here in Brooklyn, um, and the very next day they closed the theater. So we just got in under the wire. But we have a bunch of gigs that got canceled, though. Yeah. Same with me. I lost about ten grand almost immediately. I had three festivals, uh, no, four festivals booked within a month. And the Knicks lost. And- that was what you really lost the ten grand on. I don't know the Knicks. <laughs> Yeah, I thought they were going to come around. Yeah, um, you know, with the virus not ten, you out. lost ten grand grand in bookings. Yeah, Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, within um, I don't know, month and a half period, just boom, 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 like that. It's so uh, it's wow. conditions now are so like the depression. Uh, I have an audition next week at the Hal Roach Studios. <laughs> By, by the way, by the way, um, I think because of the seriousness of what's going on, I, I was watching Laurel and Hardy shorts uh-huh. the other day, and I was laughing like, oh, a I know, or, you know, you're talking about their so underwear. I, <laughs> uh, yeah, underwear. Yes. Okay. Mommy, yes. mommy, look, mommy, I made a duty. Mommy, look. That, that's me. Boy, you a, are flailing. You yes, are that, flailing. And it's nice to see that things haven't changed. <laughs> <laughs> I miss David's live shows, though, where you would, yeah. David, where you would, where you, the audience would go from loving you to hating you within a, within a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Hey, I'm I was, reading. I was, uh, I was berated outside of Caroline's one time for a Holocaust joke that you did. <laughs> that <David> did. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the woman like got us confused, and she like completely gave me a hard time for, for right. a Holocaust joke. Oh my God! I remember that, that. she was so. <laughs> I think she was just mad that you were my friend. Yeah. So she walked up to you. Yeah. The uh, yeah. 
This is a, 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 an interesting time to reevaluate. Oh, that's insightful. That's insightful. Go ahead. <laughs> Are you going to uh, reevaluate what's really important in your lives? Yes. I, um, I've been doing a, a thorough reevaluation with Excel. Um, and I'm giving a PowerPoint point presentation to myself. I'm thinking within a week and a half. And what I've done is dissect my selfishness. By the way, I, you know, whenever I got pulled over by the cops, I, well, Frank, you got pulled over. Hang on, Frank, last week you got pulled over by the the cops and they gave you a warning, didn't he? They did. He let me off with a warning. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He said, don't see um, uh, the latest Iron Man movie. Oh, that's, that's good. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I was in the middle of a joke as well. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, and you, you were like, oh, Frank's got a cop joke. <laughs> Why don't we interrupt Eddie's momentum in his cop joke? Anyway, my cop joke is uh, that I... I was, uh, whenever I was pulled over the, by the cops, I was always extremely guilty and I, I never did any, you know, I never had any kind of lapsed res- registration or uh, prior tickets, but I was always afraid that the cop would knock on the window, say, roll it, roll down the window, sir. And then, and then ask me a question like, why do you only love yourself? <laughs> <laughs> David, are you with us? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Who's so the, anyway, where, where did, I, did you did you were you able to hear the audience laugh? <laughs> Here. No. Oh, you didn't hear the audience? You know, one thing I've realized with the Zoom meetings and and you know all this stuff is that the audio is weird. Uh, the audio gets a little weird when you go back and forth for some reason. Mm. So I heard some of the uh, audience laughter about uh, just about actually the amount of laughs I get. I heard. <laughs> <laughs> I and the cat is crying in the background. Yes, there's uh, that, one is of that the, the exotic animal that you you have. You oh look at that! Look how nice your apartment is. Do you see Katie? I see Katie. Katie is a oh. liger. That Eddie to and here make... is there's there's a record six point six million. And here's Charlotte. Do you see Charlie? Yes, I do. We should mention that to make ends meet, Eddie and his lovely wife breed <laughs> lions and tigers and sell <laughs> ligers on the open market. And uh, yeah, we're into big, you know, exotic animals. We only have a two bedroom, so they can only be as big as leopards. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Frank, yes. you're thinking of, of buying a cub, aren't you? From, from Eddie? Yeah, a little. Uh, if, if they're for sale, yeah, I would, I would consider, consider getting a, a cub. That, that was real. That, that cat, that sound is real. Yeah, Katie is uh, crying. One of the rules we have is that someone is always crying during the lockdown. <laughs> uh, the Tiger King. Have you watched it? No. I, 
I, I, I won't. I won't yeah, see the way. animal. I don't want to see. Yeah. I don't even like to see animals in cages. Yeah. I, it's it's cats in cages. I, 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 I don't want to watch it, you know. Same here. here. Here's why you need to watch it. Because uh, I agree with you. You, you don't. I I have decided after watching the Tiger King. You did watch any, it. Yeah, it's a, one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. There is a world out there in our own backyard. There is when you you know you think you're getting a glimpse of a certain type of American when you you know watch a Trump rally. You have no idea what's out there. You think you're, you know, I'm traveling around the country. I'm playing comedy clubs. I mean, you think you understand the American psyche until you watch the Tiger King. And there is an America, there's an America that exists that is hopeless, broken, un, you cannot, when, like Medicare for all and, they don't want it. They don't. They, they, they. This is a whole world out there of meth addicts, and it's the country is irredeemable. It sounds like you're describing my audience. <laughs> I fan my fan base. Yeah. It, <laughs> no. Um. That no. The way you said that, it sounds like you say it almost with like such a profound despair and hopelessness. I mean, I, yeah. I. I mean. What a cancerous, you know, I, I the, the animals on. in those cages at these mm-hmm. exotic zoos mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. are living better than the people who are wow. coming to those zoos and running wow. those zoos. It, it really pulls the Band-Aid off and you, you see how hopeless this country is. Which well, is why someone like Trump could get elected because yep. they are basically, they don't give a fuck. They don't, it's a, yeah, they, I recommend watching. What were you going to say, Frank, before I well, took the, this the, into the, the despair that you're feeling? Um, it's the same way I felt uh, after I saw the Matt Damon movie, we bought a zoo. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so uh, can we do this again? Yeah, uh, sure. How's, how's a uh, half hour? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, will both of you guys come on my uh, Instagram? Yeah, anytime. Live? I'd love to. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll we, be hitting you up for that. Let's Please do too. mystery. Let's do mystery guest with uh, ah. Andy Kindler. Now, wait a second before you go. Thank you for doing this, and we'll plug your gigs in a second. <laughs> well, Frank, you have some books. That, are you are you writing a book? I have this? books. Uh, um, I am working on a new book, but I have uh, books that are available at Amazon. Uh, that you can pick up. You can get a Kindle version or a hard copy. And uh, Cats v. Conniff. Cats v. Conniff. Um, uh, How to write cheesy movies. Uh, Codename Douchebag. Um, uh, Reform School Cinderella. And uh, is that? There's one other. I've Man, you you are pro. You are prolific. Um, well, you know. And we just oh. lost Eddie, and he's back. Oh, there he is. I'm right. And Hello. Eddie? Yeah, people can go to Amazon if they want to check out my books. And, and most people that have given me feedback find them uh, entertaining. Yes. 
Yes. Well, for me, I guess the biggest thing I've gotten into is breeding pangolins. <laughs> so you can, you know, please go on eBay and find, I am, I'm making, I'm uh, breeding pangolins in my tub. Okay. And, uh, uh, they will be available. I ship them wet. <laughs> <laughs> what is the name of your latest comedy special? Oh, yeah. Um, right. Uh, that is going to be, look for that. It's called For the Masses, and it's going to be coming out, I believe, in the beginning of May, For the Masses, uh, my latest comedy special. I think it's going to be on Amazon and a couple other different uh, platforms. We're hoping... We're hoping that FEMA will release it. To <laughs> <laughs> kill the coronavirus. That's how they sanitize a surface. They play, yeah. they play this podcast. To, to and I've heard out. that um, um, uh, this is encouraging. I've heard the warm weather is going to dissipate my career. So <laughs> <laughs> I, miss, I miss you guys. I love you guys. Follow these guys on Twitter. Frank Conniff, right? That's just yes, Frank Conniff. Uh, and uh, go to frankconniff.com if you want to. And uh, on Facebook and Instagram. I'm there. Yeah. I'm on I love platforms. And go to eddiepepitone.com and uh, it connects you to all my platforms. Great. And, and from the bunker on Instagram. The, yes, yes. Is it done live? Yes, it is. Okay. Four o'clock. Uh, I call it PTSD time. <laughs> hey, it's neurotic somewhere in the world. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for the uh, record, guys, just yeah. this is just for the record. I love you guys, mm -hmm. and uh, you, you really, you love really you cheered me up. And stay on the line for one quick second. You're listening to the David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized hump. Let's now go to Tucson, Arizona, where Dr. Jennifer Vertolin is standing by. Dr. Vertolin is the author of two books, Wild Connection, What Animal Courtship and Mating. Tell us about human relationships. Her other book is Raised by Animals, the Surprising, the Surprising New Science of Animal Family Dynamics with Tried Home Lessons from the Wild. Subscribe to Wild Connection TV and you can see Dr. Jennifer Vertolin. And follow her on Twitter. She answers all your Twitter. I've noticed if you go to Real Dr. Jen over Twitter, you can actually talk with her. She'll respond to you. And subscribe to her newsletter by going to jenniferverdelin.com. Hi, how are you holding up? I'm doing all right. My allergies have, you know, given me a sore throat that I hope won't, won't go to a, a, any kind of infection because going to the doctor right now is more dangerous than yes. staying home. So, you know, just kind of uh, uh, trying self-care and uh, going to try my first uh, telemedicine, um, you know, uh, 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 appointment later to, uh, you know, so, yeah, so it's kind of uh, 
an interesting time. And I've had friends who have their pets who need, you know, veterinary care and, and their, their different veterinary offices are, are handling the situation differently. Some, you know, you have to just let them take your pet and you wait outside. <laughs> right. Some right. are doing telemedicine, right? So it's, it's a, uh, uh, I don't know if it's a brave new world, but it's a, it's a new world, you know, right now. So. It's I'll- almost by, it almost feels like it's been by design. It's almost, again, this is my tinfoil hat talking. It's almost as though somebody said, Let's rush into the middle of the 21st century. Let's move us ahead 30 years <laughs> and let's use this pandemic to get there. Because let me ask you, mm. will colleges be the same after this? Will medicine be the right. same after this? We're not going back, are we? There are permanent changes that were going to happen anyway but they're happening much quicker now because of the pandemic. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's some acceleration in, in changes. One of the interesting things that I think we're discovering is that, you know, corporations could have had people working from home, which could solve a, a, a massive, um, you know, kind of healthcare or, or, or childcare crisis in some cases, you know, but this insistence that you had to be present to do your job, you know, we're, we're discovering, in fact, that's not true. <laughs> um, and that's good for the environment as well. I, I believe so. We're seeing reduction, massive reductions in pollution. It's it's so people who maybe prior to this thought, oh well, yeah, I mean it's probably a combination. Like there is climate change, but we're probably not the main reason. We contribute. Like just take a look at some of the the data that's coming out and. And we'll see just how enormous of an impact uh, we have had on something simple like air quality mm-hmm. <laughs> metrics. And, you know, and, and so I think that um, and also I think and I don't know if it's accurate. I didn't have time to research it, but apparently some sea turtles in India in the absence of people, they're, they're just flocking and, and, and nesting in peace. Uh, and so I think some of the processes that animals, other animals have depended on that we've interfered with by just being present, even if we haven't damaged anything, but just human presence alters behavior of, of, uh, of, of mating behavior of other species, courtship behavior, you know, raising their offspring behavior, uh, for feeding, you know, behavior, something as simple as a high density of people on a trail is enough to negatively affect the time budgets of other species. And so it's really, we impact the world in so many different ways. And I think that, yeah, we're seeing an acceleration of some things that might've been inevitable, like a a shift to more online, you know, education uh, and things like that and working, you know, remotely, uh, we've now discovered you don't have to fly to have that meeting. You could do it over Zoom. It's really possible, you know. So we, uh, so the impact on on air pollution is is huge. With this. well, yeah. Before the pandemic, we knew that offices were necessary and unnecessary because we do 
need other people to collaborate. You do need human interaction. You need real. Pe- I mean, it's the yes. it's it's why it's the difference between pornography and actual sex. It's the difference between seeing a movie in your home and sure. seeing it in a movie theater. There is. Uh, there is a benefit to being around real people. However, we do have about two generations of humans who've been raised almost virtually or are accustomed to video games, playing video games with people 6,000 miles away who have altered their brain chemistry enough that they may not need actual human contact. I don't, I don't know. I, I think that here's the thing. Our human contact shouldn't actually just be derived from our work environments, right? So I agree that, that sitting together and, and, and there's a certain energy and the eye contact and the, the body language and, and all of that information that we get and smells and sounds and uh, that kind of communication, which really transcends verbal communication, is important and could still be done once a week, right? Or twice a week uh, when it comes to work. But I think that what you're saying and, and what I've seen and thought as not being particularly healthy because, you know, evolution isn't going to move that quickly for us um, in terms of changing us from being a fundamentally social species that relies very heavily on social bonds Um I think that, you know, the biggest difficulty for many people who is a lack of social contact with friends and family, not really work. Unless Mm -hmm. work was your sole connection to other people. And so I personally think that it's great where we are because, you know, Families can, I mean, I know there are challenges with having to do teaching at home, but you're eating dinner together. You're doing some of the things that people have been suggesting are important for maintaining healthy, strong social relationships. You're doing it with your family and sometimes you're doing it with friends. And uh, I think that this is not a bad thing. You know, when I grew up, there wasn't internet and there wasn't cell phones and like, so for me, it's okay to find ways to entertain myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, I can, I can just stare at the mountains for an hour and I'm, I'm fine. Uh, but I was used to this as a kid. You went for long walks, you went for bike rides, you met up with your friends, you dug in, I dug in the yard looking for things. I rescued snakes and climbed trees and I wouldn't recommend climbing trees right now cause you don't want to get hurt, but right. you know, right. <laughs> but, but there were, I read books you know, I drew, I, I did lots of different things that, that weren't dependent on technology because that technology didn't exist. And while technology is fantastic and dissemination of accurate information is, is outstanding at the cost of obviously dissemination of misinformation, I, I think that it might be nice for kids to, uh, you know, have to discover how to entertain themselves without so much distraction. I don't know. Evolution. Humans are continuing to evolve physically, emotionally. Correct. 
Yes, I think cultural evolution, though, uh, it outpaces biological evolution. You talked right? about cultural evolution on Tuesday show. What does that mean? What does cultural evolution mean? So basically, you know, think about um, how we pass cultural traditions down, um, you know, from one generation to the next. And in the past, that, that you know, it's basically about social change, right? So information that affects behavior that you, you get from other individuals, whether it's from teaching, imitation, um, you know, uh, uh, group behavior. And so, so basically, this can happen much more rapidly than biological evolution, which requires and is dependent on, on genetic change. So that's why learning is not just important. Learning and teaching isn't just important for human uh, societies and the human species. It is also uh, well-established. And even though there's some argument among scientists about whether it's true learning or true teaching or just imitation, the reality is we see cultural change, cultural shifts in, in behavior patterns that are transmitted non-genetically Mm-hmm. Uh, to individuals in a population or a community or a social group. And, right. and that is, is, you know, one of the benefits of it being rapid is it doesn't rely on, on genetic change. One of the consequences is it may or may not increase your, your, your fitness in the, in the natural selection sort of way. Right. So, so um, I think that, Hello. No, I'm here. I was just sort of pondering. I, I, yeah. I, you know, I think that there's great opportunity in cultural change, but but the the speed at which we've done it, and and the pace at which it's happening, largely as a result of sort of technological evolution, if you will, um, has really created a giant disconnect between, you know, biological forces that are still driving much of our behavior patterns and the cultural and societal pressures that exist as a function of, of cultural evolution. Okay. We're talking with Dr. Jennifer Vertolin. Go to jennifervertolin.com, subscribe to her newsletter, follow her on Twitter at Real Dr. Jen. So one of our listeners, we have an Ask Me Anything section to our website, mm-hmm. and we have some questions. I don't know if these were sent to you as well, but... Uh, I think so. Okay. I will, here are some quick questions that maybe you can answer, because you are an animal behaviorist. Yes. This... The listener writes, I just adopted a female dog and now she's in heat for the first time. Obviously, I can't get in touch with her veterinarian. What should I expect in terms of any strange behaviors? This is kind of interesting because every dog I've ever had was always spayed and neutered. Mm -hmm. But now I guess you can't. I guess guess they're backed up. I, I, I don't know. But so. She's witnessing uh, the dog in heat. What what kind of behaviors? I've never seen a dog in heat. <laughs> uh, well, so you're gonna they're gonna be um, you know some physical changes. <laughs> so she may need to go to the bathroom more often. She may go to the bathroom differently. Uh, she if you take her out for a walk, you know you might get some unwanted attention. 
from male dogs, even if they are, you know, not capable of reproduction, that doesn't change. <laughs> there, there's a smell that she puts out. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a smell that all of us put out when we're in estrus, which is the technical term. Right. And so, um, she may, she may become more affectionate, which could be nice. Um, or she could become more agitated, which, you know, this happens in human females as well. <laughs> right. Right. Um, she, she may be confused about what's happening. Yeah. I was going to ask you, do they, are they aware that they're in heat? I don't know that they're aware in the sense that they're like, Oh, I know. You know, I think they experience, we don't know. Right. We can't ask, but sometimes they may, um, they may be, uh, especially if it's the first time. So I know from chimpanzees, you know, they get this huge swelling, this, what we, what we call a, a sexual swelling in the, uh, 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 basically the per- perineal region, otherwise known as the taint. And <laughs> it swells up. That's and- a Latin word, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> and it gets really, really big. And and the thing that confuses or, or frightens the young chimpanzee females when they have their first sort of sexual swelling is, is they attract a tremendous amount of attention from the males and they don't really know how to cope with this. That's sort of been the interpretation, right? That it's, it's a lot of attention. It's quite quite frightening, um, and uh, they may they may also be experiencing. I mean, look, they, there's hormonal changes that are involved, and we know hormones affect behavior and and emotional states, and we know that dogs have emotional states. Do they go through menopause? Oh, so that's a really interesting question. So most animals, um, there are a few where we know menopause, the equivalent of menopause, happens. Uh, so uh, elephants, uh, orcas, uh, and uh, some other, uh, I think some primates. Most animals, though, die before they're done with reproduc- being reproductive, right? So, so it's really a lifespan issue. Um, and so both orcas and um, elephants, the adult females live really, really a long time. And uh, there's a really strong cultural uh, uh, dependence on knowledge transfer. Uh, that is, they're, they're matriarchal. And so, right, you were to, uh, about a month ago, you said that the grandmothers yeah. in the whale community raise the children. Yeah, so they're really important uh, to, to the success of their, their children and their children's children. And the same thing is true in elephants. So the, the oldest female has all the knowledge where the water is, where the food is, what the cycles are. Uh, and, and so, um, so now when, when an elephant or an orca, when they're going through the change, as we call it, do, mm-hmm. do they become irritable? Are they difficult to be around? Well, uh, so we don't know. Uh, right. So, uh, okay. we, we, we don't know. I mean, I don't, um, I don't think. So that. I have a lot of questions. Let, let yeah. me, <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is, so, uh, if the, the, the female dog, the bitch, can we call her the bitch without? I mean, anybody? we can, or we could just call her a female dog, you know? I mean, do we call, we don't call, we don't have that name for the, the male. We don't have some special name like, you know, jerk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, well, you know, it's an opportunity. We get to call roosters cocks. That's always fun on the show. That is so, true. So that if, is true. So if the bitch is in heat, can you send? I'm being serious. I know. 
can you send over a, a, a spayed male, a neutered, a neutered male, and can they have unprotected sex? <laughs> well, they may, but I would not recommend it. Why? Yeah. Well, because, uh, first of all, you know, females should have a choice in male they mate with, and this is basically how it usually works, is females decide. You know, so I'll give an analogy. I have those coyotes out there, and I could tell that one of the females was an estrus because two males were, like, beside themselves <laughs> trying to get, get her. <laughs> and, and, and they were all in the same group, so I suspect those actually might have been offspring of hers. She was like, hell no. And, and she was quite distressed by their persistence. Uh, and you know, one would try to mount her and she, you know, uh, yelp and, and, and bark, you know, she didn't attack them. Okay. And, uh, they, of course, you know, then they'd smell her and they're just like, you could almost see they're like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. And they tried and tried and tried to mount. And finally, after she, you know, swatted one, she just plopped down, put her butt down. <laughs> like, right. Okay. Right. This is how I have to stop you. And right. so they actually then just mounted each other <laughs> to displace <laughs> the, the, the energy, you know, of, uh, frustration perhaps, uh, they mounted so, each other, and to did they culminate the relationship? No, no, not not actual. You know, it's just a behavior. Like you could tell, they they weren't actually, you know, having any kind of of, of sex with each other. They do were we just, see that? Do we see dogs, homosexual dogs? I mean, so they weren't behaving home in a home. They weren't homosexual dogs. They were just uh, you see mounting of same sex mounting in many species. And it can happen for lots of reasons that don't have anything to do with sort of romantic partnership, right? It can be dominance. It can be energy. It can be bonding. It can be. But are, are there, other than Maltese, are there gay dogs? I mean, Maltese are, are gay dogs. <laughs> I mean, are, we have seen homosexual behavior in, in every single taxonomic group that's out there. And there are different reasons. So, yeah, there could be. Uh, uh, male dogs that prefer male dogs. I mean, you know. But Are there marital aids for dogs? What? Like a marital aid. What is a marital aid? That's what, uh, you know, that's what they call them at, uh, when, uh, to help them during, when they're in heat. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think when people are breeding dogs, there's there's things they do differently. I mean, I think in the case of this listener with her new dog, um, you know, that that the dog may be confused. It may be more affectionate. It might be more agitated. Uh, it may, you know, have some physiological changes that need to have it go out more often. It can last roughly, you know, 20 days, um, you know, and... Um, and so there can be personality changes, uh, there can be appetite changes and, you know, there, there is some bleeding that can happen. That's the next question she asks. She, yeah. I, don't, I didn't believe this. She says she has a white couch. I don't know yeah, if this is yeah. true. I don't believe this. Yeah. A lot of my listeners write in with fake stuff. She says she has a white couch and that the dog is bleeding on the white couch. I, I don't believe that's true. Is, is this a lie? Is this a fake question? 
No, could, a, I mean, could, could, could a dog can literally like a like a, a teenage girl getting her period? Yeah, well, they'll bleed and they can leave spots of blood all over. Uh, a dog can. A dog yeah. can do that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, not all animals, you know, uh, actually, you know, uh, will bleed during during uh you know during their heat cycle or estrus cycle i mean we do because we are sloughing off you know the 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 uterus lining but that's mm-hmm. not um that's not always you know uh uh it's 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 uh you know there's some kind of let's just say discharge <laughs> and it right. could be blood and it could be mixed with other you know it might not be all red uh right and you know, and and uh, some people put little doggy diapers on during that time. Doggy diapers. That's yeah. A- for female for female dogs, you can. There's a hole for the tail. <laughs> you can put a little. <laughs> I mean, you know, right? I mean, it's, I mean, it's so it's just you know this happens. Um, you know, and 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 this is just a normal process. I think we just as humans just think it. We're so weird about it, or, or or think it's all 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 strange, and you know, um, right? But but they it depends on on the uh, the the female, and it's not the same kind of, of bleeding that we have in in humans, and why we have it in humans. So okay, you know, yeah, but but it, it it does happen, and and don't be mad, right? You can you can uh, you know basically you can get these little um, basically doggy diapers okay. sanitary pads <laughs> to, help, <laughs> to help her get through this difficult time. Right. Well, and, moving on, moving on. <laughs> most doctors say you can't catch or give the coronavirus to animals. Now we talked about this briefly on Tuesday and then we didn't really do a follow up on it. China uh, is reporting that it all began from human interaction with with a sick animal, I think a bat. If this is true, it doesn't make sense to me because it, you either can get it from, if you can get it from bats, can you get it from cats? Because we're hearing reports of, of a cat in Belgium who's, do we know if yet, if you well, can okay, get it so from your is, dog or cat? This is so, super important, okay? So there's absolutely no evidence that you will that that a dog or cat or other domestic pet can infect people. What we are seeing is people have infected a few pets. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Now, so this is really important. So just because this disease, which is called a zoonotic disease, um, made changes to its structure, its genetic structure, likely through an intermediate host, so from bats to something else to then people. Um, we don't know what that intermediary is yet. There's some you know speculation that it's a pangolin. And we're we're they're still trying to sort that out. And what is a pangolin? Um a, it's this pangolin is uh it's okay, hold on. It's it's a really weird um you know animal. Um and it's uh, it's found uh, so it's like an anteater-ish kind of looking thing. It has scales, okay, uh, on it, and 
Um, you know, so basically the, the Malaysian pangolin is one of the most heavily trafficked uh, wildlife species and they are, they're mammals. So, and their scales are made of, of, of um, the same thing that our nails are made of keratin. Okay. And so and, they're trafficked for eating for yeah, pets? Yeah. And, and oh. it's, it's terrible. Um, and they are trafficked for eating and for traditional medicine, even including treating children for crying. Okay. <laughs> um, and women who might be, you know, under the hysteria uh, kind of, uh, you know, label that was common in the 1800s. Dora. Uh, <laughs> Freud had Dora. Yeah. Right? So, so, so there are, there, it's been one of the most heavily trafficked. It's, it's horrific uh, because it's just destroyed their, their population size. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and so that's the suspected intermediary host, meaning there's some change that happened in the, so bats have tons of coronaviruses and, and other viruses and uh, they just, there's some, you know, we can another time talk maybe about why bats are really, you know, they get, a, they have a lot of viruses and diseases, but they don't get sick. Right. Mm-hmm. And so so they're a reservoir, what we call a reservoir. And then you need some kind of transfer, uh, you know, that that happens and you have this intermediary um, vector. And, and so that happens through some kind of transmission, close proximity, uh, you know, fluids, something that then the intermediary is infectious and then you have direct contact with that one. So there's some other change that happens, and uh, you get direct contact. A human gets direct contact. Now, this particular virus has had some interesting changes that have made it, um, you know, really um, tran- easily transmissible, right? So we know that it's closely related to the original SARS. That's why they've renamed it SARS-CoV-2, right? Right. And, and so, um, so it, it's very similar in that structure. So they think there's a spillover from bats to humans, potentially with an intermediary. So like SARS-CoV, the first one, had the civet cat as right. a, a presumed intermediate host. And we so, get our we get that delicious expensive coffee from the civet cat from their poop. Oh, I I've never had that coffee, but okay. Yeah, so I think I've heard of that, right? So Yeah, it's the most um, expensive coffee. They eat the they eat the bean, they poop mm-hmm. it out and then somebody gathers the poop and finds the bean and then grinds it and it's the most delicious coffee imaginable. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, you know, um, and that's because a lot of animals are seed dispersers and the the things have to pass through their digestion. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I think I've heard of that, but I've never had it. And Oh, that, it's some good shit. <laughs> well, there's also a beetle that shits gold. So, you know, animals are amazing. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, not enough to make a necklace, you know, I mean, maybe if you don't like her that much, you could, you know, Try to get a small amount of gold, but not enough quantity to. Uh, Beetles could. Yeah, I forget the name of the. Look, I, there were four that made gold records, but I didn't know that they could make gold. <laughs> Th- that's alchemy. That can't be. Yeah. No, no, 
might have All right, to be to be continued. We're we're almost running out of time. So let's Okay. So let's so the bottom line is you you can't get it from your cat or dog, but maybe you could give it to your Oh cat. yeah, yeah. So okay, so so what's happened is we've had two dogs in Hong Kong that tested weekly positive for the virus, and then this cat in Belgium. Now cats the particular worry with cats is they can be susceptible to coronaviruses, not to give it to you, but to get it from you. So that is why the CDC, the World Health Organization, all the veterinary associations, if you go to their websites, they, they, they tell you exactly what we said last week, which is uh, if you are sick, limit your contact with your pets. If you can't limit your contact, meaning you're the only person in the house and you have to take care of your pet, uh, wash your hands, don't cuddle with your pet. You know, this is going to be harder with dogs than cats because, you know, it, depending on the cat, the particular cat. I mean, but anytime I'm sick, I already, um, you know, keep my distance from senior buttons. Like when I had the, the viral conjunctivitis, from this last cold I had in December, I was worried that I could transfer that to him. Mm -hmm. So I was really, really careful to wash my hands after I blew my nose before I touched him. I didn't, I don't cough on him. If I caught, you know, I clean and disinfect uh, every other day or every 24 hours when I'm sick. And that's just because, I I want to protect him. So what we we know is that it may be more that cat in Belgium is a case of the human infected the cat. I see. I see. And same with the two dogs. And this is why right now they're saying if you we have to act like everybody has it right, even asymptomatic people. So when you are walking your dog, don't don't let it interact with other dogs right now. Because one, you're you're then standing too close to the person who's got that dog on a leash, and you're not supposed to be that close. And two, you don't know if that person is sick, and their dog is is like a temporary surface. It's not that the dog is infected with the virus and going to infect you. It's that if that person is sick, and even if they're asymptomatic, they may be shedding the virus, and their dog's nose or mouth or fur. It's short-lived on the fur. It's a soft surface. Right, right. You know, not not high concentration either, right? So we got to, if we're thinking about this, we also have to think about viral load. So how many p- particles of the virus are infectious and how many do, does it take to make you sick, right? So just like encountering one little virus particle in the air or on a, on a dog's fur is, uh, is not going to make you sick. The idea is that if you do touch another dog, wash your hands before you touch your face, if you're still touching your face. Right? <laughs> so so th- their advice is if you are sick, limit contact with pets. If you are sick and there's a, another place and other people to take care of, you would quarantine yourself from your pet too if possible. Right. And, um, and then you want to keep your dog on a leash. I'm super frustrated by all the people I see letting their dogs, you know, chase. Yeah, they seem them. to be proud of that, uh-huh. that they don't need to have their dog on a leash, but look, we have to wrap it up. Tiger King. I brought it up last Tuesday and you were incensed. I want to 
ask you about exotic animals and this documentary on Netflix that everybody's watching, including me. We don't have much time. So let me let's just get right to the personality disorder of wanting to own own tigers and lions. Uh, We'll talk about, you know, what 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 it does to these animals if you come back on Tuesday, yeah. I hope. Yeah, yeah. What is the personality disorder of these people who have to own tigers and lions? What, what I mean, these there's I, I, the Tiger King. I didn't. There's a whole world of America that I didn't know existed, and I, you know, I'm well traveled as a comedian. I thought I've seen what's out there, and. I'd like to put these humans in cages and study them and keep them as pets. They're fascinating. Mm-hmm. I did, this is a whole subspecies of <laughs> subhumans that, uh, but what is, what, what is the personality disorder that, uh, that a human would suffer from to want right. to collect exotic animals? Well, so this is really an interesting question. And there was a study done on this um, back in 2016. And, and, you know, we can talk more about this next time. But essentially, they what they did is they did uh, the, a personality inventory mm-hmm. on um, people that owned exotic pets. Right? You know everything. I just threw this question at you. You know everything. Go ahead. <laughs> well, and so they predicted that people who were owning, um, you know, exotic animals. Uh, they wanted to know if they were more narcissistic or, or had more borderline personality disorders wow. um, <laughs> than, you know, the average cat, dog, hamster. Uh, and I'm going to throw snakes into the, the, the mix because snakes are an exotic pet. And the big ones. I mean, they're, they're like... Well, these they don't tri- have to be big. They could be small exotic pets, you know, like, okay. like snakes and... Uh, and, and, and tigers and chimpanzees and, and smaller cats too. You know, I mean, it's, it's not just big animals, it's primates. People can own small, tiny primates, uh, right. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's exotic pets. So what is it, you know, so they did this, uh, assessment. They, there's something called the big five personality, which measures, uh, and I study personality in animals, which is why I know this, mm-hmm. um, extroversion, openness, uh, conscientiousness, anxiety, and neuroticism. And, and then they simultaneously took a look at how attached the individual was to uh, their existing pet. And, uh, and then they also had them fill out a 52-question narcissism inventory. <laughs> wow. Right? And a borderline personality uh, uh, assessment. So they did all of these things. And, and then here's what they found, just as a summary. Um, people who uh, were really overly attached to their pets uh, not, were, were uh, more vulnerable to being narcissistic, but only if the pet was an unconventional exotic pet. So that didn't apply for cats and dogs or hmm. hamsters, right? right. Um, people who were really grandiose um, you know, were more attached to their pet, but only if it was a traditional companion animal. So like your dog and your cat. And, and so, um, so basically people who scored high on borderline personality traits, um, were, were, um, were, uh, 
were not um, more attached uh, to their to their pets. They weren't more sort of attached, right? And so essentially, they they didn't really find uh, a, a lot of um, strength in the argument that there was a significant mental disorder <laughs> or personality disorder with uh, the purchase of exotic pets. I, I think they there's a little bit more work that needs to be done on this. Like it's a, an attention seeking thing. It's uh, you so know, you're it's like saying that Ferrari, right? Right. It's like it's it's like the same kind of assessment we make of status. It's a status thing. It's a attention seeking thing. Well, well, hang on for a second. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. You're saying that they did an inventory of these personalities and they discovered that those humans who have exotic pets are not on the spectrum of a narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah, it says that there's sort of some of the research, you know, and this is just something recently in the last couple of years that people have sort of been, you know, uh, assessing this. So I'm talking about empirical studies, you know, not our personal opinions, that, um, you know, it seems similar. The motivation seems similar, um, you know, and as varied. I mean, people who own dogs and cats aren't necessarily don't necessarily have borderline personality disorder either or aren't right. narcissistic. Right. I right. mean, so, so they, they want a desire. The commonality is desire for closeness and connection to an animal. I see. Now what kind of animal you have. So if we go to indigenous populations in South America, many of them have monkeys as part of their community and parrots and right. But it's not the same reasoning as, Someone who's like, I just want to, I want a monkey because it's like a baby and I never had kids. Right. A lot of people who own chimpanzees and orangutans, you know, they want them because they're like babies and they treat right. them like babies. And I've seen people treat dogs like babies and put them in little baby carriages and wheel them around like they right. dress them. This right. is, this is not healthy as far as I'm concerned. So, but, but essentially what pet you own and, uh, you know, the, the underlying similarity in the, in the sort of motivation for many is I just want to be close to animals. Right. And okay. So we, we have to wrap it up. Okay. Last question on these exotic animals, the owning of a tiger or a lion and keeping them in a cage on your property is, is it, be, is the attraction that they can kill you? Is, is that is it, is it a feeling of power that I have something that could theoretically kill me and the fact that it doesn't kill me makes me feel that I'm in control of my life, that I'm more powerful than I than I, I mean. I mean, I don't know. I think the other side of it could be that the sense of I have dom dominance over something that could kill me and I control it. Yeah. I don't yeah. know that it's I'm powerful because it chooses not to kill me because most exotic animals end up beaten um, and otherwise tortured to into behaving, quote unquote, behaving. And um, and this is yeah, I've seen the consequences of that. I mentioned that last week. So, you know, the idea that you you you, uh, um, you know, punish and and destroy another species so that it's, you simply can have power over it to make sure it doesn't kill you, um, you know, is 
a, a personality problem and a psychological problem and an ethical and moral problem that, you know, maybe doesn't have a singular explanation. And I think that, you know, um, we are all, are all attracted to baby animals. So the problem is a lot of people, of course, you see a baby tiger, you see a baby lion. It's so cute. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And, it, mm-hmm. and it does, it triggers in our brain. Um, the, the Conrad Lorenz said, you know, explaining why we don't kill our children, right? <laughs> or why, why adults don't harm infants under normal circumstances in virtually, you know, when the parent doesn't harm children. And family members don't harm babies in in other species as well. Is because it it triggers the cute, you know, the vulnerable thing. Like you know, it's vulnerable, and so you're more careful with it. And right. so I think we're attracted to some of these animals when they're little because they're cute, and and it's a caretaking trigger. Not for everybody, not for many people like this person that is, I think, unreasonably being celebrated in a TV show, um, you know, but. And the, and the thing to, well, well to be continued uh, okay. when you come back, it, uh, the Tiger King reminds me of Escaping Neverland, the documentary about Michael Jackson and yeah. kids. Yeah. Because it's perverse. You watch Escaping Neverland. And the reason it's art is it forces you to think differently. You begin to believe or question, well, how bad was this really for some of these kids? And mm-hmm. that's when you catch yourself saying, oh, my God, they've, they, you know, this is so twisted that they've got me thinking, well, maybe these, maybe these kids weren't as damaged as right. we're led to believe. And then you start watching tiger king and you're beginning to think well i mean maybe these animals don't. but as this story unfolds and you see that the only way to keep these tigers and lions in captivity is taking them immediately from the mother the minute they're born they are no no Mm -mm. and it's and you go oh no this is no no, wrong disagree nope Nope. No, it's right. I agree with you. I agree with oh. you. It's horrible. It's no, no, no. I'm saying it's not the only way to, that, that that's a false belief that if you have it immediately when it's born and you raise it like that, that somehow it's a different kind of relationship. That's a false statement. Wow. All yeah. right. All right. I mean, that's, and, and I just know there have been many, many cases of people mauled and attacked by animals they quote unquote raised um, as a baby. Right. Mm. Immediately. Um, And then, you know, never mind that you've stolen it from a parent. Yeah. 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 Uh, Sorry. I get get real hot about this. I get I get real in my feelings about it. (laughs) Yeah. And there's a level we'll discuss it. There's a level of of exploitation of these animals uh, that Netflix is committing. Well, right. Yeah. But they're not the only one. I mean, I have long abhorred the, uh, you know, the style of animal wildlife shows where you have some person grabbing animals. And incidentally, you know, that's not how it goes. They usually capture the animal. Like if it's a snake, they put it in a refrigerator to right. slow it down so that you get to see this this host holding a snake that's not being reactive. And right. the problem is that it's creating a message and I think it's, it's polluted people's 
uh, ability to interact responsibly with wildlife. And we've seen many, many animals harmed and killed by this incessant selfie need. And I Mm -hmm. think that's driven by celebrating shows that, uh, that, that don't honor and respect the boundary and, and space that is healthy between ourselves and other wild animals. And so, you know, and the tricks that are used that, that the viewers don't realize, uh, that are also, I believe, harmful and disrespectful to wildlife. Uh, and they do it because it brings ratings and everybody thinks it's exciting. And, um, you know, I think it'd be, it, it's a good time to really question that. Yes. First. To be continued, to be okay. continued. Thank <laughs> you so much for, for this. Dr. Jennifer Verlin joined us today from Tucson, Arizona. She is an animal behaviorist and she has two books that everybody should go buy. They are Wild Connection, What Animal Courtship and Mating Tell Us About Human Relationships, and Raised by Animals, The Surprising New Science of Animal Family Dynamics with Try-at-Home Lessons from the Wild. Go to jenniferverdelin.com and sign up for her newsletter. Subscribe to her YouTube channel, Wild Connection TV, and follow Dr. Jennifer Verdelin on Twitter at real Dr. Jen. Thank you so much. And Thank to you. be continued. Yes. These were uh that's always great. Can you stay on the line, Dr. Jennifer Ferdelin? Yes. You're listening to the David Feldman Show, you happy self-actualized hump. Coming to you live from Liberty University. <laughs> Thanks, kids. Thank you. Here to join us is the Reverend Barry W. Lynn. He was the executive director of Americans United for Separation of Church and State from 1992 to November of 2017. Besides being an attorney, a lawyer, he is also an ordained minister in the United Church of, let me see if I'm pronouncing this properly, Christ? Did I get that right, Christ? Yes, David, you did. Please welcome from Washington, D.C., the Reverend Barry W. Lynn. Uh, thank you very much for that. I appreciate the audience. I, and I'm, we're all are social distancing. Those people that we're applauding, shouting about, uh, applauding the fact that I'm here were literally hundreds of miles away on Zoom. Well, Did I ever tell you the story of uh, being on Crossfire, the old show Crossfire, with uh, Jerry Falwell? Jerry Falwell and I were on many times on that show together. And at one point, Bob Novak, who was the one of the uh, crotchety conservatives that they had on the uh, conservative side of that, uh, he says to Falwell one night, would you let Barry come to Liberty University and preach? 
And Falwell says, I wouldn't let Barry Lynn preach on a street corner in the entire city. Wow. After the show, Novak came up to me and said, you know, Barry, I really thought he'd say, sure, I'd like to hear him. Hmm. Yeah. Well, he, Jerry's not a gracious person, was not a gracious person. His son reopened Liberty University and the coronavirus is popping up there. There's a little mini outbreak. Now, that is true. He um, he did. Uh, the, the initial report said that they were going to start classes, which turned out not to be true. But he was encouraging people to come back, stay in the dorms and then take their classes over the Internet. And, of course, it's very hard, as I th- I'm quite confident uh, you and I and everyone listening to this show knows, you do go stir-crazy after a while, a very short while. And as a consequence, people were leaving their rooms and going outside and engaging in athletics and eating with people outside. And then, of course, the outbreak did begin. But isn't it better? I mean, that, you know, isn't it better if you're an 18 year old kid? Isn't it healthier for you to be in a dormitory than it is going back and visiting your parents? Well, most of them were at their parents at the time. So they were coming back. So if they had the coronavirus uh, when they first went to see their parents and their parents were already infected, and um, I think it's uh, I think it's just a terrible idea because it, it's it's impossible. Think about your college days. Did you ever think that I could not imagine unless I was asleep? I, I couldn't imagine sitting in a dorm room for any protracted period of time. I wanted to be outside all the time. I wanted to do whatever you can do outside. I wanted to go down to the pizza place and I wanted to go to the social hall. And so, no, he should never have invited them to come back. If they had done any damage to their parents, they had already done it. And I think this is a a really, really terrible idea. Will Will you be the same after this? Will Washington be the same after this? And will America be the same after this? Uh, No, I don't think so. I mean, I know I won't be the same. I've never encountered this kind of of, um, crisis. The World Health Organization is, is saying this is World War II. This is tantamount to World War II. Well, it is. I, I think it's in some ways it's worse because at least you could identify the enemy there. The people who were described as the enemy, they looked a certain way, uh, they dressed a certain way, and you were in combat with them or you were in an airplane bombing them. But here you can't tell from one minute to the next whether the person is a problem or whether it's a perfectly 
harmless person who's happening maybe to walk a little closer to you as you cross that person on the on the street pass them by on the street so i think in many ways this is even worse than world war ii because it's so unclear and there's so many things we don't understand and as you and i have talked about for the last month all these numbers the projections the graphs they're very different but they all indicate the same thing we are a long way from hitting the peak infection rate in big cities like New York and Seattle and well, we're, Boston we're, we're, and we're, Washington. Yeah, well, we're being told that the apex in New York City is anywhere between 14 to 21 days away. And once we hit the apex, then, you know, there's... Right. A, there's a, I don't believe that. You don't believe I, I don't. That. I simply don't believe that. I don't believe we're going to hit the apex in New York City. And the, the governor has increased it now to 30 days. But I think even in 30 days, we are just not going to see the worst situation in New York. And I think we have to be honest about it. I think I really like uh, watching uh, Andrew Cuomo's press conferences. They're so much more literate entertaining and informative than anything that our jerky president says at the end of the day. And I'm sure that uh, uh, Trump is offended by the fact that uh, Cuomo can get up there, talk, have a graphic that makes sense and uh, and find. I think the last poll I saw of New Yorkers, 87 percent of New Yorkers now find it reassuring to listen to their governor. And of course, I don't think that would have been the case six months ago, right? Right. And we also found it reassuring to listen to Giuliani. <laughs> so, you know, it, and, and <laughs> Cuomo right. and Cuomo has cut about what? Half of how much does he cut from Medicaid? I mean, if you're on Medicaid, well, no, he's not. Yeah, but he. He's not perfect. And I know teachers who didn't like him because he cut education funding. Uh, but now we're in a new day. And I think we have to get over what he did in the past because we're now at a position where he appears to be more knowledgeable, more proactive than anybody else in government. It's the same with Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom a very uh, had a very con- tankerous relationship with a lot of people, including a lot of progressives in California. But now that he, too, has stepped up to the plate, people say, you know, Governor Newsom, not a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about religion. You're a reverend. You've dedicated much of your career and life to the separation of church and state. This is a time when people often turn to religion. Why shouldn't they? Uh, they should, as long as they can do what uh, many of us do. For example, uh, I find a church service on the Internet on Sundays and watch it, interact with it. Um, that's how I get my spiritual solace these days. I do not expect to go to church. I don't expect that churches should, although they're being given the right to, hold mass meetings and, of course, in the process, manage to uh, infect a lot of other people, their own parishioners. And, of course, we find 
nitwits like Governor DeSantis in Florida, who spent several weeks uh, unwilling to even have a stay-at-home order for the state while the spring breakers all partied and got COVID-19. Then, of course, just a few days ago, he decides, well, I guess it's time for a statewide stay-at-home order. But like other states, Ohio, Texas, Michigan, his stay-at-home order has an exemption for religious services, and that is absurdly dangerous based on a very flawed idea of what it is to be engaged in religious freedom. And, of course, much of this happened because of a man named Pastor Rodney Howard Brown in Tampa. He was arrested earlier this week for having a very large church service last Sunday. Uh, He's quoted as saying, I've got news for you. This church will never close. So the Attorney General... Uh, of the state uh, of Florida did arrest him, booked him, and now probably will be told to drop the charges uh, by the governor who believes that this is an essential business. And uh, religion's a lot more essential than, say, selling guns, often deemed an essential business in other states. But um, it's too dangerous. It's it's absolutely Are they keeping too six feet away? At the no, church? they're not. They're hugging each other. Really? That's what you do. You go to church, you shake people's hands, you hug them. I thought that was just priests and altar boys. I didn't know they all did. That. No, that was a, that's a false. That's that's fake news. Well, okay. Pastor Tony Spell, he's in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the Life Tabernacle Church. Uh, he was told he better not have a large gathering. And he said, we feel we are being persecuted for the faith by being told to close our doors. What is the thinking? What what are they thinking? Well, they're thinking that, well, two things might be going on. One is they may believe, as do, for example, snake handling cults, that they truly cannot be hurt if they believe strongly enough in God. And, of course, um, they could be thinking that. But, of course, as uh, more of these uh, large gatherings occur, religious or otherwise, choir practice in Washington State, uh, everybody gets infected. And then people start to die. But Jerry Falwell, and, uh, Jr., Jerry Falwell, Jr., not yeah. not a reverend, a lawyer. No. He lawyer. opens he opens liberty. Not as an act of faith, but for f- fiscal reasons, he wants the money. The- oh, yeah, he has it. Oh, yes, David, he wants the money. And of course, uh, Liberty University, even before any of this happened, largely was a, a campus where you got your degrees by going on the Internet. Mm-hmm. It was this kind of long distance learning. That's where the real profit margin is at Liberty University. And, um, but it's all about the money. I mean, I do believe many people always ask me, what about Jerry Falwell? Did he believe the things he said? And I do kind of think he believed the things he said. I, I don't know his son very well, but I do know that I don't believe that, uh, he has the, uh, the commitment 
to his version of Christianity that his dad did. And Reverend in Tampa, Reverend Brown, he's keeping that church open for the collection plate. Yes, he is. But uh, curiously, you mentioned that because I only learned two days ago that the fact that churches are losing money through the collection plates um, has led to an interesting interpretation of the stimulus bill, which we talked about last week at length. There's a provision in the in the stimulus bill for small businesses and how they can get loans. Now, here's how it works. There are small business administration loans, and this includes nonprofits, including charities and religious organizations, you can get two and a half times the average monthly payroll costs up to $10 million. And then after eight weeks, if you've kept people employed, that becomes not a loan, but an actual grant. So that after eight weeks, the cost of payroll, rent, utilities will be effectively forgiven. And that's a blatant violation of what the First Amendment ought to mean. But the, that's the good news. But the bad news is the United States Supreme Court, which, uh, uh, as you know, I'm not very happy with, uh, has a case. They, just, they heard it already, so they will decide it. And the question in that case in regard to religious schools is, can you exclude religious schools from a state program that gives money to private schools simply because they are religious? In the old days, we would say, well, of course you can, because there is no non-establishment principle of cultural phenomenon or any other kind of human activity, but there is something that suggests you can't fund religious groups. And in this case, you would actually be paying pastors, priests, rabbis, and any other officiant of a church if that person retains employees and retains them for eight weeks. Then the salary, the salary of that minister, priest, rabbi, or other officiant would become a grant to the church. 50 years That's ago, a big deal. 50 years ago, would a church, temple, or mosque be willing to identify itself as a small business? They might, uh, because there have always been people who are, shall we say, a little more interested in the money. But it is a little unseemly, to, I mean, to be so transparent uh, that, and just say, yes, we're a business. Yeah. Yes, but uh, I'll tell you, you, the, there are people, there are churches who have already said we will not avail ourselves of this money. If this is, in fact, the interpretation of the law, we will not because we don't want to become dependent on the largesse of government. Uh, and th- those, I, I really respect people like that. But the Small Business Administration doesn't only support businesses. It, it does support these nonprofits, which in some ways are businesses, not a traditional sense. But... Um, and if it, under the theory of this administration, if you allow nonprofits to get these loans that may become grants, then you have to include religious 
nonprofits as well, churches, synagogues, councils of churches. And the Church that of Feldman. That would be unheard of 50 years ago. And the Church, the Church of, of Feldman. How's that going, by the way? That, How's that going? Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me, let me, let's look. Wait, I got some paper here. Yeah, I'm uh, working on it. Well, you know, you have uh, extra time I, now. You're a lawyer and a minister. Yeah. And we were going to create the Church of Feldman. And right. you you dropped the ball, well, Reverend. Yeah. Uh, there was this little little matter of a... Uh, of payment, though. I, 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 well, I, how am I going to pay you if I'm not a church? <laughs> well, because you can pay me out of the goodness of your heart. You can pay me. And then I can do things like, look at, look at this valuable thing I found today. Mm-hmm. Do you know that you can buy one acre of the planet Mars for $57? Mm. Okay. Yeah, one acre. And this would... I could use this as part of my vast collection of obscure pieces of property I recently found from, I think when I was six years old, there was a, a breakfast cereal that sold, that gave you in the box a square inch of the, of the, it wasn't even yet a state, Alaska, a square inch of Alaska. So I have two, I found the deeds cleaning up recently. Two square inches of Alaska combined with an acre on Mars, I'm going to be sitting pretty. In order to pay your way through seminary school, didn't you once sell five inches of Uranus? (laughs) No, that's that's another false statement. Another false false statement. Okay. It's just, yeah, it's. I'm I'm depressed. I'm depressed. I I went for the Uranus joke. I'm depressed. You know, uh, Charles Bukowski is one of my favorite poets. I don't know if you read him, but one of my favorite lines of his is some people never go crazy. What truly horrible lives they must lead. (laughs) Uh, Bukowski, yeah, a postal worker who didn't become a guy shooting up people. He became a world class poet. And, you know, they. Going postal, there are several generations of people who don't understand the term going postal because they were able to cure that problem. Yeah, it never was. It was always loosely based on the truth because. uh, But there was an epidemic of postal workers snapping and they worked with the Secret Service and they were able to identify not just the people who were most likely to shoot the place up but the tasks the way they were being oppressed they were able to make the necessary changes you never hear anymore of a postal worker shooting up the place but that was a problem it was an epidemic Um, some would say yeah it happened with some frequency but yeah that's back when we i don't i i wouldn't call it epidemic let me ask you about the Kennedy Center. Yes. Instead of the a Kennedy church, Center. what about the Feldman Center for Performing Arts? I understand the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts got $25 million from the stimulus bill and yes, thanked did. everybody by laying off their orchestra. Yes, they did. Well, 
you know, I'm a purist. I don't think that they should have gotten any money for that at all. I go to the Kennedy Center. The ticket prices are incredibly high. I don't go very often. But um, and it's run no, by a man named a David stimul- Rubenstein, who runs exactly. the Carlisle Group, which is exactly. one of the most nefarious hedge funds in the world. It's it's they literally bribe world leaders to do certain things and then give them jobs after they do those things. <laughs> you know that Tony Blair worked for the Carlisle Group after he agreed to uh, help us invade Iraq. And the Bush family, both presidents, got money from the Carlisle Group. That's David Rubenstein, and he runs the Kennedy Center. And he has his own show on the PBS and he wanted to come on my show. Did you know that? I, I swear to you. I did not know that. His publicist, no. he has a book out, and his publicist really? contacted me, and I said, I like you because sometimes you throw me interesting guests. I would hmm. love to have David Rubenstein on the show, but I'm going to talk to him about the Carlisle Group. I'm not going to talk to him about his life story and his philanthropy. Sure. And sure. so I said, at a, a favor to you, I'm going to pass on David F. A. <laughs> Rubenstein. But, uh, yeah, looking back, I should have yeah. had him on the show. Yeah, probably. Well, because you can charm almost anyone. I mean, look at the look at the insulting things you say to me, for example, or to your many other guests. And uh, but we keep coming back because we like you. Yeah. Never, never forget. That you're a likable person. That stimulus bill, by the way, uh, has a lot of other. The, the more days go by, every day something else looks more and more rotten to me in that bill. And I wish we had started. Nancy Pelosi had started this bill, as all spending bills should be starting in the House. Not let Mitch McConnell do the first terrible draft of it because uh, she had a a kind of recipe for it in a bill by Maxine Waters of California. But because Maxine Waters is an aging African-American woman from California, frequently they don't take her ideas seriously. She's head of the banking committee, isn't she? She's head of the banking committee. They were even grousing about whether she should become the chair of the banking committee because there is an enormous amount of hostility toward uh, African-American members of the House. I mean, it's just it's there, but they couldn't stop her and they shouldn't have stopped her. And they should have paid attention to this piece of legislation and started with it because it was based on the premise that you have to help the workers, not the companies, but you have to help the workers. It had no bailouts. It didn't give $29 billion in grants and $29 billion in loans. Any money for unions? Industries. Any money for the unions? Strike funds? In Maxine's book, I, I, Maxine's bill was uh, better for unions, but I'm not sure that it gave them direct funding. And now there's but, talk but of... It was worker-focused. It, it was not company-focused. Right. This whole bill is nothing but company focused. And even in those, you know, Bernie gave a wonderful speech on the floor and he voted for this bill. But he gave a, a speech where he said, we have to make sure that there are strings attached to this huge 500 billion dollars worth of 
grants and loans to big business. And he got some changes so that they can't do stock buybacks and they can't do self-dealing. But the president, upon signing this piece of legislation, which your listeners uh, may have noticed that uh, when he had a signing ceremony, there wasn't a single Democrat invited to the signing ceremony. And when he wrote the signing ceremony, what presidents have tended to do in the last couple of presidents have write what's called a signing statement that claims to interpret pieces of the bill, particularly pieces of the bill that uh, the president doesn't like. One of the things Bernie fought for was to get an inspector general uh, to do oversight and then make immediately make a report to the Congress about what he has found in the signing ceremony. Trump said, well, I think that violates the Constitution because it gives the Congress a power of oversight that it should not have. So it's it's useless. The attorney, the inspector general who's been appointed is a guy named Glenn Fine. And uh, he's the he's what's called a SIGPRA. What is that? The uh, SIGPRA is the uh, Inspector General for Pandemic Something. Recovery. Yeah. The Inspector General, the special, I knew there was an S there, the Special Inspector General for Pandemic Recovery. And he's a, he's a been in Washington a long time, and he's not a bad person, uh, but uh, he's not going to be allowed to take his findings to Congress because the president said he doesn't have the power to do that, and the Congress never had the power to put that in the bill in the first place. So when Mnuchin, the Secretary of the Treasury, and other people who claimed that they worked so hard to get this bill passed – Mnuchin knew exactly what this inspector general was supposed to do. He's, he agreed to it, and now he stands there, as he did earlier today, looking like a, a, a wooden statue, knowing that he's not going to obey the law. Right. That's the... The peril of the signing statements, which, hey, does the Supreme yeah, Court... The signing Go ahead. No, there, well, there are limits to what there are limits to what the Supreme Court will allow in a signing statement, but uh, it's unclear. There's very little litigation about it. And look, I I used to write stuff, signing statements, to be included in things that Bill Clinton was going to say uh, because, uh, you know, he wanted to smooth over some things that perhaps were not clear in the language itself. But this was clear from the beginning. And uh, the idea behind a signing notice, statement is that the president of the United States is in charge of the executive branch. Was at, they have about 3.2 million employees and he enforces right. the laws on the books. He's the top law enforcement guy in the federal government. So I always understood signing statements to be how the president is going to interpret this new law and enforce it. But it could change from president to president. That's what a signing statement was supposed to be, his interpretation of how he's going to enforce this new law. 
Yeah, but I mean, how he's going to enforce it also means what does he understand the law actually says? Right. And uh, so that's the threshold. And in this case, I think it's very clear. I mean, I have the whole bill and I I, I look at it in horror uh, every time I hear some rumor about what's in or not in it. And, um, you know, it, this this was supposed to be done. And what Nancy Pelosi has done now is re- if the Congress ever comes back, which presumably it will, uh, she wants to set up a special committee in in the House uh, to look at the implementation of the stimulus bill. But good luck with that, because uh, we don't have a lot of time to look at it. Right. Good luck also with her coming up with the stimulus four bill, the phase four bill that she talks about. Mitch McConnell's already said, I'm not going, we don't have time. We need to look and see how phases one, two, and three are working before we get on to phase four. And uh, as I may have alluded to last week, uh, I live here in the District of Columbia. We have 700,000 people here. We're a more populous place than, say, oh, the state of Wyoming. We have no senators. We have no voting member of the House of Representatives. And in the stimulus bill, this place gets one half of what any state gets, one half of the per capita expenditures, one half of the payments uh, to workers, because we are treated in this bill as a territory, not unlike Guam, American Samoa, and Puerto Rico. However, those places uh, do not pay federal income tax. We do pay federal income tax, a very, very large amount of it, and we get half And all of these senators from Maryland and Virginia, they acted the day after they passed this thing and congratulated themselves. They 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 acted like they knew that this was in the bill, but that we fix it later. I have heard the fix it later excuse for decades here in Washington. But the last stimulus never is it fixed. But the last the the the. Part of the country that did the best from the last stimulus bill after the financial crisis was not Washington, D.C., but the Washington, D.C. area. It did very Business well. is going to start booming in the Washington, D.C. area because of the stimulus bill. Yeah, but I don't really care what business does. I care about how the people who live in this area are being treated. And when you can live two miles away in the state of Maryland, and if you're eligible, many people aren't even eligible, to get this piddling $1,200 a person one-time payout, and you go into the district and you get $600, I happen to think that maybe some of those uh, representatives that just said, well, we'll fix it later, just happen to recognize that this is still a majority non-white city, and maybe they just didn't care. U.S. jobless claims, U.S. jobless claims soared to 6.6 million last week. Unprecedented, the, the speed at which... Jobs are being lost. Uh, We're all in this together. Well, you know, that phrase, we're all in this together, 
Uh, I hate that phrase because, and I must say that even within the Lynn household here, every time I say that I hate that phrase when it's uttered by some local, you know, newscaster, even my own wife says, that's not fair, but I think it is fair. We're all in this together, but some of us are more in it than others. Well, yeah, and um, some of us caused the it. I mean, I do think, and I'm glad that there are people now in social media who really wonder why in the world not only the president, but the president's sycophants in office and possibly even members of the news media who are also sycophants who have been giving us deliberate lies and de-emphasizing the seriousness of the coronavirus doing things like not only in the white house removing the pandemic uh, office there uh, but also not sending uh, people to china we had we used to have people that would be sent to china to help them understand what was going on in the fall of last year. But those people were fired also. He's culpable. He, You know, when you look at the modern history of this country and of the world, and you look at the really bad people, Pol Pot, Hitler, Stalin, I think you could safely put Donald J. Trump right into that atmosphere of people who are mass killers, mass killers. Let's just call it that. He's got blood on his and hands. The, and the governors, the governors who will not recognize what their responsibility is, not only the governor of Florida, DeSantis we talked about, but the governor of Georgia, who only a day ago said he he was going to shut down the state because he said nobody knew, meaning he didn't know, that you could transmit the coronavirus even if you weren't showing symptoms. Now, everybody else that watched even, what, five minutes of television in the last two weeks would have known that that's the case. But the governor there, who, who basically stole the election down there from Stacey Abrams, uh, he, he he just he said nobody knew. It's that phrase the president uses it all the time. Who knew? I didn't because he didn't know. Doesn't mean nobody knew because if he had listened to people, he'd have known. So but you're a you're a man busy. of the, you're a man of the cloth. Yes. What is God trying to tell us other than buy stock and Zoom? <laughs> You know, uh, we should talk about, uh, I, I do. What think is that, God telling that, us? What is God telling I, us? I think God, you know, we have this thing called radical free will. I mean, this is a central part of the Christian belief system. We, we make judgments and we make terrible judgments and there's not always the power of God to stop us from doing these terrible things. So I don't blame God for this. I blame the fallibility, the irresponsibility, and the stupidity of what men and women choose to do right here, right on earth. Which That's deadly which deadly sin? Which deadly sin created this mess? Uh, what deadly sin? <laughs> um, well, it's a uh, 
cupidity. No, but that's not a deadly sin. It's not a traditional deadly sin. But but it, it when you when you think you know everything, that's generally considered a deadly sin. So I'd have to give the vote to that. It's it's not greed. It's not lust. Sneezy? It's can, this, can we blame sneezy? Is that one of the deadly sins? Yeah, that it was. Uh, it was always my. He was always my favorite dwarf. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, who's we're, we're not living in a fairy tale anymore. I mean, this is really a horror movie of the worst kind. And I, you know, lots of people are watching Netflix all the time now. And there's a whole section now in most of these streaming services for end of the world stuff. Mm-hmm. And I must admit, I've watched a few. And, so uh, sloth. <laughs> it's we blame the, the, the sin sloth. of sloth of people sitting and slothfully slogging through Netflix, that's what caused this, and not paying attention, not doing the work as citizens that they should be doing. So it's sloth that yeah. caused this. Okay, I, 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 I won't stand corrected because I, I care about our president's view. And you're but sitting. But I will say, yeah, and I'm sitting, and uh, I, I, I'm almost curled up like a sloth would be. But why do we not, David? Every other country that has been facing the same thing, look at what they do to the workers. Australia, $3,000 a month for every person indefinitely. Denmark, 75% of employee salaries up to $3,288 a month. By the way, did you know that when the, did you know that when the economy goes into the shitter in Australia, it spins counterclockwise? Did you know that? Yes, it's a. Uh, I do. I've I've visited Australia a couple of times, and I've noticed that. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you know that Australia has the Aust- deadliest, the most deadly snakes and insects and plants of any place on Earth? Did you know that Australia you know that? is having its first recession in thirty years? I did not know that. 30 years but they somehow they're, a recession. But they're managing to pay $3,000 a month to the people who work there. Yeah. Why can't we do that? Because we're too busy bailing out companies, making sure that there are all kinds of loopholes so that they don't even have to obey, uh, abide by the few uh, restrictions that were placed into the bill. Moral they, hazard. They don't don't they call it a moral hazard when you bail out, when you help people? When you give them money that's unearned, isn't that isn't the term moral hazard? Didn't they use that term during the financial I, crisis in 2008? I do not know that phrase. They I called it a moral hazard. The, the reluctance, well, the reluctance to bail out the banks. Yeah, they worried about a moral well, hazard. They use the word moral. What other countries? Well, they're they're paying corporations. Not to lay off workers in Europe, right? Yes. Yeah. But here, um, you know, it, I, I would recommend that people, your listeners, look not just at this $500 billion, the kind of corporate giveaway and what restrictions may or may not be there, but a few days before this bill was passed, um, uh, Mnuchin, the Secretary of the Treasury, announced that this, uh, the, he called it a 
$4 trillion infusion of money from the Federal Reserve. And so I'm not a trained economist, but I do care about economics, and I, I looked into what that possibly meant. The Secretary of the Treasury, if he frees up, say, $10 billion, then the Federal Reserve can loan 10 times that amount, $100 billion. And this is an infusion where you can buy, you can buy up debt of companies. And there are no restrictions. The few that might eventually crawl back into the stimulus package, there are no restrictions on this trillions of extra dollars that will be used in leverage from the Treasury, allowing the Federal Reserve to buy up this uh, stock and buy up bonds. So that's completely off the record. There are no rules. There are no Just rules. Just one more problem. There are no rules. Unless you're part of the 99%. Yeah, then there are rules. You know, there are, uh, as you know, there are enormous numbers of deaths in nursing homes. And uh, so the federal government in the last week or so has been criticizing them for not doing the right thing to protect their residents, like not having enough doctors on call. And so they're punishing uh, some of the most vulnerable people in the country who happen to live in nursing homes and the people who do the Lord's work, literally, uh, to take care of people in those facilities, often at great risk to themselves. But the federal government decides it's going to criticize them for uh, not abiding by every jot and tittle of the regulations that apply to nursing homes while they here in Washington, uh, have been ignoring all of this, ignoring what the Defense Department told them was going on in China, firing the people in the work on pandemics, both here and people who are sent to other countries to look at it. And yet the president says, and the sycophants who show up every afternoon about 5.15, uh, say the president Mr. President, thank you for your leadership. He has not led us to anything except deeper into this calamity, deeper than you can imagine. Remember Katrina? Remember all the African-Americans in the Fourth Ward of New Orleans? Of course. And and you know what the conservatives did? Do you remember? They demonized the victims. Of course they did. Sure, they said, look at the looters. And I showed, I I was in Australia, we were talking about Australia, I was in Australia when Katrina hit, and all I saw on the news from the United States was one, a, a kind of file footage piece of people carrying stuff out of a drugstore, you know, uh, toilet paper, little electronic devices. So they demonized them totally. And it it was, you may, may remember... Uh, the dome, the, the, dome the, the arena that they were stuck in with no lights, no energy, and exactly. no water. And, and then the lies that of crimes that were going on that weren't. And I saw, conserv- I, I saw Glenn Beck call these people scumbags. 
I saw other conservatives say these people are too lazy to get out of the way of a hurricane as though they had some place to go. They they demonize (laughs) they demonize the victims in this country. But basically, it's what were you wearing? (laughs) It's um, and they'll do that. They'll blame you for getting the virus. We will see pictures of those kids on spring break. And yeah. they'll they'll be the ones in about four months who will be responsible for the virus and the Asians. Lindsey Graham is already demonizing these these wet, of course, these wet butchers. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, yeah. What it is, I forget which one of these right. It, it's really easy. Uh, right wing nuts all kind of merge together, but um, a guy who said. Um, what do you expect from a country where they eat dogs yeah. and bats, dogs yeah. and bats? So although there's not a lot of dog and bat consumption. Um, you know what the problem with religion you, is, Reverend Barry W. Lynn, what? executive what? director what of Americans it? United for Separation Church and State. Religion does two things. They demonize a certain type of person and... They ask for forgiveness for the people who suck up to the church, mosque, or temple. So we're taught to forgive and demonize at the same time. So we were taught to forgive and make excuses for somebody like Donald Trump or George W. Bush. And at the same time, we demonize Mexicans, blacks, and the Chinese. That's that's the unholy alliance between leaders and the church. That's why the church and religion is so dangerous in the public square, right? Yeah, but and then again, if you look at what Reverend Barber, the great organizer down in North Carolina, has been saying, he's been publishing a lot of stuff. His, his sole purpose, really, is to guarantee that the poor in this country get treated fairly and of course he's horrified by what's going on and when you look at local churches around the country they are not seeking government handouts some of them what they are trying to do is find ways that they can be a good force in their communities because these communities are not doing enough and I can't blame people. I mean, look at the number of healthcare workers who are petrified about even going to work because the stimulus bills didn't get enough ventilators, didn't get enough protective equipment, face masks, suits. We couldn't even buy enough. We couldn't even think enough about this months ago to say, you know, we could have a problem, even when even the Defense Department was attempting to tell the White House, you know, there's something going on in China that is really dangerous. And in fact, at one point, there's a Department of Defense memo people can see uh, that says we expect there could be 150,000 deaths here in the United States. And that's pretty much in the middle of what I still sadly think is an understatement of the number of deaths we'll have eventually here in the United States. Which brings me to one final point. He's going to get reelected. He's going to get reelected. I I think that that's exactly what's going to happen. But here's why, you know, on The View yesterday, Whoopi Goldberg 
Yes. Who's who's not even sure we we landed on the moon among other things. But mm-hmm. um, she was she had Bernie on and she was yelling at him to get out of the race. I and, saw that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Donald Trump. Joe Biden and Bernie are all in their 70s. Uh, I didn't do terribly well in mathematics except for one subject, statistics. All of these people being in their 70s are at very high risk for death if they get infected. They're almost certain that two of those three people will be infected. And I think it's almost, it, it's almost quaint to think about who will the Democrats nominate. Um, one of those three people is probably going to be sufficiently disabled that he's one of them already is to be able to run. Biden is sufficiently disabled. That doesn't mean anything. No. He's at yeah, because <laughs> now he's, you know, I, yesterday he what? was uh, you didn't see him. I saw <laughs> Joe Biden showing us how to make a mask out of a ventilator. Yeah. Yeah, I missed that. But that is because I, I probably was watching uh, Trump explain. You know, Donald Trump cannot even read a statement if he's it's a, right in front of him. He's a lot smarter than Biden. I give I've. So Trump wait a is second. smarter than Biden? I think Trump no. is smarter than Biden. I do. I think no, he's I got think raw... he's more effect. Oh. I think his brain is firing on more cylinders than Biden's. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. You have you have a yes. law degree. Yes. And you have you're you're a reverend. Yes. Right? Yes. And you did poorly in math. Except for statistics. Right. What are the odds that you'd be good at statistics? <laughs> um, I got an A. Okay. It's the only time I ever got an A in a math class. In college, statistics. But I liked it because it made sense. And I wish that people liked the president and like Mike Pence. And, and even in Dr. Bricks, who... I, I don't know where she came from, but uh, they don't seem to understand fundamentally how this or any viral epidemic like this works. And these curves that you see and the, the idea of flattening the curve, I'm not sure. I know Dr. Fauci understands that, but I'm not sure anybody else really understands it because the, the idea of not getting infected, you know, there are people and you used to see this with uh, measles. There would be measles parties where people who were anti-vaccine would say, we're going to all take our kids at four or five years old. They're going to all go to a party together and they'll all get measles and then they'll be protected and they right. won't have to get vaccinated because they'll have the disease. You know, the reason that doesn't work now would never work that way either. But it doesn't work now is because you we're going to overwhelm hospitals right now. If too many people get sick right now, that's why it's so important. We're all going to get sick. Seven out of 10 Americans are going to get sick. That's a statistic, 7 out of 10. But we're not all going to get sick at the same time. And when, I think I mentioned this weeks ago, when blood tests are available, serological tests to determine whether there are antibodies, whether you've had the disease, then you can go out and be helpful and not get sick again, but you can be 
a person who can go out and run a business. You can go out and help your neighbor. But you have to know that you've had it so that you know that you're immune and you're not going to catch it and die. You know what uh, Bernie Sanders says about measles? He says it's not no. measles, it's usles. <laughs> let me repeat that just in case you That's missed good. that. Let me let me just repeat That's that joke. It's not measles. Yeah, repeat. Yeah, look. Well, then I write this down. Yeah. It's not measles. It's usles. It's us. Look, tomorrow's superstar. Oh, hang on. I just, I, play, I thought I. <laughs> that was wonderful. That's. Uh, hang on. Well, you know. Hey, did you. Did, yes. Did, yes, I did. Did you write the Hustles joke or, or did Triumph write that? I just came up with that Hustles joke off the top of my head. And I'm really proud okay. of my, I'm really proud of myself. I think you should be proud. Yeah. I hope you will post it on facebook um i will just as an observation please and do it do it before you even uh get this uh broadcast ready to to get up it, it's good enough that you should do it like within a half an hour of us stopping talking let me let me tell you something How's that? let me tell you something yes. about that it's not measles it's usles joke okay <laughs> i am an inspiration yes. to to a nation that that is down because I'm knocked down, and I stay down with my jokes. And, and, that, and, and I hope that serves as an inspiration to Americans, that when you're down and out, you really can't go any further down. So I keep swinging. I keep making bad jokes. Swing, you know, swing through the swamp, the, uh, the, the muck at the bottom and you're swinging i i say to kids tell jokes like nobody's listening (laughs) dance like nobody's watching (laughs) tell jokes like nobody's listening which on my show is probably the case the reverend barry w lynn are you still there yes i am i am here I was coughing a little oh really it was a wet cough not a dry cough so probably all right all right. I like my coughs like a martini. Hello? Dry. Yeah, I was giving you the answer, dry. I like my babies like a martini. Shaken but not stirred. <laughs> I don't know. Now, they're, they're, you know, remember, like, I take my women the way I take my coffee? Remember those jokes? We should... No, I, I, don't, I probably was uh, studying... Uh, uh, Bible literature at the time that those jokes were common. Okay. Well, okay. The well, Reverend, the Reverend Barry. Well, give me an example. Just before you, just just give me one coffee women joke, and then you can say uh, goodbye. Okay. There, there's a a joke construct. I take my, you know, how do you take your coffee? And you say, I take my coffee the same yeah. way I take my women, and then it, you know, you know, strong right. and black. And okay. as a as a writing yeah. exercise, I decided to write a hundred of those. Really? Yes. Would you like to you hear? Want to give me one? Well, you want to give me one that's a little funnier than strong and black. I like my coffee the way I like my women, finely ground with hot water poured all over them. 
<laughs> I wrote a hundred okay. of these. I like my that's, coffee that's the good. way I like my women. Grabbed by a Colombian farmer, stuffed into a burlap sack, strapped onto a donkey, rode through the mountains, and put on a shipping container and brought to the United States <laughs> and sold at auction. I wrote a hundred of them, Reverend. That's, I have them that's somewhere, good. somewhere on my computer. Yeah. I wrote a hundred of them. Well, I, I didn't mean, say any of them were good. I think you should look for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, out of a hundred, you know, statistically, out yeah. of a hundred of them, at least five of them should probably be really good. If only somebody on the show were good at statistics. <laughs> All right. Always fun, David. Uh, but not funny. Fun, but not funny. Well, some of it's funny. It's just these jokes. I'm not sure. I, let me put it this way, and then I, I, I have to leave. It, they're not as funny as why did the chicken cross the road jokes. They're just not. That's a model for telling jokes, too. Yeah. But yeah, I'm going, I'm sticking with the chickens okay. and not the coffee. All right. Well... The Reverend Barry W. Lynn was the executive director of Americans United for Separation Church and State. And besides being an attorney and a lawyer, he's an ordained minister in the United Church of, oh dear, let me see if I can pronounce this properly, <laughs> Christ? Did I get that right? Christ? United Church exactly. of Christ. Exactly. Christ. Exactly. Thank you. Follow him on Twitter, Barry W. Lynn. Stay well, my friend. Thank you. We'll talk to you next week. We can do that. Yeah. I think we'll look back at this one day and have a big, loud laugh, followed by uncontrollable wet coughing. (laughs) That's my (laughs) prediction. Stay on the line for one second. Thank you. All right. We believe in democracy, not oligarchy. (laughs) Today, we say to the private health insurance companies, whether you like it or not, the United States will join every other major country on earth and guarantee health care to all people as a right. Health care is a human right, not a privilege. And together, we will pass a Medicare for all single-payer program. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump.
Dr. Ben Burgess is a columnist for Jacobin. You can see him doing the debunk on the Michael Brooks show every Tuesday night. He teaches philosophy at Perimeter College, Georgia State University. And you should sign up for his Patreon account. Go to patreon.com forward slash Ben Burgess. Sign up and get two of his essays delivered to his inbox each week. Hello there, Professor. Hello there, comedian. How are you feeling? <laughs> uh, well, I just had my temperature taken yesterday, so I'm cautiously optimistic that I don't have the plague. Okay. Did you really uh, get your te- you really got your temperature taken? <laughs> yeah, I was I was at the doctor not because of anything related to the current pandemic, uh, just you know pre existing stuff. And they've um, they've gotten so paranoid that they're like at, at least at the clinic that I was going to, you had to actually um, stand outside the office, and it was locked, and you had to call them to let them know you're there. And somebody with a mask comes out, and they have like one of those uh, electronic thermometers that can just hold up to your head to take your temperature, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then they let you into the office. So you live in Georgia now. A new white paper is out. And surprise, surprise, the states with Republican governors are not as responsive to the CDC as states run by Democrats. Now, I believe which which is, yeah, uh, which is particularly impressive because the CDC is actually in Georgia. That that like I'm sorry, but go on. Uh, that's where it's headquartered. I was saying, but go on. The Centers for Disease Control is in Georgia, and do you have a Republican? Did Stacey Abrams win, or did she lose? Uh, well, she probably won, but we do have a Republican governor. Um, the uh, The fun thing about this is that Brian Kemp, who's the governor of Georgia, uh, was. By coincidence, he was the secretary of state when he was running. So he was actually running the election at the same time that he was participating in the election, which I believe is what's known as synergy. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But uh, in any case, uh, he actually gave a a really interesting press conference yesterday. Uh, So to put this in context, um, for weeks now, he's been resisting doing a meaningful shelter-in-place order. This is kind of a half-assed one a few weeks ago, or not a few weeks ago, but, you know, whenever it was, a week or two ago, um, that said that um, it closed down the bars, and it said that it, it issued, like, shelter-in-place guidelines for people who are particularly medically vulnerable, although I never understood how that was supposed to be enforced, like unless you're carrying around an oxygen tank or something. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know how you're supposed to tell just from looking at somebody whether they're medically vulnerable. Uh, but uh, he announced yesterday uh, that uh, he's going to issue a real shelter-in-place order. Uh, the details are going to be announced today, and it's going to go into effect on Friday. So, you know, he's, he's holding out the suspense. Um, and as part of his explanation, he said at this press conference yesterday that he only just learned in the last 24 hours that people have COVID-19 and be asymptomatic, Hmm. which is fascinating because I believe all medical authorities have been screaming that for months now, but, um, well, let me ask you a question. 
I, uh, CNN is headquartered in Georgia. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I believe yes. So maybe they do, like, if the Atlanta Braves have a home game, <laughs> they kind yeah. of black out the home game so people show up to the stadium. Do they black out CNN? For <laughs> that, that, that could be. Oh, and, okay. uh, and, and if the, the CDC is also, you know, like considered a home game like event when they say something. So <laughs> uh, you probably have to black that out, too. Yeah. So that that's remarkable. Um, but in any case, I'm I'm just uh, I'm getting by. I, uh, you know, I have I haven't left for a few weeks except for doctor's appointments and uh you know, the occasional trip to wander the aisles of the grocery store in vain search for toilet paper. And, um, and you went to spring break. You're a professor. You wanted to see your student. Explain this spring break thing to me. <laughs> like what the, like what spring break is or, or, or why uh, or why there was a, a big contingent of people who did it anyway. When uh, I was in, in when I was in college. Yes. We partied. But this idea of spending money that you don't have to fly someplace with friends that you don't really have, they're not really your friends, to go get drunk and flirt with women who, I mean, I don't know. Is this for real? What, what is, is it? A, do they actually have a good time doing this? Uh, yeah, it may be less of a good time now if they if they contracted the virus uh, while they were on spring break. But yeah, uh, you know, I guess. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, all of those things are under ordinary circumstances fun, but uh, this, uh, but it is it is insane that that was still going on. Uh, and I think the problem is there's a lot of messaging early on that um, you know was sort of half true. That, you know, oh, if you're young and healthy, you know, don't worry about it. There's a, you know, there's such a extremely low mortality rate, which is, you know, misleading in lots of ways. And, um, most crucially that, um, well, that, you know, that you, that the rate of hospitalization is, is still a whole lot, you know, higher than you might think, even for, uh, even for otherwise young and healthy people. And also, of course, that you're, you know, that you're killing other people. And um, and I think if there had been a little bit more emphasis, you know, on uh, on that point, you know, early on, that uh, that might have been helpful. But um, you know, it's done is done. We're back from uh, my uh, my university at least extended the closed school closure for a week after spring break to give people time to get ready to go online, and uh, we're back online now. And um, you know, we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. It's a, I mean, I'm I'm pretty like, I think this this might be a, probably a low water mark for uh, college education everywhere because honestly, online teaching is not as good as the real thing under the best circumstances. That's just, uh, you know, universities pretend like it is, but you know, because they have tremendous incentive to do so uh, for enrollment. Uh, but it's not, and um, and this is a, going to be a particularly bad version of it because, you know, these are classes full of people who didn't sign up for this. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about Bernie. A lot of people are saying, why 
isn't yeah, he I don't, I don't think he should have gone on spring break. He shouldn't have gone on spring break. No, he's no spring chicken. Whoopi, one of the great minds when it comes to politics, really held his feet to the fire and said, why don't you drop out? You've lost. Why doesn't he drop out? It's He's not going to win. He's not uh, going to get a debate from Joe Biden. Joe Biden's never going to debate him. So why doesn't he just drop out? Um, well, you know, one uh, one thing that's that's worth noted here is that either Biden is wrong now in saying that Bernie under these circumstances should just drop out or else he was wrong a couple months ago when along with the re- entire rest of the Democratic field, except for Bernie, he rate you know he he explicitly affirmed at the debate where this question was asked that if Bernie, who was at the time the front runner, stayed the front runner all the way through the convention, uh, he said that he would he would keep fighting all the way through the convention. Right. So either that's the appropriate way to act uh, when you're way behind uh, that the uh, you know or at least an acceptable way to act. Uh, or it's not, and if it's not, he shouldn't have said that then, if, and if it is, he shouldn't be saying what he's saying now. I would say that since um, we have a, in many ways, ridiculously undemocratic system, and when I say that, I don't mean to come off like, you know, some 19-year-old who's just read Noam Chomsky the first time, you know, who's <laughs> like, you know, no, man, you know, it's, it's not a democracy. It's fascist, you know, like that. that's not my point at all. I just mean that, you know, democracy is not a binary thing. It's on a spectrum, you know, uh-huh. that they're, you, know, you can have more democratic and less democratic systems. Uh, and and as... Um, and as countries with with some degree of democratic institutions go, um, you know, in, in a lot of ways we're we're on the low end. You know that uh, that we only allow two political parties to um, to participate, and uh, and the laws, you know, do everything possible with within the bounds of making it uh, just technically possible. To have you know to uh, to have third parties to to discourage them, mm-hmm. um, and and that's pretty blatant. Uh, and uh, you know even when somebody you know like 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 your friend Ralph Nader who uh, who was you know an enormously popular national figure, uh, you know dared to uh, you know dared to run outside of the two party system, he was relentlessly demonized. Uh, uh, you know, for for doing that, uh, and so really, given that system, the only chance that we have to have some sort of debate or some sort of input that's not just, um, you know, choosing between, you know, the uh, the the centrist Democrat and the right wing Republican, uh, is. Um, is the primaries. That's it. That's all we've got. Right. So, um, so having the line of scrimmage move from, uh, you have to, you know, uh, okay. After, after the party's made its choice and nominated somebody, everybody has to fall in line. Uh, and you can't run out, you know, you can't run a third party campaign. You can't do all that. Having the line of scrimmage move from that to, 
uh, it's not even good enough to wait until the nomination decision has been made, right? Once the writing on the, is on the wall, once it's like fairly clear who's almost certainly going to win, then you have to 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 line up. I think that's uh, that's that's a dangerous diminution of 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 the the little bits and pieces of meaningful debate and participation. But that we doesn't have left. Biden have all the delegates? I mean, Bernie has none. I mean, he's just it's he's not even. Well, he have none. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I, mean, I was being. I think Biden's leading by maybe three hundred delegates. All the primaries have been postponed. The voters have an opportunity right now to see how each candidate reacts to a crisis. Biden yeah. is reacting one way. Bernie's reacting another way. How is Biden reacting? How is Bernie reacting? Yeah, well, uh, Biden's initial reaction was to retreat to Dick Cheney's undisclosed location <laughs> from uh, 2002. Uh and and then eventually, you know, he and then he claimed this is amazing uh, that he he couldn't get it together to um, to do web streaming, which, you know, if it was just him there, I would believe. Right. I'm sure mm-hmm. Bernie doesn't know how that works either. I mean, fair enough. But uh, uh, but of course, there's a reason that Bernie, by the time he was saying this, had been had been doing this for for weeks. Right. Mm-hmm. He'd been doing his nightly webcast because. Uh, nobody who's on that level as a presidential candidate has to like do their own, you mm-hmm. know, uh, you know, tech support, right? I mean, like if, if, if anytime Biden had indicated this is something he wanted to do, it could have happened. Right. And then when he did start, um, he did start doing interviews and, uh, and doing webcasts, uh, it wasn't good, right? Nope. It, it's, it's not very, it's not very inspiring. He, he's, um, you know, I, I know it's it's terribly insensitive and ableist to refuse to pretend not to not to see this, but he is continuing to show symptoms of decline. Right. Um, Which will come in and, handy when he's asked about the rape. Same yeah. way, you know, Reagan was in mental decline during Contragate, so he got to slide. Right. <laughs> so this is a good tactic. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I um uh, I remember, uh, yeah, Dave Barry, who is a Republican, you know, having a, you know, by having a line once about how Jimmy Carter claimed to, uh, forget what his foreign policy was. Even his wife would have wanted him to be impeached, but Reagan could get away with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, abs- you know, absolutely. And this is, this is worth, you know, pausing on. Uh, because there, you know, there's there's no way to be certain, of course. Credible I mean, rape accusation. Yeah, there is a credible, serious rape accusation against Joe Biden, uh, and um, and the and it's it's really kind of amazing to watch all of these centrist media hacks who'd you know sp- spent months. You know, as, as I've seen somebody point out, uh, writing articles in Salon and Slate with titles like, you know, Bernie's abrasive tone reminds me of my abusive college boy boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just being as dismissive of this allegation against Biden as Republicans were about the uh, uh, Dr. Ford's allegation against uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's, not only it's not of, only doubtful, yeah. but but tarnishing her image, calling her crazy, a pro-Putin uh, yes. tool of of Russia. 
because she wrote an essay singing the praises of, you know, you can't be you can't come forth with a credible rape accusation if you like Vladimir Putin. Yeah, I mean, which which I mean, whatever is true about what she said or didn't say about that, it shouldn't have anything to do with anything. Right. Uh, that's but yeah. And of course, this is this is one of the reasons that people like me were so leery about the uh, the Russia obsession for years, because it seemed pretty clear that uh, even if it was being directed towards the right, then uh, that wouldn't last forever. And like once you introduce that into politics, this, uh, um, you know, the insinuation about, you know, being a. Uh, you know, or a Russian asset or a Russian puppet, you know, then uh, we know how that goes. Uh, but uh, so you have a, you, know, you have you have a credible rape accusation. You yeah. have a candidate, the the presumptive or the pre- prohibitive front runner or prohibitive nominee has been caught on video sniffing women's hair, kissing them. Other politicians have come forward and said he was inappropriate he had to start his campaign by apologizing for his touching uh where's the vetting process here the voters aren't i mean i know we're amidst a pandemic but still yeah well so yes i mean the vetting thing is amazing because uh we literally between 2015 and 2020, we literally spent five years being told that Bernie Sanders hadn't been vetted. Right. Right. Like he, he was continuously in the public spotlight for five years. Um, and during those time, during that time, <laughs> you know, we heard it all. Um, but usually people started their you know, explanations of whatever his perceived problems or weaknesses or, you know, past mistakes were by saying Bernie hasn't been vetted. What about this? What about that? Mm-hmm. And of course, um, Biden hasn't received anything like the public scrutiny that Bernie has ever. Right. Because um, up until 2008, he'd never been elected to uh, to anything outside of um, of. Delaware, which, as I understand it, is like a parking lot that's uh, been granted status of statehood for the sake of credit card companies, you know, having certain kinds of legal protections. Uh-huh. Uh, and into, you know, and then since then, right, I mean, this is the first time, really, I mean, his previous runs for president all fizzled out, you know, extremely quickly, right? It's far like, um, far too quickly for anything, you know, even though one of them ended because of a plagiarism scandal, you know, mm-hmm. like he was such a minor figure at that point that nobody particularly remembered or cared. Um, and in, you know, in 2008, 2012, sure, he was running national elections, but I mean, like, you know, as the guy standing next to Barack Obama, right? Like, so mm-hmm. nobody was, nobody was paying that much attention to, to Biden himself. Um, and then for the first for the first three contests in uh, 2020, uh, he was so far behind, um, you know, that that he was that, you know, he looked, you know, he, he was he was starting to look like a footnote, you know. Mm-hmm. So, of course, nobody was really talking about him. And then this unprecedented thing happened where, all right, he convincingly won South Carolina. He won one state by a lot, but that's also one state. And, and the first time week, he ever won a primary. 
yeah, literally the first time he's ever won a primary or caucus in his life, uh, even though it was the 70th or 80th time he ran for president. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one state, this one victory was enough because at that point everybody was so freaked out about Bernie uh, to get Obama and whoever else was making these phone calls uh, to to put some pressure on Pete Buttigieg uh, in particular, who did a totally unprecedented thing in, in really the history of primaries in the United States, uh, which which was to drop out before Super Tuesday, even though he was one of the leading candidates. Yeah, that's that, that that's insanity. Nobody does that. Right. Um, you know, and and since then, that was so it was really like it was a, it was like a 24, 48 hour kind of turnaround between Biden, you know, being an also ran and Biden being the front runner. And then, of course, even though the whole time, Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, that whole time Bernie was winning, you know, we were like we that was being met with these howls of, oh, no, he hasn't been vetted. Let's talk about this problem. Let's talk about that problem. The second, you know, Biden got this front runner status, we were told, um, that, um, that it's, it's over, right? We, sh- we shouldn't be talking about any of this stuff, right? You're, you're helping, you know, you're helping Trump if you do. Uh, and, and one hopes that primaries being postponed would give voters a chance to collect themselves and think hard about whether they want this guy running against Trump. I mean, I would hope that, you know, even a, a very electable rapist uh, would still not be an acceptable candidate. You know that that there would be some sort of point of principle there. But um, but it's it's also worth noting that if you elect Biden, you know, if you nominate Biden, you have just taken Trump's history of sexual assault off the table. Right? Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's that's no longer. Um, you know that's 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 no longer something you can you you can use against Trump. Um, you uh, and of of course uh, because of Biden's history of you know supporting you know the Iraq War and free trade deals and all that stuff. After four years of governing, really basically like a a more racist version of Mitt Romney, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, like, like, like doing, um, like governing in, in most ways as a very straight down the line Republican, but just with like a lot more zeal on, on, uh, caging immigrants and whatnot. Um, it allows, it allows, um, it allows Trump to, to rerun his campaign from, from 2016 to, uh, you know, to, to use all the attacks on Biden that he used against Hillary Clinton because she has all the same, you know, cause Biden has all the same vulnerabilities as Hillary Clinton. And it, and of course, if, uh, if and don't forget Hunter, don't forget Hunter. Oh yeah, absolutely. It also takes, the uh, it also takes corruption off the table as an issue, mm-hmm. uh, and you know I understand that that some people will be listening to this who have what I like to refer to as Mad Albrain, uh, and and they they have they that you know that they've listened to a lot of MSNBC and and they've got a whole explanation of why it's not the same thing, but uh, just ask yourself how much of 
like just how detailed that explanation is and what do you think the chances are that the average swing voter is going to absorb it, um, even if it was accurate anyway, which I don't really think it is. Uh, and then um, and then finally, of course, the election is taking place during a global pandemic that, you know, almost seems to be like sent by the gods, like in a Greek tragedy to, to show the urgent necessity of Bernie Sanders program. But they um, were three and, weeks too late. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That the, uh, that, um, the gods were three like, weeks too late. Yeah. Yeah. The gods were three weeks too late. Right. You know, I mean, that's the, uh, that, you know, that's okay. That's the kind of irony I think you get in a Greek tragedy, but, um, but yeah, absolutely. Like it's, you know, this, this could not more urgently demonstrate the importance of the central issue that Bernie Sanders, well, I would say that he's been talking about since 2015, but really that he's been talking about since I don't even know, 1972 or something, um, you know, which is that we cannot have this system of private health insurance, that we are, you know, that we are only as safe as the least insured person. Um you know, everybody, you know, like because they're endangering everybody else. And and it's really worth, you know, I know we talked about this many times, but it's really worth taking a second and reviewing why, even if you think that Joe Biden is serious about this public option thing, which he's not. Right. I mean, this is, uh, you know, the, remember, Obama talked about a public option, too, and then it was negotiated away at about the first two seconds of meetings with, you know, insurance companies. Uh, but even if you do believe that he's serious about that, um, and even if you do believe that he has any kind of strategy by which he would actually accomplish it, which is a further absurdity, uh, the difference between a so-called public option and Medicare for all is crucial no, now more than ever because a public option doesn't mean like – I think sometimes people hear that and they think that, that that means that it's like, okay, you know, anybody can call the police, but if you're rich, you can also get private security. That, you know, like that's the sort of model I have in mind for, for a public option, but that's not what it means. What it means is that within this patchwork system of insurance companies selling premiums, there's going to be a government owned insurance company that's also selling premiums. And, you know, okay, it's, it's selling them, you know, cheaper, right? But mm -hmm. it has most of the other problems of the system, including that, Let's say um, you are on the public option and you miss a premium, right? Because uh, maybe because you forgot because it's a stressful time and a lot's going on and 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 you just uh, you you know you you and you just neglected to to pay it, right? Maybe because we're in the middle of an unprecedented global public health emergency and. Uh, and and you were transfixed by uh, by the the news of the rapidly escalating death count, and you weren't thinking about it. Uh, or maybe you have an automated payment set up, and the uh, but was your payment that month was rejected for insufficient funds? Maybe because you bought twice as many groceries as usual because you're trying to socially distance. Um, then you're right back to being uninsured. Mm -hmm. uh, or let's say you lose your employer health insurance. 
uh, and then uh, you um, and then like what with everything else going on, right? Uh, you don't actually make the time to navigate what's no doubt going to be an annoying and confusing and cumbersome website uh, to to sign up for the public option. And so when you start coughing, uh, you know, you, you are uninsured uh, or any number of other things that can happen like this. Like, like the idea that you're going to make people fill out paperwork and do this uh, and, you know, and, and pay any sort of premiums at all at the, at a time when there's all this chaos going on means that you are going to get people who, you know, any kind of hoops that you set up that people are going to jump through, the more hoops there are, the more chances there is, is that, uh, that somebody is not going to jump through them. And of course, one person not jumping through them, that's, that's, you know, that's not just they're in danger of it, right? Everybody that they come in contact with, uh, is uh, is is in danger of it, and even in the era of social distancing, right? You know, there's still a million ways, a uh, million ways that could happen. So this is a, you know, th- this this is not like some small distinction, right? You know, that uh, we basically, you know, we share the goal of of getting people, um, you know, who want it, uh, public insurance. Uh, you know, we're we're just. Uh, the question, as David Feldman would say, of how we're going to get there, right? Get that's there. that's not, yeah, yeah that's not, that's not it, right? This is this is a crucial difference, and even if and even voters who who don't know about or or haven't thought about any of the stuff that I just brought up, right? They can, they can still register, you know, the the most checked out voter. Uh, could still register the difference between something that sounds kind of carefully finagled and half-assed and qualified and something that sounds like a straightforward solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, before you go, thank you for that. Why is Biden still leading? I mean, the, the real clear politics averages show him nationally leading Bernie by 20 points. So in Wisconsin, Biden polling at uh, 55 percent, Sanders 37 percent, Biden leading in Wisconsin by 18, 18. How was that cough there? You can't cough anymore. <laughs> Yeah, well, like I said, I, I had my temperature taken the other day. I, um, I actually, I was sick uh, for a couple. I was homesick for a couple of days, about a week before everything shut down. So, uh, so I've, I've since then I've been, you know, playing that fun guessing game. Have I already had it? Right. Uh, but, uh, but you know, even if it was, you know, if it was just a bad cold or whatever, I've got, uh, you know, I've had kind of a residual coughs and, and but. Uh, in any case, I'm fairly sure it doesn't spread by podcast. Um, Biden has 1,217 delegates. Bernie Sanders has 914. It's pretty close. That is not a big gap. Yeah, that's that's actually a, a surprisingly narrow gap. Uh, but, but we're not seeing. Yeah. But we're not seeing any movement in the, in the polls. No, no, we're not seeing any movement right now because, and, well, okay. Everything that's happened since, and by the way, this discussion will be very incomplete if we didn't just take a moment 
to acknowledge the criminal, murderous irresponsibility of Biden and the DNC uh, using aging voters as cannon fodder uh, to try to get this wrapped up as quickly as possible uh, with their reluctance to uh, to put off primaries. Um, there are there are probably um, you know people who are going to die because uh, because they were sent out to vote when you know in primaries that should have been postponed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but I think that I think that basically the last big turning point in the race um, was was the South Carolina Super Tuesday shift, right? And there hasn't been you know, a big turn point since then. And you might think that the uh, pandemic would be a turning point, but unfortunately it, it hasn't been. I, I, th- I think that, um, you know, you have to keep in mind that most Democratic primary voters, even ones who are voting for Biden, uh, do support Medicare for all, right? They're just not voting for him on the basis of policy. They're voting for him because of some very mistaken ideas about electability. And, electability uh, and the experience to handle a crisis like this, and he's dropped the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so, again, the the hope at this point would have to be that we do get ever remaining primary postponed, and that in in the time that's that's left, we we can get um, we can get a reset. Right. You know, that they uh, that like uh, that it's going to, um, you know, it's, it's going to be that, you know, that uh, we can have another turning point in the race. Right. Right now, Biden, you know, yeah, Biden is still ahead because nothing has changed. Right. You know, he's still got all that. You know, he's still got all that momentum. Uh, he has that superficial veneer of uh you know of of experience and all that stuff uh the uh you know the fact uh the accusations against him haven't gone very much play etc uh so but you know like right now it's a little bit like the situation is a little bit like if we imagine a sports movie where, uh, you know, the coach gives an inspiring, you know, speech to the locker room at halftime, um, except that in this version, uh, what, like, all responsible, you know, liberal pundits uh, want the coach to say is, well, we're behind right now, so we should probably just forfeit the rest of the game. Right, right, right. To be continued, Professor Ben Burgess is a columnist for Jacobin, You can see him every Tuesday night doing the debunk on the Michael Brooks show. Go to patreon.com forward slash Ben Burgess. Get two of his essays delivered to your inbox. Give them an argument. Logic for the left is his latest book. And I hate to ask you, (laughs) but you are working on another book. May I ask you a personal question? You may. We are being told that the pandemic is a gift because it allows us time to work on all those projects. I'm using it to catch up on all the panic attacks I haven't been able to get to. Has, sure. has this been a time for productivity for you or time for old episodes of my uh, favorite Martian? 
Um, it, it's gone back and forth during the first few weeks, first few days that I was at home. I was writing a lot all the time because it was, uh, it was, it was a useful distraction. Uh, and, and then I've, you know, I've had days where I've, I've been, um, you know, like gotten up ridiculously late and, uh, and, and I, and I feel like I'm just playing catch up on things all day. And, you know, because the schedule is, is wacky because I'm not, you know, doing things that I would normally do. And, um, and then when classes finally restarted, obviously that's, that's been, um, you know, that online teaching, you know, has, uh, has, has been keeping me occupied. So, I mean, Maybe I got a little bit more done because of this. I mean, I understand, uh, <laughs> you know, people always point to historical examples. You know, it was quarantined because of the plague. Isaac Newton discovered calculus, but um, I'm I'm not Isaac Newton. At, at, at best, I'm going to get a little bit of writing done a little bit more quickly than otherwise. Okay. Follow the professor on Twitter at Ben Burgess. Stay on the line, professor. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. I would be a fan, a friend of David Feldman if he didn't tell the, the worst jokes imaginable. Okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. Dr. J. That Sute. You'll be on this broadcast. All right. Doc- that machine. All right. Dr. J. Sute joins us. Hello, Dr. J. How are you, my friend? I have a... Uh, I was going to talk about my tennis elbow, just to be funny. We love you. Did you get the the messages? People have been sending me messages. Did you get any of them? Yes, I I have gotten some very kind messages from people uh, to to uh, send their uh, sympathy and 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 well wishes. What was it? What's the word? Love. Yeah, that would work. That's my <laughs> love. All right, you're you gonna... know, Doc. By merely, you know, in the immortal words of Groucho Marx, the minute you tell somebody you're a fan of theirs, that immediately you know, cuts by a quarter any uh, any respect I had for you. <laughs> That's right. Probably more than that. Yeah, if, you knew, more. if you knew more, you'd respect less, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas, let's get to work here. From New York, from beautiful Bayville on the glorious Gold Coast of Long Island's North Shore, let's welcome our old friend Jackie, the joke man, Martling. For endless jokes, say, hey. Alexa, play Jackie Martling. Follow Jackie on Twitter at Jackie Martling. Jokes every day at 4.20 p.m. For personalized videos, go to cameo.com forward slash Jackie Martling. For instant fun called Jackie's Dirty Joke Line, use your finger, 516-922-WINE. You want jokes sent to you? Simply email Jackie at jokeland at AOL.com. You'll get on his mailing list. Hello, Jackie. What is the best part about getting a blowjob during a car wash? <laughs> <laughs> what? The expressions on the kids raising money for the church. <laughs> <laughs> <That's a good> <laughs> <laughs> hey, did you hear 
guy who's addicted to brake fluid? <laughs> you, you, you know what, Dr. J, you go no or yes. You answer. I have no idea. Doc, did you hear about the guy who's addicted to brake fluid? <laughs> addicted to brake fluid? Yeah, he says he can stop any time. <laughs> 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 so a guy comes home and finds his wife fucking one of his pals, and so he shoots him. And his wife says, you keep that up, you ain't going to have any friends. A sailor sends his maiden aunt a parrot. He's in the islands. He sends his maiden aunt a parrot to keep her company. And she uncovers the parrot. The parrot goes, fuck you, lady, you <laughs> cocksucker, motherfucker. Shit, 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 balls, balls, balls. So she calls her new pastor, and she says, father, my nephew, my nephew, he sets me a beautiful parrot. He sets me a beautiful parrot, father. But my God, father, what a mouth on this thing. Oh, sure, it's a beautiful bird. But it's incredibly foul, Father. He says, Mrs. O'Toole, I've got a parrot myself. But my parrot, she's very devout. She prays constantly. You bring your parrot here. We'll put them in a cage together. <laughs> and before you know it, I'm sure some of my parrot's religion will rub off on your parrot. <laughs> so the next day, Mrs. O'Toole takes the bird to the pastor's house. He takes his bird out of her cage and puts her in with the foul-mouthed bird and the two parrots or in opposite corners of the cage, staring at each other. <laughs> Finally, the old lady's parrot says, Well, how about it, gorgeous? And the pastor's parrot says, Oh, fuck yeah! Fuck yeah! <laughs> oh, I'm so, what the fuck do you think I've been praying for? Get <laughs> <laughs> over here! What's a wonder? What's a wonder? What's a wonder? I don't know. You'll have to tell me. You stick your finger in your ass and pull it out, and if it doesn't smell, it's a wonder. (laughs) 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 Hey, hey, did you hear about the Polish globe? What? Say that again, please. Did you hear about the Polish globe? No. It's flat. (laughs) (laughs) What animal has an asshole in the middle of its back? In the middle of a what? What what animal has an asshole in the middle of its back? My (laughs) ex-wife. Not to make a bad joke, but you trumped me. <laughs> well, we'll start from the beginning. Ask that question again. What animal has an asshole in the middle of its back? What? Trump's horse. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. Yes. So a little girl, a little girl's playing in the front yard. She says, "Mommy, mommy, there's a comedian walking up the sidewalk." Her mother says, get in the house. She says, Mommy, there's an actor with him. Her mother says, you better bring your brother in with you. (laughs) (laughs) 
And she says, and mommy, there's an agent with them. And her mother says, hide the dog, hide the dog. <laughs> <laughs> was invented by three Jewish guys from the Bronx? No. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, to this day, the names are still on every unit. Hi, Norm and Max. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Norm and Max. So, Stosh, there's a Polish couple, and Stosh says, Sarah. It's Tuesday, Sarah, and we're getting married this Sunday. Can't we please get it on? Can't I stoop you, Sarah? She says, no, Stashu, you can wait. You've waited this long. You can wait till Sunday. He says, well, come on, Sarah. How about at least let me have a little sniff? Let me have a little sniff, Sarah. (laughs) She says, well, what the hell? So she pulls down her pants and her panties, and he sticks his face down her lap and Sticks it right in her snatch and takes a few few big breaths. <laughs> he backs up and he says, Sarah, I'm not sure this thing's going to keep till Sunday. <laughs> so a kid, a kid walks in on his father and his father's jerking off. He says, what are you doing, Daddy? He says, something you're going to be doing very soon. He says, really? He says, yeah, really? My arm's getting tired. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Doc, here's one for you. Tell me what this is. Plus three, plus four, plus three, minus 13. What's that? That's a believer uh, doing her Weight Watchers count. <laughs> <laughs> I have forgotten that the, the simple talent of not doing being able to do bad. I never liked those uh, those uh, uh, questions where you had the word questions. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, uh, question problems. You know, they just you know, word problems are no fun. Nobody's fun. Hey, how's Grandpa hide his Parkinson's? <laughs> Ow. He never puts down the snow globe. <laughs> uh... Now you guys have probably heard this, but it's too good to leave out. The guy at the bar says to the guy next to him, hey, that's a nice suit. The other guy says, yeah, thanks, it's expensive. You see, I'm a hitman, and I'm so good at it, I make a $1,000 a shot. 1000 bucks a shot. Come on, let's go to my apartment. I'll show you my gun. So they go to the hitman's apartment, and he takes his rifle out of the, out of the closet. It's got a big telescopic sight on it, and he hands it to the guy. And the guy points it out the window and takes a look. He goes, man, this telescopic sight is powerful. Jeez, look, holy crap, I can see my apartment building. Look, look at that. I, I can see my window. Ah, look, there's my wife. That's my wife. Wait a minute! Jesus Christ, there's a guy with her! (laughs) Jesus Christ, they're they're taking their clothes off! He hands the rifle to the hitman and says, Listen, I want you to put a bullet to her head and a bullet to that guy's cock. The hitman takes the gun and 
looks through the telescopic sight. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. The guy says, well, Jesus Christ, he's going to shoot him or what? The hitman says, take it easy, pal. I'm trying to save you a thousand bucks. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's great. A guy says to the bartender, my wife and I are trying to make a baby. The bartender says, congratulations. The guy says, yeah, we're almost done. We just need to find a head and a left foot. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's great. Guy's standing in a urinal urinal (laughs) next to a midget. And he looks down, and he cannot believe the size of the midget's cock. And he says, Jesus Christ, friend, how big does that thing get? And the midget says, I really don't know. Every time it starts to get hard, I pass out from lack of blood. (laughs) (laughs) All right. For endless jokes, say, Alexa, play Jackie Martling. Follow Jackie on Twitter. You need to do this. Go to Twitter. Yeah, it's hilarious. All he does is make you smile. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Jackie on Twitter at Jackie Martling jokes every day at 4.20 p.m. International Marijuana Time. And if you want personalized videos and who doesn't need a personalized video right now from Jackie the Joke Man, go to cameo.com forward slash Jackie Martling. Instant fun. Call Jackie's dirty joke line. Use your finger. 516-922-WINE. Sign up for his newsletter. Just... Email him over at jokeland at AOL.com. Get on the Jackie the Joke Man newsletter. Hey, Doc! What does an ugly parrot say? What? Say that again? What does an ugly girl's parrot say? (laughs) Um, I I can't think of it. What does an ugly girl's parrot say? Polly want a blindfold. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. That, that is Dick Capri's joke. Famous old Catskill comedian, Dick Capri. Uh, so two Puerto Ricans. Two Puerto Ricans get in a big knife fight. And one guy winds up in the hospital. He's really cut up. He's bandaged from head to toe. He can barely move his lips. And the doctor comes in the room and he says, Doc! Doc, when will I be able to laugh? The doctor says, what are you nuts? You almost died. He says, no, Doc, help me, Doc. When, when will I be able to laugh again? The doctor says, my friend, you are sewn together with 10 pounds of thread. You're a mess. Why in hell would you want to know when you can laugh? Because, Doc... The guy I was fighting with, he's getting married next week, and his cock is in my coat pocket. (laughs) (laughs) I love you. Jackie. Jackie. Hey, Doc. Hey, Doc. Yes, sir. How do you know know if your date is too young? (laughs) Say it again. I'm sorry. How do you know when your date is way too young? <laughs> uh, 
You have to make airplane noises to get your cock in her mouth. Oh. <laughs> All right, Jackie. Stay on the line, Jackie the Joke Man. <laughs> Stay on the line. Thank you for that, Jackie. That was great. Thank you very much for yeah. the great life. Hey, Doc, Thanks, feel better. Feel better. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thanks. And it is a pleasure. Listen, I would love to be in touch with you and send you some jokes. I, I would I would be happy to that. I, I will make those arrangements with uh, Mr. Feldman here. Yes. So that, yeah, uh, he's he's dependable. He's dependable. Let David Feldman. Hey, and how do so? But before I stop uh, recording, how do people contact you, Doctor J? Is it through Twitter? How would you? Yeah, same same thing, Doctor. Uh, well, I don't even remember. Doctor, you know yeah, uh, Doctor uh, J. Sute. That's the, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the same same. But you know, you guys, you can't be so fucking cryptic. It's if it's oct. At doctor, is it D-R, D-O-C-T-O-R? Spell it out for the people. At D-R. D-R-S-U-T-E-S. D-R-J-A-Y-S-U-T-A-Y-S. Okay. Well, that, now it makes it human for people it's to try and get Yeah, no, it's... Uh, it's uh, oh, it's, uh, my, my, I'm laughing so hard, I I haven't laughed this hard in a long time, so it was, it was good. Thank you. I really appreciate it. All right, so go ahead. a guy goes into a store and says to the salesman, I need to buy a brazier for my wife. And the salesman right. says, what size? And the guy says, look, I got no idea. And the salesman says, well, uh, an orange? Or maybe a grapefruit? Like the size of a honeydew? And the guy says... <laughs> <laughs> An egg. Nelson <laughs> says, medium or large? And the guy says, fried. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to you next week. Doc, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Everybody Mike, stay on Mike the line. For, Thank you so much, Jackie. Everybody stay on this, the line for one second. Let me give the doctor's Twitter handle. D-R-G, I'm sorry, D-R-J-A-Y-S-U-T-A. Why, Doctor J Sute, or, yeah. or Doctor Sute at AOL dot com? Yeah, or Doctor Sute at AOL dot com. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for making me laugh. That was hilarious, guys. Thank you. Stand along, oh. everybody. good well it's the end of the week possibly the world and that can only mean one thing liam mckinney joins us to answer listener questions hello liam hey david and as always i uh look forward to hearing from your listeners because i'm sure nothing we discussed on tuesday struck a chord in any way whatsoever or will have uh, garnered any kind of response well, as a matter of fact, you mentioned <laughs> you uh, mentioned that you're trying to capitalize on other people's suffering. I didn't quite put it that way. You decided to invest in ExxonMobil, I believe. Is that correct? Well, you know what? Uh, after we had that conversation, I really like sat down and had a good long think about it. And I decided that, yes, I, uh, I, I did buy a little bit of stock in Exxon, but I think I can uh, not feel bad about it. So I think that's what I'm going to do. Buy more stock in it. 
Uh, probably. <laughs> it's actually doing really well. What, what did you buy it at, and what is it? What could you sell it at? Uh, I bought it at 37 and it's right now it's up to 40 something. So you made $3 a share and how many shares did you buy? 12. So you made about 50 bucks. Your soul soul is worth 50 bucks. Dude, I've been in comedy for 24 years. (laughs) 50 bucks is pretty good. (laughs) I've done way worse for way less. Seriously, 50 bucks. What? 50 bucks. Well, now, but it'll be worth more in a couple of years. Okay. And apparently we we heard from our listeners on the two subreddits. What? Yes. Yes. But your listeners had thoughts about that? Yes. We have uh, two of our subreddit moderators are with us. Listeners to our show know that we have two subreddits that are competing against one another. First up is... Dave from the Rust Belt, who moderates and manages our legacy subreddit. Hello, Dave from the Rust Belt. Hi, David. Hi, Liam. Hey, David. I also. Hi. I just wanted to point out that I'm not actually a moderator. I haven't been given any moderator privileges. That's okay. Uh, I'm a real proud Democrat, and I take any excuse to lose. So <laughs> I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. Wait, wait. give me a reason to lose that did I will. You, did you start the subreddit? No, Molly no. Tamale did. And we have to get her on the show. Well, why, why is Dave on this, on this show? Because what, he, are you just their press shut rep? up, Liam. What did you say? Dave? I said, I told him to shut up. He's going to get me kicked off. <laughs> <laughs> Molly Tamale set it up set it up, set up the Reddit two years ago. And I have to get her uh, to join us and then we'll give you a, a role as moderator. Also joining us is a big fan of Liam McEnany's. <laughs> it's Tom from Alabama. Hello, Tom. Hey, Dave. Hey, Liam. Hey, Tom. How you doing? McEnany. Hey. <laughs> I'm all right. How are you? Good, oh, good. I'm about fifty dollars richer than I was yesterday. Buddy. <laughs> I think wasn't it David who 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 was the one who said it that if basically if you own stock in the uh well what do you own stock in? You're complicit in the war machine and genocide and oh no know, no no Blackwater global, stock is too expensive global, <laughs> global suffering yeah it's still a little bit though I have still to work my bit. way up to buying into Blackwater right now I can only afford Exxon Mobil. <laughs> So there's a, there's a little tension between Liam McEnany <laughs> and uh, Tom from Alabama. Tom from Alabama, tell us how the uh, there's a little noise. Liam, are you uh, making noise? Uh, I'm eating pretzels. Okay, can you not do that? And, <laughs> I don't and, know. And, about that. and Tom from Alabama, why don't you tell us what's happening in Alabama? How are you? How? How is the state of Alabama? Are you in lockdown? He's muted. He's muted. Did I do that? or I think he might have done that. It seemed like there was the background noise you were talking about was coming from his uh, iPhone. I think he's self-muted. Oh, am I unmuted now? You're yeah. unmuted now. So how are okay. things in... I was trying to figure out the app. I'm sorry. That's okay. How are things in Alabama? Uh, you know, 
for the most part, things haven't really changed. There's still people all over the place uh, cleaning out their car, going to Walmart. Um, I mean, the, like places like the bowling alley obviously have shut down. Um, all of our nature trails have shut down, so we're not allowed to take any walks, I guess, um, except for around the neighborhood. Um, I don't know. It's just some, you know, surreal sense of uh, total normalcy. And have you been furloughed? <clears throat> uh, no, I actually, I quit my job um, maybe a week ago um, just because, you know, like I said, I, I work a low-wage, low-skilled job, and there were a couple issues that I've been having with management for the past year. And um, I, I kind of I helped my dad out with a couple things. He has cancer. and I like go and get him, you know, his stuff from the pharmacy or whatever. And I, I just didn't really want to be in the mix with a whole bunch of people right now. So I just decided to, you know, check out early, get my Trump bucks and uh, keep on chugging. Your Trump bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Has it, co- has it come yet? Uh, no, I, I just did my taxes a, a, a little while ago. Uh, maybe actually probably a couple days ago at this point. Um, and you of this do, your own situation. Tax- do you do your own taxes? Well, I had a little bit of help from a girlfriend. I see. She's a very okay. nice lady. Okay. And give your father our best and, how do you social distance from your dad? Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. I will. Um, yeah, you know, I just, he has a little cooler on his front porch. Um, and I put like the groceries and stuff there. Um, and he like sprays them off, uh, and lets them sit in there before he brings them in. And, you know, we just don't really see each other. Right. Um, that's what my, that's what my sister does for my parents is she just, uh, she drops off groceries or whatever on, on the front porch and she waves, yeah, it's very odd, like through the window. It's very odd right well, now. Well, that's, wh- that's why I visit uh, Liam's mom at Showworld. <laughs> <laughs> through it's the window. True. Sometimes the window comes those- down, but <laughs> if I pay. But let's ask Dave. Dave is good. That window gets stuck pretty quickly with uh, uh, semen. Oh, you, when, the, when, yeah, when the Navy's in town from the U.S. Comfort here in Manhattan. Yeah, they go. Let's keep it uh, clean uh, for Dave. Dave from the Rust Belt. How are you, Dave? Okay. Dave? Dave? Dave's not here. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't get it. What is that? Is that a reference to 2001? (laughs) Dave, are you? Oh, that's even better. Dave? Dave? Dave, what are you doing, Dave? Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear yeah. you, Dave. You Dave, from the Rust okay. Be- Dave from the Rust Belt, how are you holding up? Um, we're doing all right. We're in one of the more responsible acting Midwest states um, where things have been shut down pretty well for a couple of weeks. Uh, although I did see 30 or 40 cars at a golf course today, so I don't know what that what's going on with that. And from what I can tell, pretty much any kind of manufacturing, any kind of warehouse work, uh, is all deemed essential. So when they say everyone who's not essential stay home, it's mostly, you know, clerks and restaurant workers, I, as far as I can tell. Right. And has the coronavirus, has it affected you? Do you know anybody yet? Who, uh... Uh, not not personally, not yet. Yeah. It's, um, we're in a rural county and uh, the cities around us are getting, starting to get uh, affected, but um, there's only a, a handful of cases out, out our way. Yeah. Pretty, uh, pretty terrifying. Well, be well and uh, 
you're running the legacy subreddit. So let's talk about that. What was the response? What was the response to Liam investing in ExxonMobil on your subreddit? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I've got it right. I've got it up right here. Um, I'm looking at um, some kind of oil soaked bird. Um, that says it's Liam's date oiled up the way he likes it. <laughs> There's a picture of him in an oil drum, um, and uh, with some CEOs from Exxon Mobil. So there's lots of Photoshop going on over here. I got to give some credit to uh, Harry Balzania. He's doing a lot of right, and I owe him an. A- you got it. I didn't. I read right. a question and I pronounced it. Balls in me or something, and he writes me this angry <laughs> balls on you. Mm-hmm. What's the name? Harry Balls that is on genius. You. I gotta, yeah. I gotta, I gotta give that. I gotta thank that guy for giving me a strong jawline. That's all I can say. Harry Balls on you is his oh, name. Yeah. Wait, you like, guys don't think that's his real name? <laughs> no. No, it's okay. Italian. <laughs> of the Sicilian Balls on you. <laughs> So, so yeah, that's that's the that's the current state of the subreddit. We're up to 120 members. Um, it's uh, I, I don't know if maybe we've plateaued a little bit the last week or so. I want to remind anyone listening: Reddit can be anonymous. No one has to know what shows you're listening to, um, anything like that. The age of the boys you're interested in, whatever oh. it is. <laughs> Stop it, Liam. And what is the name of your subreddit? It is r slash David Feldman show. Right. And we're going to get Molly to Molly on next week. Uh, and so, okay. Let us now go back to Tom from Alabama, who I have to say, Tom, the minute you can unmute yourself. Oh, you yeah, have, here I am. You've done an amazing job. I mean, you are persistent. I, I go on YouTube and you're telling people to to go to your subreddit. You're doing a great job. How many uh, members do, do do we have, and what is the name of your subreddit? Well, I really appreciate that, Dave. Um, let's see. The name of the subreddit it call, is called the David Feldman Show. The um, you know, kind of like yeah, yeah kind of like the show's name. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see, we, at this point, we have, we have 85 subscribers. Okay. Now, so at this point, before I get any jeering from the audience, all right, um, let's, let's talk about how many days, literal days that my subreddit has been active compared to David Feldman shows three years. Okay. Yeah. That's sad. That's very sad. And look, I probably, at this point, I don't even have to try it. I just have to let people Google it, dude. Okay. And they'll find mine because they look up the David Feldman show. All right. All right. Anything, any activity over there that we should know about? I mean, nothing other than um, routine and timely show postings. Right. Okay. Um, we do have a little, uh, some of the memers aren't really coming over to our side right now, but um, you know, like I said, if you want the new show, if you want to know when it is, if you want, if you want the episode notes and the time codes, come on over. In fact, don't come on over because I cross post to the other subreddit anyway. <laughs> it's not fair to Dave from the Rust Belt. He's not a moderator. Well, Reddit's a website. He uh-huh. has the internet. All right. How's Bernie doing in Alabama? 
Oh boy. Oh boy. Uh, not well at all. Actually, I think he's already crashed and burned. It's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, yeah. You, you know, last time you were on the show, there was a, there was a chance. Are you demoralized more by Biden or the coronavirus? Uh, definitely by Biden because it doesn't seem like the coronavirus is really doing much to change people's minds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And Dave from the Rust Belt. Are you demoralized by by Biden? Well, yeah, somewhat. Well, you can see I've got my Biden T-shirt behind me that just says not me. Mm-hmm. The Bert, the Sanders one is not me, us, but yeah. Biden's is just not me. Go vote for someone else. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty sad. I don't know what's going to happen yet. In I mean, I'm, this isn't really a, like a big secret. I'm in Ohio. We've delayed our elections and it's going to be all through the mail. So there's no telling really what how that's going to affect things. I don't I, I can't see any way to predict it. Yeah. Um, all right. But uh, if, if there are like if there's a segment of voters that doesn't normally go out to vote, but they have the chance to just put it in the mail, do you think like uh, that'll actually increase Bernie's chances of, of, uh, of getting votes? I don't know if you're not going to go do it. This is this just adds more steps. You've got to you've got to apply, and they don't just send them out to you. You've got to apply and oh. say, "Hey, I want this ballot, either the Democrat or the Republican ballot," and, uh, in, and then they'll send it to you. I'm in California, and they send a, a mail-in ballot to everybody, and you can literally just bring your mail-in ballot to the polling place and hand it to the worker and just walk out away. Yeah, okay. um, they don't want everyone to, to vote. Not vote. Right, and has Alabama voted yet? Uh, yes, Alabama voted. I don't think it was the it wasn't the mini Super Tuesday, but I think it was the week after that. Right, right. And um, Biden, Biden. Or it could have been mini Super Tuesday, actually. Right, right. All right. Let's say goodbye to Thomas from Alabama and Dave from the Rust Belt. We'll check in with you later in the month. Stay safe. And by the and, way, there's a good stun gun company you can invest in. I'll uh, I'll send you the oh information. Boy. <laughs> yeah, good luck with the COVID, Liam. Smith and Wesson has some stuff. All right, Thomas and Dave, thank you so much for for helping out on the Reddit, and we'll talk to you later in the month. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Okay, no problem, talking to you guys. Bye. Good job on the subreddits, by the way, both of you. Yeah, thank you. Yes, it was All nice right. talking to you, David. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to remove Thomas. You want to move to Yeah. And now he's gone. And no, he's still the, there. No, no. Dave from the Rust Belt. I'm going to remove you. Okay. Thank you for your help. And we'll talk to you later in the month. Okay. Bye-bye. As I said to David Feldman's mom when handing her 20, thank you for your service. No, you said thank you for your cervix. <laughs> I still got it, Liam. I still got it. How are you? How are things in Los I'm Angeles? I'm good. Are these guys still on or are they gone? I don't know. I'm trying to figure out Zoom. And I have a call into Saul Colt, the marketing genius. And wow. this is what I'm thinking of doing. I am thinking of you and I and Saul trying once again to do office hours. Remember we tried that? 
in the fall of 2019 to do it virtually with avatars oh. and it was a failure? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, when you scheduled it for when I was going to drive to Las Vegas? Yeah. And I'm thinking that uh, we should try to do it with Zoom. Thomas is back. Hang on. I gotta Thomas get rid is of back. Him. Thomas is back. Here we go. I got to say, Thomas. There, looks, we got rid of him. Thomas looks awfully Jewish for a fellow living in Alabama. <laughs> no wonder he's got a chip on his shoulder. So what do you think? Should we do a a, a, a Zoom town hall? I, 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 I think it would be a mess, but it it would be better than the last one we tried. Yeah, let's do it. Make sure citizen, all the citizens are there. Uh-huh. Make sure, make sure Bernie Ho Baby Cat shows up. Right, and they and they can do it using video or audio. You don't have to right. join it, right? Right, like if you're say a, a woman who lives in Las Vegas and is ashamed of being 600 pounds and having to get around in a rascal scooter, you don't have to show your video. Uh, you maintain an air of mystery. Okay, Bernie Ho Baby Cat is mad at me. Why? I don't know. She sent me an angry email with no, it just said F you Feldo. And there was no body. Attached. Wait, did you date her? No, but, uh, then why is she mad at you? I don't know. I don't know. Boy, how do you do it with these ladies, David? You have a way. You have yeah. a way with the ladies. I do. We have a lot of voicemails and citizen sausage. Want, uh, citizen sausage wanted me to play voicemails, but I don't have time to play them today. So we'll play them on Tuesday's show. Let's plow through. So Citizen Sausage and I had a direct message conversation this week about he, he worked, he like invests through an investment bank. That's like a progressive investment bank that uh, doesn't, doesn't invest in fossil fuel stocks. So I checked it out and it's one of these banks where, it's not a real bank. It's not FDIC protected. So your money is protected at night uh, because then they put all your money into a bunch of different bank accounts that are FDIC protected. But during the day, you're not protected. So if the, <laughs> if yeah. the bank collapses during the day, you don't get your money. But if the bank collapses at night, you're insured up to $2 million. Oh, how do you have money to invest? I make money. Okay. I'm a, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm still working for team Bloomberg, so I make about 10,000 a week. <laughs> All right. What do you, you don't have a lot of money, but I figured my, why not put the little bit I have to work for me at a time when it's uh, cheap to buy it. You'll be happy to know, David, I'm putting my money into pet pharmaceuticals. Good. Good. Like uh, drug companies for dogs and cats. Good. Good. All right. This one comes to us from Lin-Manuel Noriega. That's funny. That's a, that's a funny fake name. Yeah. Lin-Manuel Noriega. Because it's, dog- like, it's, it's like there's Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh-huh. the famous Broadway star. Yes. And then there's Manuel Noriega, the reference from 1982. Uh, that would be 89. Oh, sorry, 89. <laughs> When we invaded Panama and his Zodiac sign is yield. He is located in the birthplace of the Republican party. I'm going to say Ohio, Canton, Ohio. Where, where was the Republican party? I think started in Ohio. I think. 
I think it's in the hearts and minds of every decent, God-fearing American. What is your question or comment? His comment is, I was really sick last Friday. I had a five-way with my mother's bridge club. He fixed the joke. Remember? No. You know, remember I said I, I, I got really sick Friday night. I had sex with my mother's sister. And that didn't work because it was an incest joke and not a mental illness joke. Right, right, right. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Okay, thank you. Here we go. The next one comes to us from Samuel. <laughs> His zodiac sign is Dent in Rising Uranus. Mm. And he's located in Finland. In your last episode, you talked about... That's where all the fish live. The fish are... What happened? Finland. Are you sharing a screen? No, am I am I sharing a screen? Yeah, I'm not just, supposed to be. Yeah. But again, oh, you're, you're viewing at Liam's screen. Uh, wow. I didn't know young boys uh, picked up that many tadpoles naked. David, 12 isn't that young. Okay. Can you get... I, I don't want to see your screen. I'm trying to see my screen. Am I sharing my screen? Yeah. Oh, here, I'm hang. sorry. Okay, yeah. there we go. Okay. Uh so, uh, Dent, what's his name? Samuel writes in your last episode, you talked about some famous American comedians like Carlin and Pryor. My favorite comedian of all time is Bill Hicks. Thank you. Oh, Bill Hicks. Oh, fuck. All right. Bill Hicks, not a hick. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought you, I thought you said Bill Hacks. <laughs> Bill Hicks, he had a short career, but his pain and frustration combined with the belief that we are loved and we can be better and not just consumers living in an endless mall devoid of genuine experiences resonated with me deeply. Was Hicks on your radar when he was alive? And do you think he had actual talent or do I just relate to a former alcoholic with a temper problem too much? Well, I will. Uh, First of all, I'm going to guess this guy's 53. No, no, he's discovering Hicks right now. 53. So Bill Hicks, a very sweet man. I knew him and uh, not great. You know, we weren't close, but uh, he was just a nice guy, just very supportive of comedians. He was the best. And I am not familiar with his work because I didn't want to be influenced by him. Uh, I had it, so I didn't really watch him because I, I was afraid that I would uh, borrow something of his. My son discovered Bill Hicks about. Wait, 50. So you, you didn't watch him because you didn't want to steal from him? I didn't, yeah. I had a similar bit that I had to stop doing. And. So I just I just didn't want to watch him uh, just mm -hmm. out of uh, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't being influenced by him. My son fell in love with him about 15 years ago and forced him down. I mean, we'd be in the car and he'd say, you have to hear this. You have to hear this. And the stuff he was doing, you know, the stuff he had long been dead. And I was going, my God, this is as relevant Right. today or even more so i mean stuff about jay leno stuff about the iraq war and the bush family mm -hmm. more relevant 
now than it was when he first uh, recorded and now, this. And now he's dead, so you can steal from him. Uh, very funny. What did you think of Bill Hicks? Uh, you know what? I can't. I started doing stand up when it was Bill Hicks, the uh, the fallen god. Like he had just, I think he had just died, and mm-hmm. uh, so he kind of became lionized immediately when I first started. So okay. I didn't really have like the, I had the frame of reference of like people saying that he was kind of almost godlike as a comedian, and you know he just wasn't. He was a great comic, but he wasn't like. Uh, to me, as great as someone like Pryor or Carlin, so or, or Joe Biden. <laughs> All right. So, aren't you voting for Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren? Uh, well, I don't think uh, anyone's voting for Elizabeth Warren anymore. Um, but, um, but just my point is, just about ten years ago, I, I gave him a good re-listen, and I loved it. He's got. He was great. Really, really great comic. Well, some would say the best. My well, kid, my kids. I mean, look who their father is. Come on. That is true. Well, Billy Brown is Let me ask you this. How do you think your Lin-Manuel Miranda rights would go? You have the right to remain silent. (laughs) Oh, that's not bad. You have the right to remain silent when Liam McEnany is performing comedy. (laughs) What? Now, you're making thumping sounds. I, oh, that's the, uh, sorry, that's um, something I, I was pressing against. Yeah. Well, Your mom's trying to get out of the hope chest that she's in. <laughs> okay. I still hear it. Who's Who do you think is the best comedian ever, David? <sighs> well, I will tell you that the Woody Allen book is amazing. Without feathers? Apropos of nothing. That's a great read. Okay. Uh, Carlin. I will say we're not, supposed to, we're not supposed to like Woody Allen anymore, but uh, his standup is still some of the best ever. Yeah. Some of the well, most techn- technically perfect standup. Look, I, I, you know, you're, uh, the book is great. And if Joe Biden can be accused of rape, but people want him to be the nominee, so they go after the woman. Uh, I get to read Woody Allen's book because, you know, he he was cleared. You know, you're in, you're innocent until proven guilty. I think I know we're supposed to believe the accuser, mm-hmm. uh, but it was investigated and he was cleared, right? Uh, I actually have no, literally, and I'm not sidestepping the issue. I have no knowledge of this at all. I just know what I've seen on Twitter, and I don't really trust uh, the facts I get on Twitter. I I, have not taken the time to sit down and read about this. It happened. That's never stopped you from opining before. (laughs) That's not true. I I don't know much about economics, medicine, science. Oh, oh yeah. I do know about runaway hyperinflation. Yeah. Okay. Billy, are you you done with your pretzels? Go to Zimbabwe and ask how just willy-nilly printing dollars whenever they had problems worked out for them. Okay. Uh, Go to to Weimar-era Germany and ask them. But the American dollar... Uh, 
is the currency upon which all other currencies are based. Right. It's a little different. A little different than Zimbabwe. Well, four years ago, we were also the police of the world, and now look at us. Now we're the uh, we're the wham of the world. You know what? You get that I, joke? I do, because police and wham are two different. Where are your sound effects? You should have like a laugh track. David is busy uh, <laughs> commenting on Pornhub instead of hosting his show. What are you... <laughs> What are you looking at? Nothing. I'm doing, you know, I have a crowd here. (laughs) David just just completely checked out of the show that he's hosting. What are you talking about? Are you okay? (laughs) Are you you able to hear the, the laughter? I heard a little bit of that. Oh, okay. All right. I didn't check out. All right. Where's the Billy Brennan? Where am I? Where am I? <laughs> are you okay? Yeah. Liam. Do you? Oh, oh, it's for me. Okay. Liam, please be careful with the stock market. If you buy and hold, I recommend using David's squeeze technique. I don't think Liam knows what the squeeze technique is. Uh-huh. Do you know what the squeeze technique is? No. Well, if you... Will you stop eating pretzels on my show? Oh, I'm sorry. Is it a, What's the squeeze technique? The squeeze technique is if you suffer from premature ejaculation, mm-hmm. the partner squeezes the tip of your helmet. So it, it pushes the, uh, the swimmers back inside. So... I mean, I know a guy who did that. I'm actually not joking. He did that. And uh, if you do that, all the semen blows out through your ass. Yes. And it just completely gets all over the sheets. You know how your mother gets semen to blow out through her ass? (laughs) She farts. She farts. You know how your mom gets semen to blow out her ass? She lets them in the front. (laughs) And they casually stroll through her gaping, cavernous vagina. (laughs) Uh, Billy Brown says, David, would it be possible to have John Ross's chicken guy on a future episode? Okay. Now you should have the Tiger King guy. I've been watching that. It's so great. Have you been watching it? No, not yet. Oh, you know, there's another species of human. (laughs) <laughs> well, let's just say 40 states have stay-at-home ordinances, and then Florida's thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they actually issued. DeSantis finally uh, issued a stay-at-home. Stay-a-trailer ordinance. Yeah. Hey, we haven't heard from our trailer people with the cat shit. and the. Oh, they're in Austin and outside of Austin. I'm dying to hear what, what happened with uh, if you're listening and you didn't catch that, David's fans uh, are, and this is why being a Bernie bro is so attractive. They live in a trailer outside Texas, which, by the way, outside Austin and Texas, which, by the way, no no shame in living in a trailer. As long as you're living indoors and taking care of yourself, that's the important thing. But they have three cats, right? Yeah. And they live in a trailer. 
which is a mobile home, which is not a big residence. And they found a bunch of kittens that were living in a box outside their house. And then one day they're like, where do the kittens go? And they discovered that a sewer, sewage line had broken under their house, under their trailer house, which they didn't smell at all for like days. And then we kind of had a lot of questions, and they were like, well, it was cold. It was in February, so the sewer line probably froze. I was like, but I've been to Texas in the winter. I guess they're like 40. doesn't get to sewage breaking or weather. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I sometimes think about these guys, and I just fucking laugh. And they wrote, we haven't heard from them, so I hope they're okay. Send your brainwashes back. His zodiac sign is Burrito. He's located in Appletown. Actual Apples, the computer company city, is the next one over. That's so uh, ne- Covington or something. COVID-19. COVID-19. Uh, yeah, actually, Apple is located in Reno. Did you know that? Really? Uh, they're headquartered in Reno, so they don't have to pay any taxes. Their their buildings are in Cupertino, but they don't pay taxes to Cupertino. They pay them in Reno, which is why. That's smart. The, yeah, that's why the high school that Steve Wozniak attended and learned how to code is going broke. Uh, you know, Cupertino is unlivable because Apple doesn't pay taxes locally. Well, all that money has to go overseas to Indonesia to pay the, the 11-year-olds that make their iPhones. Well said. Dear, dearest pasta al dente and limp macaroni. Oh. Do you believe this nationwide crisis where we have to shelter at home, forcing us to rely on delivery services whose deliverers aren't actual employees of those services, is further exploiting those deliverers and unintentionally being a boon to those companies that need to be reined in, morally conflicted hump, the brainwash? It's a good question. Uh, Yes. And the answer to that is... Uh, it's, it's tough. Well, you're ordering from Costco. They treat their employees very well. As I and I tip, I tip pretty well, actually, because, uh, you know, they're doing a job I, I definitely don't want to do. Okay. Yeah, they, they are, without sounding patronizing, they are the first responders. They're keeping us alive. And, uh, yeah. There was a. Excuse me, these pretzels are making me thirsty. Uh, Jesus. There's a hospital in New York today that got in trouble because instead of issuing protective gear, they issued New York Yankees giveaway rain ponchos. Seriously? Seriously, and told their doctors to wear them instead of uh, robes. So, of course. It was food in the long day, though, and they're. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard of bat day? Well, it was bat meat day. <laughs> that's racist. How dare you? How dare uh, you? That's great. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so a, a nurse took a picture, tweeted it, and, of course, that went viral immediately. And, and of course, the hospital 
um, uh, responded immediately by uh, locking her down and not letting her talk to the press anymore. Yeah, that's what they're uh, doing. Yeah, and they announced that uh, that it was that was just a gift, and of course they're giving out PPEs uh, for the for the medical staff to wear. Hey, do you today. Say, just out of curiosity, Liam, a month ago you said Medicare for all is a pipe dream. Do you still think it's a pipe dream? Yeah. <laughs> You don't see it happening now. No. Do you think it's something worth fighting for? Uh, it depends on the form you wanted to take. We're facing a crisis now. We just gave two trillion dollars to the right. economy. Mm-hmm. We've set up a half a was it a half a trillion dollar slush fund for corporations that Steve right. Mnuchin can spend pretty much any way he wants. Okay, good, good. Do you think do you think we can afford Medicare for all? <laughs> I think uh if you were going to say yeah, we're in a situation where we're going to set up a slush fund. First of all, I don't think Boeing should get dime one until everyone gets uh the an amount of money they can live on. That's me personally. Uh, but also, it's not like that slush fund is going to be uh, spent every year. It's a one-time amount of money. So we don't have the money for for Medicare for all. Well, it turns out we're just printing money like some third-world uh, banana republic. And you're, you're concerned about that. I'm very concerned about that. Hmm. Let me ask you this. Okay, let's say we had Medicare for all. Yes. What would be different now? More and more people would show up at their doctors to get uh, to report that they're not feeling well. They get the medical care that they need when they're sick. They wouldn't get surprise bills. So you think think swamping uh, medical services right now is a good idea? Well, there's prevention. Mm -hmm. But isn't, isn't prevention not going to the doctor? Prevention is preventative preventative medical care. In other words, not showing up at the emergency room. Right. Instead of showing up and filling the doctor's office. Okay. I don't have the energy. Well, then why'd you bring it up? You clearly wanted to pick a fight. No, I didn't want to pick a fight with you. <laughs> of course you wanted to pick a fight about it. No, I'm just curious that what is You're it in take? your apartment all day uh, alone. Uh, except maybe your girlfriend's there. You won't share that with your audience. And how's that going? <laughs> Tell me what, what, what's happening with my girlfriend. I was well, let's just say your podcasts keep getting longer, so it must be going pretty well. <laughs> hey, David and Liam, this is from... <laughs> but wait, here's my question. Yeah. This is from Of John course, Taylor. everyone should have medical coverage, right? No, free health care. Everyone should have the option of free health care. Everybody Absolutely. should have free health care. Everybody should. Everybody who can't afford to pay for health care should absolutely have the option for free health care. Okay. Right. So let's say that let's say we had free health care for everyone. Yeah. Uh, but we still have this president that did nothing. Uh, is playing favorites with states in terms of sending ventilating ventilators that we don't have anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, companies that were paid millions of dollars to develop these ventilators for emergencies that just kept the money and figured uh, it would never come up. Uh, 
you know, states governors that don't, that don't take this seriously and claim they only learned 24 hours ago that coronavirus was happening. I mean, what, what would Medicare for all have done for, for any of this? He said, biting into another pretzel. These pretzels are making me thirsty. <laughs> yeah. And yet you don't <laughs> see the cause and effect. You're, you're eating pretzels. Uh-huh. They make you thirstier. If you stopped right. eating the pretzels, you wouldn't be as thirsty, but instead you're enough. eating the <laughs> So that should tell you something what you understand about. David, I have to eat these pretzels to make room for the next box of pretzels I buy. <laughs> You're a genius. Hey, David and Liam, this is from uh, Josh, and he listens to you us. You can come back next week uh, and listen, and David will have an answer for all the questions I just okay. asked. He's located in Okinawa, Japan. Hey, David. Hey, Liam. Though familiarity with Liam pushes me to be kinder to him. <laughs> You saw how, like, those guys couldn't be mean to me now that they could see me. Uh It's becoming more unbearable to listen to his willfully (laughs) ignorant slamming of Bernie and Medicare for all while defending the likes of Warren, Hillary, and the Democratic establishment. Uh The more I listen to this 29-year-old cuckold (laughs) prodigy. Cuckold? You just call me a cuck? Yeah, but he said you're 29. (laughs) Well, that's good. Yeah. The more I realize that Liam is a sad sap in the friend zone of life. From his politics to his comedy career. This guy sounds like a Trump guy. And presumably his romantic affairs. (laughs) He seems to be that friend who just doesn't get it. No, no, no. Women have only cheated on me behind my back. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen, man. You're a nice enough guy and all, but you are the personification of incrementalism. You know, it's funny he brings it up. I was just thinking today uh, about, ah, maybe this comedy thing isn't working out for me. Maybe it's time to just give it all up, go back to school, learn a trade. My question to Liam is as follows. You know, maybe get a steady job with a 9-to-5 and a 401k. Josh from Okinawa has a question. This, this, uh, this you know, this show business thing. I think this guy Josh is right. Maybe I'm just a cookhold in the, to the bowl of comedy. <laughs> <laughs> How's your aunt? You know her. Uh, her actually, seriously, her nursing home just reported their first uh, COVID case. So I'm a little bit worried about her. What? I'm a little bit worried about her. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, I've been sending her flowers monthly. I bought a subscription for her, and uh, I had to pause it because I was like, it's irresponsible to keep sending packages into. a medical facility that's locked down. So I have to send her a letter to know that, let her know that I'm still thinking about her. I mean, she's reaching the end of her life and it's a pretty good nursing home in Flushing, but uh, you know, she's going to die sooner or later. Anyway, I mean, we all are right. Maybe when all this is over, I'll just join the merchant Marines, David. Or maybe, uh, you know, join the Peace Corps, do something meaningful with my life that's not, uh, you know, seeking the glory of the stage, fleeting glory that, uh, you know, nobody's going to remember what we, nobody's going to remember this podcast in three weeks, David. Let's just be honest. 
Anyway, what's the question? My question, Liam, is as follows. When you performed at a 2016 Hillary Clinton fundraiser. <laughs> oh, someone did some research. Chillery. Right. Is that true? That is true. It was in Brooklyn. Was it? And it was for supporters of Hillary Clinton who felt uh, because people, uh, let's just say, especially in 2016, Bernie fans were a little bit completely insufferable and in attacking everybody they saw on social media who didn't think the same way they did. So it was like a night for like Hillary supporters in in Brooklyn to kind of get together and, you know, in a zone where they weren't going to be Pearl Harbored out of the blue for saying things like uh, Medicare for all might be a pipe dream. Anyway, what's the question? When you performed at a 2016 Hillary Clinton fundraiser, Chillery. I didn't name it. By the way, I performed at two Bernie fundraisers that that Alex Brazell produced also. That's right. We made a lot of money that night. Yeah. That was my idea. We kept all the money. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, Chillery. Was it for a girl or career advancement, and how did that go? Uh, well, a, a woman produced it. Now, do you do you find that that's a little reductive, David? When uh, when uh, when someone says something like, "Oh, it's for a girl." Well, Hillary's a girl. <laughs> was it for career advancement? No, it wasn't for career advancement either. It was it was for neither? Stage time. No, it was because I was like, "Oh yeah, I like Hillary Clinton." They, by the way, the they found they probably found that Daily News or whatever article about it, and they quoted a very funny joke that I made on, on stage because I was the first act on. Hmm. And I said, uh, it's good that they brought a man up here to talk to you ladies about feminism. <laughs> Stay safe, David and Liam. Please give my love and well wishes to Dr. J. Josh. That's sweet. I think She's cute. Who? Dr. J. Jennifer. No, no, Dr. J. Dr. J, the basketball player? Yeah. Dr. You don't know who Dr. J. Sute is? Oh, Dr. J. Sute, yes. I'm sorry, the pediatrician slash uh, comedian. Yes. Yeah. Is he okay? Uh, well, let's, let's move on. Uh, is he the right. corona? He's not feeling well. Oh, that's so, terrible. My yeah. friend just went through it for two weeks. He's finally feeling better. And he started showing symptoms two days after his girlfriend moved in with him. Mm. Uh, it just shows you what girls will do to you, man. Thank you. Hey, uh, somebody who came to your show wrote to me, but it's not in the questions. John? John? Yeah, where is it? Did I miss it? He's a nice guy. I liked him. Maybe he didn't send it to uh, through a listener question. Maybe he sent it just to contact me. If you want your questions read on the show, you have to uh, fill out the question form. Otherwise, I think it's like a personal message and I don't read it. So I'll find it. Uh, all right. Any Are you gigs? doing okay, David? Any gigs coming up? Are you okay? Why do you ask? You can remember Thomas's name. 
And now you lost the email from John. Are you gaslighting me? I, and also you're like uh, just drifting off and staring at your screen for minutes at a time. I, I'm running a show here, Liam. I'm a little stir crazy. Because <laughs> this marinara sauce is never going to get finished. Oh, boy. I did that joke last week. <laughs> stir crazy. How are you holding up? Uh, I'm doing okay. You know, it's uh, I had to go to the supermarket a couple days ago, food for less, and that did not make me happy. That made me a little tense and upset, to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah. But I had to I had to get a couple things that I had to get. So what are you going to do? Um, but uh, other than that, I haven't left the house in 48 hours. What was that sound? Is that the exotic animal? Do you have, you have a liger living there, don't you? That sounds like a ti- you have a tiger living there. No, no, she's a Ligerian. It's a little different. Oh. What was that sound? It's a helicopter flying very low over my apartment. Now, let me ask you a question. You're good friends with Colin Jost. Is that correct? Colin and I are friends, but I, I would say not good friends. But let me I, ask you, if you were to do his podcast, would you eat pretzels? Well, well, no. I mean, I'd have respect for Colin. He's great. I see. Okay. He's a really what? good writer and a comedian. And, uh, you know, he's a star. Let's just be honest. If you're famous in America, that's the only thing that counts. Do you think you and I could get a Zoom conference ready a week from today and invite some of the listeners to come on board and we could do office hours with the listeners? Well, I'd have to clear some space in my schedule. You think we could do this? I mean, I, I usually this time is reserved for convincing myself I have coronavirus. <laughs> But I can move that up to three in the morning when I'm wide awake. So, yeah, I think I think I could handle that. All right. Uh, let's do this because it would be invitation only. That's the way Zoom works, right? Yes. I mean, you could put a link to the meeting up on your website, but that also it also would invite me. Did you just belch? Uh, I, yes. Okay. I would say I burped. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen burp. <laughs> Dude, I've been eating pretzels nonstop for an hour. It's, uh, <laughs> Would you do that if you were talking to Colin Jost? Or I'm having a heart attack. I can't figure out which one. Uh, I would say, why now why do you have a thing about Colin Jost? You're best friends with him. Colin's a good guy. I, like I know, and I, and I would like to be treated with the same respect you accord him. So you want me to not talk to you for the last five years? Yeah. <laughs> I could handle that. All right, so we're going to... You, want, you want our only interactions to be me once a year asking if you could put in a word for me when I submit to SNL? Okay. I, think, I think I can handle that. This is what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to wrap it up. We're going to wrap it up. All right, man, I'll, t- I'll talk to you in well, June hang 2021. Hang on. When I have my next packet of sketches ready. All right. We're going to have Saul Colt on the show. You, me, and Saul Colt for Tuesday's show. By the way, you, me, and Saul Colt is one of my favorite movies from the 60s. And we're going to set up a Zoom. Who's Saul Colt? He is the marketing genius from Toronto. And he tried that virtual town hall. You and I are going to do office hours a week from tonight. 
Let's invite Jim Earl also. Well, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll we'll talk to Saul and we'll try to figure out. And I guess we should limit it to what? How many people? 50. Since it's the huh? <laughs> Fifty. Let's limit to a thousand. Ten people are going to show up. <laughs> hey man, let's hold it on the fucking moon too. Why not? <laughs> How many people do you think would show up? A dozen. You think we'd get a dozen? No, nah, it depends. I mean, it's like if if you can uh, make men fences with Bernie Hope Baby Cat. Well, I want to do it. Here's what I want to do. I don't. The last time was a disaster. Here's what you want to do, David. You want to touch base with some of your regular correspondents, like Senor Brainwash, Citizen Sausage, uh-huh. like uh, all the all the the Tom from Portland, all the cast of characters that we've come to know and love. Mm-hmm. Uh, throughout the past season of the David Feldman show. Yeah. Make sure they're all going to be there. I think that's a good idea. And, and then and uh, that, that's a test run. And then what we could do moving forward uh, is live stream it on YouTube. And we could do a live version of this. And Facebook. And you want to, you want to, Map out 40 minutes plus uh, 25 minutes for Tom from Portland to tell a story. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Liam McEnany. Hey, it's Liam is your Twitter handle. Yeah. Hey, it's Liam.com is my website where you can get (laughs) pictures to Photoshop and obscure shows I did four years ago to ask questions about. Okay. And Working Class Fancy is the name of his comedy album. Correct. Tell your friends. Tell your friends uh, History's Greatest Podcast, which will be coming back because I got nothing better to do. You know, maybe I'll ask Colin Jostan to be on. David, if I could get Colin Jostan, would you come on for a three way Zoom to talk about the art of writing uh, comedy? Oh, absolutely. Because I feel like you're someone who has a lot of respect for his craft. Yeah. And I feel like you guys would have a lot of common ground to just kind of talk. Yeah. And we can, you know, share favorite five-star restaurants in the Hamptons, which ones we like to frequent the most. You could talk about, uh, you know, Cambridge area coffee shops that are fun to hang out in. Okay. Liam McEnany. (laughs) Liam McEnany, everybody. Thank you. All right, buddy. Great job. Have you called in your backup becomes now? See if we can get some more brain power in this We thing. got one here. Roger. Fly to Inco. Go ahead, Inco. Uh, he's, never mind, he's straightening up a little bit. Okay. Okay, now let's everybody keep cool. We got the limb still attached. The limb spacecraft's good. So if we need uh, to get back home, we got a limb to do a good portion of it with. Okay, let's make sure that we don't do anything that's going to blow our CSM electrical power with the batteries or that will cause us to lose the main or the uh, fuel cell number two. Okay, we want to keep the O2 and that kind of stuff working. We'd like to have RCS, but we got the command module system, so we're in good shape if we need to get home. Let's solve the problem, but let's not make it any worse by guessing.
You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, You Sad Pathetic Hump.